2: Constant <laughs> listeners and welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by the Consequence Podcast Network. I'm Michael Rothman, editor-in-chief and president of Consequence of Sound, and I'm here with my co-hosts Randall
3: Colburn, the Rockin' One,
2: <laughs> and Mackenzie Gerber. Now, you could hear us pretty well, right? I think so. That's yes. because we're recording from a studio here in Chicago, Illinois. That wasn't always the case, though. When we started this podcast, we were actually huddled around an old Yeti microphone in Mac's apartment that he doesn't even live in anymore. That's right. And there were not four or three of us. There were like six or seven. So we wanted to go back to our older episodes and make sure that you, constant listener, actually have a good grasp on knowing that this is not how it's always going to sound. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, 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 it's a very rough quality and we just happen to have that rough quality over Stephen King's most iconic books. So yeah,
3: it's rough, but I'd say, yeah, I, for Carrie Salem's lot, The Shining, Rage, and The Stand, I believe. Night Shift, too. And And Night Night Shift. Shift. We recorded those episodes in a very sort of primitive way, um, doing our best. That was before we got our studio, which makes it sound so lovely. Uh, But yeah, so you'll notice that the audio quality is going to be a little bit not up to par, but I'd say the content of the conversations are still very, very good. I'm very proud of the analysis we did. You'll notice a few other changes, too, like... um, in these early episodes, we talk about everything. Everything, Yeah, we didn't like, now we stretch our legs a bit, we do separate episodes for the movies, for other things and for here, we're basically like, let's talk about all the Stephen King news, as well as the book, as well as the films, as well as the plays, as well as everything. So these episodes run long, um, well, I mean a lot of ours do, but these run extra long because we're talking about those things and you'll also notice that kind of the way that we break down our conversations now is a little bit different. We refine that over time. Time. Yeah. So, so yeah, you'll notice that it's a little bit rougher, but it's the same quality Losers Club content and that these, you've always wanted. These episodes nearly killed us.
2: Uh, the <laughs> Night Shift episode, I got the flu because we recorded – for everything we recorded for
3: 11 hours straight. Yeah. I think? Two yeah.
2: episodes back to back covering all, all what 20 stories, all 20 stories and, and the, the movies and the movies. Oof. It was exhausting. I was I think towards the end of the episode, I started fading away. Dan uh, started crying. Dan started crying. <laughs> I cried in the shining episode, I believe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, th- th- these episodes are special. They're very good. Episodes. They're very special episodes. But we did want to make sure that you didn't go into the this podcast. Thinking that it's going to sound like this forever. <laughs> because obviously, as you could hear from us right now, that's just not the case.
3: Yeah, if you're just popping in to hear like, oh, I love Salem's Lot. I'm going to check out this new podcast. Why does it sound like they're recording underwater? You know, we just never really thought that. uh, I I think that, you know, we were testing things out. We were seeing if anybody would even care if we did this podcast. And luckily, a lot of you guys did care and you listened and supported us and followed us on social media. And so we were able to, you know, beef up the sound, make things sound better, expand our lineup and refine the way that we do things uh, as it is now. Because
2: so much has changed Mm -hmm. since 2017, not only with us, but the whole world at large. And you're going to hear about all of it as you're journeying through each one of these episodes. And now we'll let you venture into King's Dominion in your biohazard suit (laughs) with Stephen King's The Stand.
3: So just to break it down for you, this is how we're going to be tackling The Stand since it's such a huge undertaking um since it's broken up into three books we're gonna break uh our discussion of the book up into three episodes so we can devote as much time as possible to talking about uh the three sections because you know it's something you know maybe you don't realize in the first read but they're actually all very different stylistically and thematically which is why king probably broke it up that way so that's how we're going to talk about it and then we're going to have a fourth episode where we're going to talk about the film adaptation, the miniseries, um, and we're also going to have a couple fun interviews uh, with people who are involved with that, so look forward to that because it's going to be
0: awesome. Uh, let's go around and introduce ourselves to my right. Who are you? Uh, I am Dan Caffrey, also a senior writer with Consequence of Sound and uh should we share, experience? are we sharing our experiences? Yeah, yeah, let's talk about uh, the
3: first time we
0: we have read The Stand, our sure. first encounter with it. Um, yeah, it was, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, but I remember the ABC miniseries was coming on, it was right when I was starting to get into Stephen King a little bit, and I remember I saw, it's the edition I actually have with me right now, it was the ABC miniseries tie-in uh, book in the grocery store, and it looked very weird to me because it had Gary Sinise and Molly Ringwald on the front, it looked like a... Like a trashy romance novel or something. <laughs> so I remember being like, "That's Stephen King." And then I asked my dad what it was about, and he told me. Um, I watched the miniseries and uh, and then read it. I remember actually being kind of disappointed because when I got the first edition from the library, it has that um, that cover of like the demon creature with the yeah. sickle, and then um, the I guess the L for white yeah. maiden, white yeah. um, <laughs> uh, fighting with the sword. I legit thought it was going to be a fantasy novel. And although there are fantasy elements in it, for sure, and um, and we'll talk about this as we go on, um, King took a lot of inspiration from Lord of the Rings. There's obviously never a scene like that in the book, and I kept asking my dad, I'm like, well, dude, you know... Does when is get... the green thing Yeah, show. yeah, yeah, do, like, like did they, they fight in the desert? And he's like, well, there is a fight in the desert, but not not how you may think." Um, <laughs> so anyway, I think it's, uh, needless to say, The Stand was a way, I had far different expectations going into it than when I came out of it, even as a kid, and um, it will always have a special place in my heart.
4: I am Allison Shoemaker, one of the, um, no, the only rotating female panelist. <laughs> I forgot that there aren't lots of me. It's actually just me, constant listeners. Um, I'm also a senior writer at Consequence of Sound, and I'm about to blow your minds. This is my first experience with the stand. It's one of the only holes in my king tapestry. Were
0: you aware of this when you were younger? Yeah,
4: yeah. No, this was one that um, I don't know how I got away with reading like It and Carrie when I was a kid, mm-hmm, yeah. um, but my mom didn't want me to read this one. No. I also haven't seen the miniseries. Oh wow. I'm uh I'm fresh as the driven snow. Um, so it's I I hope that will be an interesting perspective. I think it will be. Um important. I'm reading the books as we're talking about them, so I have only read book one. I'm right. fine being oh, spoiled. Exciting. But I'm prepared to unleash outlandish theories about what might happen. Mm-hmm. All right. Um and I have no idea.
0: And and just so you listeners know, we're gonna do our best obviously to you know, when we talk about characters in this in this book only talking about characters who are introduced in book 1 but you know we may talk about future events because yeah I, have I think
3: we're always you know if it benefits the conversation we'll talk about the grander context and perhaps where they're heading to a degree but yeah. we'll try to keep spoilers to a minimum mm-hmm.
5: so uh, hi i'm Justin Gerber i'm also with consequence of sound and my my i guess my experience is very similar to Dan's where i saw the original hardcover <laughs> and saw the sickle and death or whatever in the and the night with the the long hair and I figured this was some fantastical tale along the lines of Eyes of the Dragon or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, and again, I saw Gary Sinise and Molly Ringwald on the cover, <laughs> of, like TV guys. Yeah. Like, what is this? Yeah. Um, so I read the book. I mean, I, I saw the miniseries years before I read the book because a friend of mine, after even after the miniseries, said that the book was really um, was really boring. Didn't pay off. What? And so I, I put it off for years. So I read it for the first time probably 15 years ago or so, and. You know, when you get older, you've got different takes on things that you might have, you know, from what you might have had when you were younger. So I'm looking forward to talking about the stand got now. some hot takes. <laughs> some do, some do you takes, think... both cold and hot, probably, but we'll see what happens.
2: Hey, there's uh, it's the dichotomy of uh, the book. Hey, it is a little bit. Yeah, yeah.
1: good receiving. It
4: receivable? really is about like Slate versus BuzzFeed. It really is. <laughs> That's, <what finally laughs> That's is cold We're
2: getting down to it. Well, it's like the Katy Perry song, "I'm Hot and I'm Cold." All right. It's just
4: it's like not Those aren't the lyrics at all. <laughs> <laughs> but, the words hot and cold are in it. They, they are
0: in the true. Song. Talking yeah. about that, that demon knight thing yeah. on the cover, that is still kind of a scary cover to me because the knight yeah. looks like so worried on it. Like yeah. He looks like he doesn't think he's going to win this, this stand. Well, this battle. the, oh, symbolism, uh,
5: the yeah. symbolism and the allegories are rich yeah. in, uh, it's great. in that uh, cover. I'm
4: partial to the cover of my Kindle edition.
0: Oh, it's, it's like a... right oh, is it the Ooh, guy with yeah. the gold tooth? Oh yeah, one? who's this
5: supposed to be? Like the
0: rat? This the rat man. Does the kid have a? I feel like he does. He does have a gold tooth. Uh, the maybe kid he does. Maybe that'd be weird to put the kid. on. Well, that'll yeah. represent yeah. the uncut edition, though. So that makes sense.
3: Yeah, I have the same because uh, my Kindle edition has the same cover too, and uh, I assume that I just assume was supposed to be flagged. But, yeah, um, just, yeah like, I did well, too. Well, the
5: copies that Mike and I have um, are just it's just a long road with dead bodies. Dead yeah, it's like, built, it's so. a photo
2: from Poland, 1945, um, oh. that I have on the cover. I'm just
5: joking. It's oh. not even, that
2: wouldn't even be the right year, so, who, so it's who a are you joke. Who are you that just made so, that uh, very, very sensitive joke? Make sure you don't say your last I, name, so you Yeah, can... no, it's, it's fine. Um, I'm a son of my Jewish father, uh, Richard Rothman, uh, Michael, <laughs> Michael Rothman from Consequence of Sound. I'm the editor-in-chief there uh, for almost 10 years now. This is, a, it's, been, it's been a real great time. That's as long um, as the iPhone. Yeah, right? My God. It is. Well, when the iPhone came out, we were like, you know, I got, I got to compete with this thing. So. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody else has a music website. No, we need to be the. We got to do it. <laughs> it's, uh, it's like this, you know, the seed of the story there. Uh, my my experience with uh, the stand actually goes back to the miniseries. My um, my babysitter when I was in the early '90s, which I was ten years old at the time. So I don't know why my parents thought I needed a babysitter, but maybe it was for my uh, four-year-old brother. But anyway, my, my best friend's older brother, um, who's tragically actually now deceased, but he. Uh, like, was taking care of us, and he, mu- he must have just rented the the stand, and I had fallen asleep on the couch, and I woke up, I think around the time when, like, Stu was getting out of the, um, out of, uh, Stovington, oh, and so I had watched this thing with him, and I'm like, whoa, what is this, like, and I, at the time, there wasn't a lot of, like, post-apocalyptic movies, I mean, yeah, sure, there was, like, Mad Max, and, here, and I had never seen them, so, like, I, it was very, kind of, like, almost, like, my first experience with a post-apocalyptic story, and so I just watched it from there, and, and never really went back to it until a few years later, and I did, actually didn't even know it was like a Stephen King thing until I put the you know two and two together, um, you know. Once I actually found out what that movie was, and I was like, "Why is Lieutenant Dan?" and uh, you know, and, you know like, <laughs> in this movie, but um, you know, so I I it really did uh, connect with me um, on a visceral level, just in terms of um, the the visions of like an, a, an apocalypse, mm-hmm. you know, like you know, I, and I also went to like. Um, you know, despite my m- m- Jewish family, um, went to, like, Christian and Catholic school. So I had known about, like, Revelations and the end of the world and all this other stuff. So it was, like, it, it definitely haunted me, you know, like, especially when I would learn about, like, hell and heaven, and um, they kind of, like, tortured the kids that way in school. So just being able <laughs> to, like, see that in the in the movie, like, it actually did really inform, like, what good and evil was from, mm-hmm. from just growing up. So that was kind of, like, a an interesting thing. But I actually didn't read the book until... Um, I want to say late high school, and then a, I, I finished it in, sometime in college,
0: um, and I definitely had m- a much better experience reading it yeah. now than I did back then. So It's, it's funny, and um, this comes up more a lot more in books two and three than one, but the religious element is something that, it, I, I feel like I was more drawn to the apocalypse stuff when I was younger, the biological warfare, you know, um, germ, you know, manufactured no. germs and all that, like that's what haunted me. But I also didn't have a religious upbringing. So I do wonder if... I'm just wondering how different people with different religious experiences have have been informed by the book. Because... The religious stuff for me is something I struggle with a bit in the book, but I, I wonder, like, it could be super haunting to you if you grew up I a think Christian. when you know. it
5: comes to, especially both book two and three, definitely have yeah, the religious aspects, so yeah. I'm looking forward to getting to those.
0: Yeah, and I
3: think that, like, my first experience, like, I love what you just said about, like, it defining good and evil for you. I was at a very impressionable age when I read it. Um, and I think I was still understanding those things for me. And I remember thinking, I'm like, well, I want to be part of Mother Abigail's camp. <laughs> <Yeah.
4: laughs> so I was like, I don't yeah. want to get the bad dream. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I always remember
3: thinking, I was like, well, I
0: need to not do drugs. Um,
3: yeah. But then, uh,
0: but yeah. But it's the, but it's the, uh, it's Vegas that doesn't like drugs. I know. Well,
3: well, the thing is they'll right. crucify you if you do drugs. So regardless, yeah. uh, you know. Has that religious element to it. So, uh, so yeah, yeah, like, um. Yeah, I had seen the miniseries, and the funny thing is, I don't remember how it ended up in my house, but it was, like, a four VHS tape uh, thing, and I remember thinking that was really cool. Yeah. From I, World Vision Home Video Inc. There's yeah. There's ad for it. In the yeah, World it. Vision Home Video <laughs> <laughs> Inc. Uh, Love World Vision. <laughs> they were a huge part of my childhood, and, um, and so, but no, I remember seeing this, like, four VHS tape thing, and I was really into movies, and um, so I, like, devoured it. I thought it was really cool, but I was also kind of scared. I was... I don't remember how old I was, but I was, you know, pretty young. Right, it was right when it came out, and um, uh, I watched it and thought it was so cool. And I remember really like, trying to talk to my parents about it, and they were very disinterested. They, they're not really into movies, and they were just like, "Stop talking to me about this like horror thing. Like, <laughs> go to your room. Go play sports," you know. And uh, and so, but then I, I loved it so much, and I talked about it all the time, and I wanted to read the book, but um, and then my it was like around Christmas, I think. And I remember Christmas morning, I had a, uh, a paperback. It was the one with the crow on the front. Uh, it was, like, all black with a crow on the front. Um, I think it maybe had been the Penguin edition. I could be wrong. But it was, like, um, uh, that was, to me, the, like, one of the most important copies of a book that I ever had. And I, because it was the biggest book I'd ever read. It was the Uncut Edition, which I think had come out only a couple of years previous and um and I remember thinking it was like a huge undertaking and I would just sit in my room and read it and I remember being very it was like my first encounter with so many things like i like rereading it some of the violence in the book uh like uh the way people they talk about people's faces like getting blown off like by guns like I had never read anything like that that. a lot like like literally like half of someone's face being gone disappears yeah. yeah and then like it, like, cause I had read Michael Crichton, and his books were violent, but not as violent as this. And I remember being very, like, you know, shaken by that. And then the sexual stuff um, that arises with—well, um, uh, no spoilers, but between we, two I don't characters. care about spoilers. No, but you know, okay. but just well, let reading along,
0: maybe there's, there's a, a uh, there. let's just say there's a lot of pound cake to eat. There's a lot oh. of pound cake, <laughs> but there's also yes. I think, but there's also
3: some <laughs> sexual stuff that I think is written. Quite well, I yeah, no, book. Yes. And I remember being very titillated by it because it was stuff that was still very far out of my yeah. <laughs> experience in any way, shape, or form. You
5: mentioned the uncut edition. Um, somebody on Facebook commented that right now they're reading their old, like 1978 edition. That's so we cool. should specify that we are going to be covering the uncut, the uncut edition. Uncut. So if you're reading along, again, read everyone the, here reading we reading all read the, the 90 edition. edition, right? Yes, but yes.
0: we are going to address the differences. Yeah, between the two but guys. you
5: need to read the uncut edition if you're following along. With yeah. it, definitely,
0: I um. And I, I feel like maybe I read the cut version when I was younger, but I've read the book a lot at this point. So I've only remember. read the uncut version. It's very hard to find now. I think yeah. we were just saying. Yeah,
2: if you find the actual, I mean, the cover that you've been talking about with the the sickle and the on white knight. It's the one that... It, there's the Red Banner. It look, It's actually really gaudy. Like, the uncut version has this, like... It's pretty pronounced. Yeah, it says yeah. complete and uncut yeah, on every like, cover. but the so. one that... The, the original one just has, like, a very... It's, like, a blurry... Like, it's in the desert. Yeah, right? it's, it's very blurry, and um it, it it's actually more pronounced also. the It's like an
3: off-white cover. Yeah, like, it's really cool. I can't hear uncut without thinking of circumcision. Yeah, it's a little weird. Yeah, the I keep one... Version.
4: It just is making me think of... Um, South Park. South Park. Yes. Also a bonus. like I can't, yeah. really can't stop South Park, bigger, longer, home.
2: and uncut, which, always, I, yeah. which I
0: didn't realize that was like a I, little, d- not smart-ass thing until when I was, when I was young. Yeah. Well, I was really
2: obsessed with, uh, with uh, Dick Humor because of American Pie that <laughs> summer, so I was like, oh, dude, they, they got it. You know, <laughs> I you know, do love no, uh, I never was obsessed with Dick Humor. Just I do like, love South Park wheelchair. and
0: um, I it would make sense with all the pound cake in this book, I think it would make sense if The Stand was called The Stand Bigger, Longer, and Uncovered. Well, yeah. Ooh. Dan,
2: I know that you provided some great uh, sweet treats uh, earlier uh, <laughs> this, this morning before uh, recording, but let's just say we have rack upon rack of pound cake. Oh, uh, yeah. For the book one alone. We so still have many a, pastries
0: a, left from the Mexican bakery, but I don't think we'll need them because we got plenty of pound cake. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we'll you get know.
3: there soon. But first, let's, uh, let's just talk about sort of where this book came from. King had just finished writing *The Shining*, and um, he was riding high, baby. He was yeah. he was doing good, and uh, I think it was he felt it was time. Well, he didn't not just yet. The next book he wanted to write was actually about the um, the Patty Hearst kidnapping mm. uh, and induction into the uh, Symbionese Liberation Army. Tell me if I'm pronouncing that wrong. Yeah, which
0: is funny because. Donald DeFries makes an appearance in The in the Stand, and he said Fly... That was a big influence yep, on Fly. Yeah, I have that. Yeah, right. he... Uh,
3: yeah, that was... That, that was You know, the book was going... He said that the Patty Hearst case was so filled with contradictions, and it was so bizarre that... Because basically it was about... You know, this... Uh, Patty Hearst was from the Hearst lineage, like the William Randolph's her, Hearst daughter, came from money and was kidnapped by this, um, you know, liberation army, and... But then she ended up, uh, like sleeping with them and falling in line with their ideals. but there was a lot of um, was she brainwashed or did she actually? Fall yeah, in line? That there was, was a like controversy the l- at the time. Yeah, there was like a big yeah, there was a lot of talk about all that kind of stuff. And King thought it was fascinating, and he was writing a book called The House on Value Street. And he said he'd been working on it for about six weeks and nothing was coming Yeah, that yet. Yeah. Values? values. <laughs> what, what is it, like, yeah, values.com. Values exactly. Yeah. The House
5: on Dollar Store or something yeah. like But Let's uh, take a trip to Best Buy.
3: So yeah, he was writing about that and he said that the characters weren't coming alive. He said it just wasn't happening. But he you know, but I think he was really drawn to the character of um, of Donald DeFries, and then also drawn to just themes of, you know, uh, brainwashing versus free will and um you know the idea of uh, good versus evil i think was coming up a lot in those in those talks and um around the same time he had i can't remember how he encountered it i think he might have seen a video or read something about it but oh he saw footage i remember there in 1968 there was a, a thing called the dugway incident in which mm-hmm. um nerve gas was deployed in utah accidentally and it killed 3,000 sheep and he talks about seeing and i think there was, like, also, he's, like, seen footage, he saw footage of, like, mice being injected with this same kind of nerve gas and, like, twitching and freaking out, and I think that got him thinking about, um, the, you know, plagues and things, and he, he also talks about several other books. There's a apocalyptic book that he loved, uh, George R. Stewart's Earth Abides, there's also, um, Richard Matheson's I Am Legend, uh, Robert Merle's, uh, Malleville How do you spell it? Uh, M-A-L-E-V-I-L I I do not know that book Listeners, if you know that book uh, uh, Let us know about it Uh, Maleficent
5: that's what I was thinking about the pronunciation, maybe. Um, That's my favorite Angel, Angel then I, <laughs> I,
3: <laughs> That's what I was going to say. Ne- Neville shoots uh, On the Beach from 1957 was another one. Um, on the Beach, uh, Night Surf. huh? Mm. And um, On the Beach,
0: uh, Neil Young's album of the same name is named after that book. Is oh, it really? Yeah. And that, and is that, that book
3: about like an apocalyptic... I mean, it, is the album about like, the
0: um, it, it like A little bit, yeah. He talks a lot about... like Revolution Blues is about uh, is a song on there about Charles Manson, but in like, an, an apocalyptic scenario. He talks about... And actually, you know what? On the Salem's Lot, we actually use the song "Vampire Blues" oh, from from that album. Oh, I just realized, but that's about oil, like people sucking oil and leading to the end of the world. I, would, I wouldn't say it's it's like straightforwardly about the end of the world, but it's a lot about the Nixon era, and it's a lot about par- It's a lot about paranoia concerning the end yeah. of the world, and was named after that book.
3: And clearly these ideas had been swimming around in his head because he had written Night Surf several years before. Yeah. So I think the idea of plagues and everything was always something he was interested in. And then he's So I guess, like, all these influences kind of coalesced, and he did uh, what he... You know, he did some free writing exercises. Like, just write, see what comes out uh, with certain ideas in mind. And I guess it just started happening. And and he saw it as this chance to make his own Lord of the Rings. He's like, I always wanted to write a Lord of the Rings that had an American background and... Um, uh, I did The Dark Tower. Yeah. <laughs> yeah right? <laughs> and so, uh, you know, so then basically uh, it took him about two years to write it, and Doubleday, his publisher, was on his ass being like, we need something now. And that's why Night Shift was released then. Makes sense. Because he oh. was basically like, well, let me round up all these old stories. And um, I'd Like to thank the Doubleday publisher for doing that? Yeah, that I know. Seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, although Doubleday, uh, tensions were not good with them mm. uh, because... So when he, it took him two years to write the book, um, and he described it as, as his own endless or his own Vietnam, an endless conflict he sometimes hated and could never seem to finish. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I mean to think this is uh, years before Dino got into the picture and started pressuring <laughs> Dino, hey
2: Steven, I got a new I got a new in the works. I wonder, yeah.
0: did Dino ever try and get the stand? I think he might have like been behind the, the
5: Romero uh, directed.
0: He That's, probably
2: invited yeah. him to one of those swanky outdoor parties <laughs> where everyone's doing, you know, all sorts of things. Bowls of cocaine. Yeah, Bowls and of cocaine. You know, they're looking out over the intercoastal or something. Coke nails. I yeah. love, too, that Dino... like take a walk, Steven.
0: We know Dino's Italian that <laughs> he probably had a really thick accent. And yeah. And so it was like, Steven, <laughs> hi, <laughs> how Hello. are you? Yeah, He's got, nice. like, a
3: coca beard. Yes. You know? So... Uh, Stephen King's original draft ended up being 1,200 pages, uh, which is, you know, now what the uncut version is, but um, Doubleday... <laughs> I
4: can't stop. Can't stop, won't stop!
3: The uncircumcised version. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but Doubleday's presses at the time could only accommodate 800 pages, which is kind of crazy to think about. So, yeah. so does then, that
0: mean he, at that point, had written, like, the longest book ever to be published by Doubleday? Well, guess? by Doubleday. Yeah. yeah, sure. It was cheap-skate. Although, Double to be Day. fair, there
2: were probably other authors who were, like, you know publish my book, and they're like, eh, cut 600 pages out or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And, nice. and they probably wanted him to cut shit, yeah. So it yeah. was like,
3: so they were kind of huge dicks about it, and they were basically like, cut 400 pages, or we're gonna cut it. Like, you know, you either Ugh. can do it, or we're gonna do it. It's That's how it's gonna happen. And he was under contract... It had to happen. So, um, By the way, uh, this uh, episode is sponsored by uh, the uh, Doubleday Publishers. <laughs> yeah. uh, you, get a, you get a great assortment of books. And their latest right release, uh, James Patterson. Uh, uh, yeah. James Patterson's latest. Uh, it's uh, highly uh, praised by James Patterson himself. Yeah, High praise indeed. High Find praise it at your local airport. Um, so uh, so King was not happy. And immediate, this was the, the end of his contract with Doubleday, was this book. So he immediately went out. Uh, got a new agent, and basically demanded a $3.5 million three-book deal, which Ooh, he wow. knew they wouldn't take. I so, try to do that all the time, and nothing <laughs> ever comes of it, so... So I think he knew that they weren't going to take it. They refused to go over $3 million, so he left um, uh, Doubleday for New American Library, which was the publisher that was releasing his paperbacks at the time, and so he moved there. And Doubleday, being total dicks, uh, were so pissed that they lost King that they fired... Uh, King's advocate, the guy who discovered him at Double oh, Day, no this guy way. Bill Thompson. Wow, so, yeah. Wait, that, like, who probably no, made them millions yeah, of dollars with the flyers spam. Yeah. that's like you know
2: that's like uh, you know the uh, the Bulls like having Michael Jordan and be like this guy
0: that brought him in is yeah. like hey uh, get th- get rid of that scout any more of his talent get rid of that guy who brought in probably our most popular asset yeah also too i now look i don't fault double day for wanting him to cut um some of the stuff as oh, yeah. as you'll see as we go along i do think there's certainly things that could be cut from i think there could still be cut still yeah. yeah and so i and i you know unfortunately we none of us have read the cut version recently so we can't say if it's better but i do think i do think there's something to be said for wanting those kind of heavy edits i mean that's what publishers and editors are for however it sounded like double day was kind of maybe like unnecessarily putting its foot down right. about it like like maybe going oh can we compromise can you cut 200 pages from it um it but sounds you know, like 400 is a third of the book yeah it sounds like that's like it sounds like they made some ultimatums that so
2: let, let's you know let's look back at history and have some context like this guy was bringing in like millions
5: of dollars oh yeah like, that's what i'm saying he was the most know, popular or novelist he was, at the time he was yeah. really
0: popular by this yeah. point i mean it, it wasn't like carrie or even no. salm's lottery I mean, and he was on like he was on fire yeah.
4: So. I just don't know why you all find this so surprising because it seems to me like corporations are known for being reasonable, yeah. exercising <laughs> good practices, uh, making sure to take care of the people we're, who work for them, and putting art above all else. We're just, we're just, we're just, we're just subtly bashing.
5: We're subtly bashing. Well, I, I, I can't I believe it. Believe because
4: they're people, after all. That's yeah. like that's people true. who need people. But do, do you think they save those pages for somebody else too? Would you
0: put a publish? Yeah, I guess I would. Yeah. I was, I was gonna say, would you put a, a publishing giant? the same league as a yeah. corporation they yeah, had. I mean, you I'm would,
4: not saying they're United Airlines, but yeah, yeah obviously <laughs> they have a bottom line. And, yeah, yeah. Hey,
3: man. Uh, it's all about the green. Yeah. Oh. That's the green, Ber- the it's all
2: green, about that paper. The Look, green cubes. That's why Burke Ber- is the true hero of Aliens. That's
5: a good point. <laughs> <laughs> that's a bold
0: Look Berk. out for Mike's
5: dissertation yeah. on Burke. Yeah, I love how Burke
0: has come up like four times in this What's podcast.
4: What's the name yeah, of that... Yes. Of the corporation and Portal? Have any of you played it? Oh, I, I love that game, but I don't remember. I want to play Portal, I've never it. Digital something. Whatever.
3: Listeners, tell us what the corporation in Portal is and. Because uh, we can't
4: Google it. All of us have just lost yeah, our yeah. fingers. I don't know. We're <laughs> all of airplane mode You should play Portal. It's really good.
1: It's
2: a fun game.
3: So, so another fun thing game. I thought found interesting was King was listening to uh, Christian radio one night, probably just by happenstance. And um, <laughs> uh, he heard the line, once in every generation, the plague will fall among them. Ooh. And that was a line that he said was also very inspirational. And then uh, a couple of that, he probably switched the station to a little bit of Bruce Springsteen. Oh, uh, and he heard a little track called Jungle Land. Oh, and that's hey. where he got the title from. Mm-hmm.
0: And that's what that serves as one of the three songs, I think, as the intro to part one. Um, one yeah. of the, the other one being, of course, Blue Easter Cold, Fear the Reaper, and the other one being uh, Baby Can You Dig Your Man. Yeah. yeah. yeah a which I kind of The great one-hit wonder himself. And King has... And we'll talk a lot about Larry, because um, we love Larry. Or some of us. Do we all love Larry? I, I think love Larry? I love Larry. I love, I love, I love Larry. Larry's yeah, Larry. great. He's interesting. Um, King even said, before the miniseries was written, he has... It's funny, because this is the miniseries tie-in edition I had, but he has this intro that was written before the miniseries. He was saying if there was ever a movie at The Stand, he actually pictured he pictured Bruce Springsteen Bruce, when yeah. he was writing it and he pictured him in the role because in the 80s Bruce was doing a lot of acting, in his music videos like in uh, I'm on fire and oh, uh, yeah. and uh, Glory Days. But he's even though those videos can be a little goofy, Bruce is like seems like he's got some some screen presence, you know. And he uh, mentions
4: it in the intro to the to this edition yeah. too. Okay, so, we'll so talk, we must oh, have yeah. I'm not talk about And then he name checks Jeff my second cousin. Marshall Crenshaw. I, mean, I did not know you were
0: related to Marshall Crenshaw. Oh, he Crenshaw would, he would you... have
4: absolutely no recollection of me. We're not... And friends. who is yeah. Marshall Crenshaw? Um, he's a musician and songwriter. And he, no, is he, he is career... great spectacles. He,
0: career-wise, is, I think, a little bit more similar to, like, had the plague not happened to where Larry Underwood's career would have gone. You know what I mean? Like, like it's funny the King Pictures Bruce Springsteen... And even in the comic adaptation, which we'll talk about in episode four, he draws him just like yeah. Bruce Springsteen. He looks just like him. But as far as like Larry's songs go, I feel like they're more in that vein than like I, I never pictured him as like a Springsteen type. Like record. that of Marshall Crenshaw. Yeah, like, yeah. yeah. Like, like I feel like he was more kind of like a little more '80s, a little more soul kind he of. What's
5: crazy is that both Marshall Crenshaw and Patty Hearst, who we mentioned earlier, both appeared on the Adventures of Pete and Pete. Oh really? They were strange? also
4: both pardoned by Bill Clinton. That's not. Oh true. my god! This is that's
5: weird. Serious? Patty wait, Hurst was in house. Patty Hearst in the episode where Pete <laughs> sells the house. She's one. Of, she's the wife of in the family that moves in. <laughs> man, look at the really? yeah. they had the weirdest cast. stars. they also had Michael Stipe and yes. they also had Debbie Harry. Captain Slyner, Iggy Pop. Right? Iggy Pop. Iggy yeah. Pop yeah. was also in there. Stevie Schammy. Great, great cast. Iggy Pop
2: would have been a great Trash Can Man. He would have actually. He would have been. Yeah. yeah. Wait.
0: Wait a second. I think Bruce Springsteen can still play Larry now. The way he draws him, he draw, he draw or the way uh, um, Robert Perkins, or Mike Perkins, whoever draws the comic draws him, he draws Larry looking young like his 20s, 30s, but style-wise he looks, looks like, more like now. now Bruce Springsteen yeah. with the short hair. The vest like, and yeah, the, the black. He probably has like magic on copy or something <laughs> like that. Like he's, uh, <laughs> yeah. drawing Love magic. Gypsy Love biker. Yeah. Um, but can you, th- I promise I won't go off until I'm this tangent, just think about Patty Hearst. <laughs> so you're, you're on Pete and Pete Why well, Jay Mascus is on that show so yeah, you're, if yeah. you're like the young actors and you're asking them, like oh you're Jay Mascus like oh cool you're in a band Dinosaur Jr. oh you're like cool oh cool you got abducted by Donald DeFreeze and got <laughs> your brainwashed and uh, participate. like what a weird like person okay. to connect with a bunch of kids and that was wow. a Nickelodeon I, show she yeah, had I, knew, I right? know that was
3: the thing I didn't know who any of those people were when
0: I was oh, like no, 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 Yeah, no yeah. I, I just, barely knew who Michael I was I just wonder yeah. if like the day she was on set if it was kind of like Ooh.
3: So yeah, so I guess that that gives us that kind of leads us to the book itself. Let's talk about what we like to call the hook
1: Ah, Yes Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future You can I can change it You can change
0: it exactly
3: This is where we like to talk about themes and um, sort of what is the central driving force of the book? What is the with King, there's usually always one thing that you can latch onto is sort of the fear that's being exploited, and uh, here it's it's the big one. It's the apocalypse. Yeah. yeah. Ninety nine point four percent of the population is wiped out by a uh, super flu, a, a government created virus um, uh, that some people call Captain Trips. So, um, what would you guys uh, like? How do you how would you say that the the apocalypse manifests here differently than in other books about the apocalypse? Maybe.
2: Oh, well, I think a lot of it is it, it's so much about the corruption of power Yeah, you know I mean like this is all despite the fact that Flag at some point says it could have it could have been anything else that that set the um, you know actions in motion it really does go back to this all came from a, it was like a man-made thing you know mm-hmm. I mean this was developed at Project Blue like this was, was a you know this was an actual thing that was created by the very people that are in this country and um, I think that you know obviously as we just learned with what King was studying at the time like I think a lot of it there is a lot of commentary on just mass military um, you know the military industrial complex and um, and, and also just the the, the the I think corruption is big I mean because obviously this boils down to a good versus evil template yeah. and and I think by taking on America which has always seen itself as being this like you know do-gooder across the world and being like no this, they're actually responsible for the end of this kind of at the time, especially when it was released in the '70s, when it, I think cynicism for America really started like reaching mm-hmm. its like, I mean, not its peak because now we're at peak cynicism of on, uh, on this country. But at the time, you got to think like with Nixon, it just happened with like Vietnam. There is a lot of distrust in America, and I think like by him framing Captain Trips as being, uh, you know, born out of that, um, basically made an interesting concept of what evil could be. You know, because evil's yeah. transmutative, like it can. It could become anything. It's not just this, you know, devil with horns, as we learned with Randall Flagg. So um, I think it's, it, I think by having it come from America is a very interesting perspective mm-hmm. here.
5: Uh, well, two things. Is this, this book came out in 78, and yeah. this would have been right in the middle of the Carter administration, yeah. who I would have assumed King would have voted for. Yeah, <laughs> yeah liberal. So it wasn't like, if it had come out during the Nixon administration, it would have made a little more sense about the cynicism towards the government. Well, and no, a, but at the time you, you still it. had, but you're, you still like, had because you had the hostage situation yeah. and and the whole gasoline. Well, and, and was going I, think,
0: I think the ideas had probably been um, before '76 during That's the, true. The, the Nixon. And initiation. people compare yeah. Randall Flag and Nixon a lot. Really? Honestly, yeah, I've oh. read
3: that in several things, like the idea of um, of uh, you know promising power, wanting power, but ultimately not being able to offer. Who's anything? more handsome? Though? Uh, flag. Uh, <laughs> flag. Oh, we're going by Jamie Sheridan. Yeah, uh, by Jamie Sheridan standards. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Big um, And so, yeah, I think I think that, that what you're saying, Mike, and what you guys are saying is really prevalent in book one especially. Like, that's where yeah. we really get a glimpse into the military world. Well,
5: the other angle I found interesting, because you talked about how I Am Legend influenced him yeah. on this book. And then you look at famous, like Mad, the Mad Max series, for instance, about this post-apocalyptic world. But this is actually about the apocalypse itself. This is about how it all falls apart. Yeah. And I found that to be... For me, the first 500 pages are the best 500 pages. The first 500 pages are the best King has probably ever done. Which yeah. roughly represents
0: the entirety of book one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. that's, yeah. yeah. When, and also, too, I mean... I, I was talking the other day to someone about this. When I was, when I was younger... Um, I remember being so surprised Then the main series came out, and then an outbreak came out, and I remember being so freaked out. Oh, by, outbreak is terrifying. Yeah. By this idea of, like you guys said, that not not just people creating the disease, but the people who are supposed to protect the exactly. rest of us. Yeah. And I remember being re- like really getting disturbed by it. My dad had to kind of assure me, like, no, that doesn't happen. Which <laughs> they, 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 you know, they mentioned the book. They they signed the Geneva Conventions, all this stuff. Now, look, for all we know, maybe the government is abiding by the uh, Geneva Conventions, and they're not. Developing any of this kind of yeah. stuff, but I don't believe that. Q, Q-, Q- <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that, and so anyway, but I remember my dad. No, and my dad may have the same thought I have now in his head. He may have been like, "Well, the world's a scary place, but I'm not going to tell my nine year old kid about this stuff." I remember him like assuring me of that, and and that worked for I'm 32 now, so that worked for like 20 something years. And rereading this book though, and I don't know if it's just because of the current political climate we're in, and, and there's a lot of tension regarding that, which we talk about a lot on this podcast. Rereading it though, man, yeah. book one. Just scared the hell out of me because he does such a good I mean, on top of all the great character stuff that we'll get to, it's different from the other two books in that it is just about the breakdown of society and he does it in such an elaborate in an elaborate fashion. Like even even with the military, once things start going wrong, you have some military people that like Starking and um Creighton who are trying to uphold this level of secrecy to the point where they're killing people to keep this from leaking that the army did it yeah then you have other soldiers who are like rebelling then you have other ones who are just going completely nuts and just like kind of a slash and burn method and it's that just scared the hell right. out of me i'm like man if something like uh, to, uh, this proportion happened who would we turn to And I, I don't know the answer
4: well god there are like nine different things that i want to say in response oh. to that which is the mark of a good book right yeah <laughs> so got time, got time. Um, <laughs> So first, I, I obviously am reading for the first time, and I've been thinking a lot about that too, and um, one of the things that's unsettling now, reading it now, is this is the first time that I felt like the American government is run so ineptly that there could actually be a secret yeah. military coup, mm-hmm. right? Like, I, I really appreciate that Starkey and Creighton, and they're... Uh, obviously, doing the wrong thing, but they're sympathetic characters. Yeah. Yes, you understand absolutely. their perspective. It's not that they want, are trying to devalue human life, it's mm-hmm. that they have this belief in the importance of this institution, and it's all um, really, really well written. And they're also obviously wrong. Yeah. But the way that they talk about the president being basically a useless sack of shit. If I would read this at any other time in my life, I don't know that I would have had this reaction. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, God, yeah. if something like this happened, I, I mean, I certainly wouldn't want the military to be the the apparatus making the decisions, but I wouldn't want it to be our president either. Yeah. So it's just like, damn if you damn if you, damn if you don't. Um, the other thing is... Um, when I started reading this, I just wasn't thinking about the year it was written, and I assumed that it was in response to the AIDS crisis. Yeah, no, uh-huh. it's not pre. Right? Yeah, that yeah, was AIDS was first uh, identified in the U.S. in like 1981. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it wasn't, but the theories around um, uh, AIDS being created by the government mm-hmm. and fed into the population to get rid of poor black people. Yeah. Um, it's interesting to compare. Wait, and, yeah. do, and do you
0: guys think? I mean the the military and the government kind of conspiracy stuff aside. I mean it's not a conspiracy because in the stand we found out it's, it's like all real. Right. What it, it's funny that the first book focuses so much on that and like I said the breakdown of society and, and our systems failing us. Do, I guess like thematically or, or hook, hook wise like do you guys feel like what what else is there with like the maybe the non-military characters I don't know, or like the non-military events like do you, what like what other themes Like do? oh the, I think
3: one of the themes that I really am drawn to is uh, I love the way that King really explores, um, there, he does this in so many ways, but just to focus in, the sense of not really understanding the weight and magnitude of the of people mm-hmm. being gone, yes. of people being dead. Um, Larry's, the, the, in book one, Larry's journey really um, uh, resonates with me because it's all about him like, realizing that he's alone. Yeah, yeah. And, like, the way he clings to Rita, and we'll talk more about Rita later because I really mm-hmm. want to talk about her, but, man, I was just rereading the chapter after uh, she dies, and um, he's just on his own, and then he crashes his bike. Salatine being a yeah, like book like, in itself. Yeah and, like, yeah, and, like, talking about, I could have cracked my head open and laid yeah. here and nobody would have come and I would mm-hmm. have died. Like, and and then he drives, like, you know, at a snail's pace on his bike because he's so scared because he he's realizing... I could very well be like you know one of the la- uh, well, it's like I, he knows he's like I'm one of the last people left alive on Earth, and I don't think that you know I the 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 crushing loneliness and the weight of solitude and all of that stuff, the way it hammers into him and it it puts everything into perspective before. Uh, his relationship with Rita and how he took her for granted in so many ways. Like once he's finally alone, the way that King writes that it like, and you see that with all the characters, Franny too, like the way she clings to Harold in a way, but just because like she just buried her father, she needs someone there. Yeah. Well, I I think also it it stresses the trivialities of life. Like,
2: I mean, especially with Fran, like the relationship with her mother, it, 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 just shows just how petty, Mm-hmm. things can really destroy like how they how useless and, and meaningless they are i mean like you, you read that chapter with her and her mother and her mother is just terrifying like a psycho and and and, and franny's just been beaten like to a pulp because just her mother harbors all these like like awful feelings because freddie died and all these other things but and then when when you actually get past it and she's on her own you just realize like just how pathetic all those arguments were yeah. because it's just like well now they're gone and that was literally the last thing that happened between, you know, me and my mom, blah, blah, blah. and like, so it's it, that stuff that like for her character, that, that really like, like hit me pretty hard. Cause you just, you know, we think, you know, when you're in life and you're not thinking about everything being gone, these little things do seem like the larger than life problems. And they are because the people that you love, like have these really strong, coarse feelings about you. And you think like, oh, this is, that's the end of the world. Mm-hmm but it's really not. And, like, <laughs> yeah. and, then, and it's like, yeah. and then when it's gone, you're like, oh fuck, well we wasted all this time yeah. doing all these things. And for me, especially in the Trump age right now where I'm like not really talking to my, like my dad especially and in like seeing like, and how like, uh, you know, I go, I look back and go, wow, six months have gone by and I really haven't really talked that much like, or you know, four or five months have gone by and I haven't really talked. And I re- you know, reading that, like the, the chapter of Franny, like that, that definitely did like, oh well, you know, I mean, is it Catholic, worth it? Yeah, is it worth it? Exactly. Mm-hmm. You
5: know. yeah. uh, For me, with book one, what's so strong is that obviously I hope that we all never have to go through a plague. Well, I'm going to be in right the way. way anyway, so whatever. oh, you'll be fine. I'll be one of the point eight percent or whatever it is. Yeah. but there's no. Nothing, there's nothing really supernatural at all in book one. We yeah. don't meet Randall. No. F- we don't meet. We'll be Well, there's some dreams, and we don't meet Randall Flag until. No, he's in it. Heather. Yeah, he's in it. He's in it. He's in it. Yeah. And the,
4: it, the only point is, it's. Um, and he says that he could tell that the world is, or the narrator says he could tell the world was going to change because. Um, he, can all, do he can do magic. And then yeah. he levitates himself off the ground. And that's about and it. And that's, well, that's it. it what That's what it. That's <laughs> it. I mean, and he doesn't show
5: up to, I think, chapter 23 or something like that. Yeah. yeah guy, and he's gone. Because there's not even a lot of biblical so, references. But that's like the the thing. You talked I mean. about, like, the most frightening thing is obviously when you get down to the end of the book, we aren't going to spoil too much now. good, Literally, good versus evil. Right. That's yeah. the ultimate crux of the book. But again, the feeling that they don't know all the scientific facts. Yeah. So when Larry is wandering around New York at, after Rita, he just maybe he is the last yeah. man on earth. He doesn't yeah. know. And Franny's I- driving around Harold, she clings to Harold, not because she likes Harold necessarily. <laughs> they establish that pretty well in the book. But this might be the only other human left. Like, what's the risk? You know, like you said, like, is it worth going on my own if I'm never going to find anybody? Yeah. And yeah. that fear of having, like, the great isolation it reminds me of the Where's Everybody Twilight Zone episode, mm, yeah. where this man is just walking around this town. Convinced that there's somebody there, and there's nobody there, and it's just, it's just that, and, that, and that it's, freaks me out more than anything.
0: It's funny too because we talk, you know, when, whenever we do the hook section, like we did for The Shining or, or Sam's Lot or whatever. There's always like the big obvious thing that's the draw, like you said, yeah. like the, the plague. Okay, plague wipes out the population, and a, a huge part of the stand's horror it is obviously, oh, he goes into these physical details of people getting sick, and whenever you what he he does this like throughout the whole first book he'll have the, this great character he introduces talking to someone, then he just has them, like, sneeze ah. at the end. Yeah. Like, okay, they're dead. Yeah, And that is scary That's when foreshadowing just comes in great. Uh, it's so, it's, yeah. And it's so heartbreaking, and and that is certainly, I, I think, like, the most service-level obvious great hook about this book. But what I love about King's work is that, like you guys are saying, once you get into it, you're like, oh, there are other scary elements of this, like the system's failing and the military and. The, the suppression of the press, The yeah. suppression of the press, Which really hit hard because when we yeah. were reading this,
2: this was all when yeah. all the stuff was going down. I mean, it's still going down. The but press the conferences really, and whatnot. Well, fake it, news. You know, I started reading this around shortly after the inauguration, and when we were actually seeing like him saying, "Oh yeah, the fake news thing," mm-hmm. and like, "Oh, the failing New York Times," and all this other stuff. And I was like, you know, maybe when I read this about 10, 15 years ago, that, none of that stuff, that all that stuff feels so sensationalized because I, you know, the press was such a you know, there's there's a, a celebration of the press in a sense, but now it's just like they've been kicked to the dirt and, uh, by our administration. So when you read this, it does hit home. Like I mean, all those chapters about them like gunning down, like you know, the photographers and the press members. I'm walking home and just being like, Jesus Christ! Like I don't <laughs> need to read this right now. <laughs> like, the one that gets you know, me is the um,
4: is the radio host. Yeah, flower radio. Colleges, whoo! That really. I, I will, I will admit that that particular chapter, which I'm sure we'll talk about more later, um, all of the examples are good, but having like nine of them in a row is a bit yes. much. <laughs> um, but that was the one that really, when people, ordinary people, rise to an occasion in spite of the knowledge of their own death, yeah. like he obviously knows that's what's going to happen and yeah. locks the door and all of that. And one assumes his show was like, "Hey, let's talk about what's going on in your morning," yeah. and, and then it becomes this other thing. And, and then annoying.
0: it's funny because then those soldiers—and this isn't in the movie—but they rebel against yeah. the guy yeah. who yeah. shoots yeah. Ray, yeah. and yeah. then they start crying. It's so like, "Oh my God, we just—it's yeah. over." At that point. Yeah. Um, um, the
4: thing that okay. it made me think of, and it's so minor, uh, and it's a news outlet that I do not revere. But all every time um, one of these media organizations found a way to like rise up. It made me think of those uh, banner headlines that CNN does where it says, like, Trump claims three million undocumented voted in California. Yeah. He's not tr- saying the truth, or he that's not true, or Trump claims he won however many electoral votes. He didn't. And it's always that parenthetical at the end. Yeah. And it's not just funny, shady. Like, it's a
3: it's true public it's service. Just, yeah. It's important. Yeah. Yeah.
4: And it's CNN. I know. Like what? What? Where, where are
2: we? Well, I mean, that whole report of the—they have this huge, um, you know, editorial that kind of harkens back to like how he did his format for Carrie, where they list like the LA Times has like that whole, um, mm. you know, the front, page, the, the front spread. page spread about like the truth about Captain Trips and like the government that's suppressing things. And I—I I gotta be honest, like, this book has never felt more impressive. Yeah. Like I mean, yeah. it, it's just—and what's
5: funny about that is, I mean, the military and the government. in This book, they start to try to blame other countries yeah. for the virus. Well,
0: to the point where they actually released the other virus. And the, in and the like country. Europe, yeah. Like, and that, that's what's funny because yeah. when, when I was younger, I, I always thought like, oh, everything's fine in the rest of the world because I think I, I don't because it's kind of yeah, subtle. It's it's very, subtle. It's it, subtle. It's touched Because it's a code name, right? Yeah. So do this thing yeah. and so, and now you're, now you're like, oh no, they wipe out the rest of the world which also brings up I always wonder, like, is there another stand to be written that happened in like yeah. Czechoslovakia or something? Yeah. You know, I think that could be cool. Well, like,
4: presumably the virus spread too, right because they didn't know to stop people from getting on airplanes. Yeah, yeah, no. yeah that's that's yeah. true too.
0: But, but I wonder if like how many overseas survivors there are because yeah. that yeah. the in a weird way, although the stand is the sprawling epic, it is still very localized. I mean, Definitely. America is only a small part yeah. of the world, and it's um, and then if, and then eventually we boil down to these two locations. And Glenn Bateman says this at one point, like there. Aside from Boulder and Las Vegas, where um, you know which are the camps everyone's kind of drawn to in the wake of this, there have to be like other isolated people throughout. the yeah. and there knows. are, so, which yeah. is
2: part of the play chapter is like that yeah. we get to see, and conceivably night sh- night surf. Yeah, know, yeah exactly. That? Yeah, and that's what's always been interesting to me um, about this book is that the the kind of corollary events that are happening because it's like you know I imagine the majority of the survivors are seeing you know the dreams by you know Flag or Abigail but one of the things I was thinking about while reading this is well would I be drawn to the dreams or why I just think it's hubbub you know like because like what yeah. if what if you what if you, were, what if you actually were the only one in your town which you know clearly what if I mean Franny didn't know Harold yeah. they might not have actually encountered each other mm-hmm. and she might have just thought that she had like these kind of crazy lucid dreams like you know if you didn't have someone else to be like hey I have those dreams also they're like kind of just wandering around. Like, 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 clearly Tom Cullen
3: wasn't going to go anywhere. Yeah. Oh, no. You know? like, no. Well, he was afraid to leave the town. We'll get no. out there in the next book. But, I, I, you know, another theme for me, I think, that's, that's, that's really interesting is the idea yeah. of creating a new... Like, you know, in the apocalypse, you become a new person. Yeah. Like... When everybody's gone, you are allowed to reinvent yourself because nobody's, you know, you don't have to worry about money. You don't have to worry about uh, relationships and family and status and all this stuff because, you know, you're untethered. And I think that's a theme we see uh, throughout a lot too. And Larry's character and Harold's character, Harold, we see people like reinventing themselves in the apocalypse. And I think we see, we see sort of a beautiful, like one of the main, one of the main stories I love in book one is Nick Andros's whole journey, oh, yeah. uh, just showing up in uh, this small town in Arkansas, Getting the shit kicked out of him, but then finding a community that he cares about and people he cares about, and, and that's a job. Pre, and that's pre-play. Yeah, yeah pre-play. Yeah. And that's and just then, a, a and sheriff then, and his wife and yeah, a doctor. Really. Five
0: yeah. hours.
4: <laughs> yeah,
3: exactly. And it's so short Sad. and contained, but it tells such a lovely story about this guy, this wanderer who is just exploring the world, looking for meaning. And he gets this job out of nowhere, and that's because of the play. But you know, but he gets this job uh, and seems to be building a new life for himself in that town. And the plague sort of ruins that, you know? And it's like, but in a way, you were seeing somebody find their purpose, you know, after wandering and then losing it so quickly again and then having to find this other purpose, you know?
4: And I was really caught up in paying attention to who actually finds time or makes space for that sort of process. Like, particularly thinking about the contrast between uh, Nick taking the time... To dress the Jane, is that her name? Sheriff's wife? Yeah, Jane. Um, Dress her in the dress she wore on her honeymoon and carry her body to the Undertaker and making all this time. And Franny just not knowing what the fuck, like, how long do I have before the body starts to smell? Mm -hmm. Um, I found that really compelling because sometimes you just don't actually have time to make space for these enormous feelings. And in a scenario like this, there's, I mean, there's a It's Sometimes you mine. don't even Never have the emotional
3: them. capacity. Like, doesn't Larry leave Rita's That's, body in the
5: tent? Yeah. Why well, I felt a really, really nice contrast was you have, you buck the stereotypes. Because you have a, a pregnant Franny mm-hmm. who's planning on raising the baby without, uh, what's, his, what's her loser boy? Jess. I Jess. Love yes. Jess, Jess, Jess Ryder. Jess, young, young Jess Ryder. <laughs> and you having her, granted, yeah, she's... She doesn't want the body to start decomposing and have that have to deal with that. But the fact that she takes the time, pregnant, is the apocalypse, to, to essentially lift her father yeah. Yeah. and take him down, the stairs, take him out to the, the grave that she dug herself and bury him. And you've got, you know, the stairs typically figure like, oh, the man will take care of his mother. And Larry, He's all he can do, he takes braced. her to a hospital, yeah. and like you, we were talking about before, this, and leaves her behind with a note. Yeah. And it's just a. I thought that was a really nice. Those were really great character beats that he gave yeah. mm-hmm. both those characters, in those small chapters in book one. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, we, we kind of just touched upon this as the the state of being like the state of mind, and I think Franny's chapter, although she does like rush and and, and get her the body out there and bury um her father in his garden, um she is not like on on like Earth. At that mm. moment. Yeah. I mean, what, what's great about that chapter, because, and we're going to talk about this in a second, with uh, stru- with regards to structure format, is that yeah. because King relies so, so like so much on point of view and like um, gets us into the eyes of the different character, we actually see her like going from like talking about the strawberry pie mm. Flies. to eyes. the flies to the to the knives to not even realizing that she's almost burning down her house. Yeah, and that just lets you know like. Yeah, she's grieving, but it's more shock yeah. than anything because she hasn't had any time. Like and r- she's you're fixated
4: like, on rhyming; like yeah, she realizes yeah. that all of her thoughts are rhyming, and she doesn't know yeah. oh, why. And, and,
2: and that's honestly, like, if I was going to talk about like the strongest writing in this book, definitely comes into that idea of that King really knows how to write the point of view of characters in this mm-hmm. book, and especially that's that is proven with these with through grief. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Well, he captures like you see how he wrestles, how everyone wrestles different things, but it's, it never is so, like, um, explicit. Mm-hmm. It's very inferred, and it's very, like, subtle, and, it, and that, for for me, while reading this, it felt very real, and like, you know, I think that speaks obviously to his right. Yeah, and I
3: think, like, the most potent, uh, expression of grief, because it's rooted in something so complicated, I mean, Harold is only 16 years old, And he hated his older sister. He felt like he was unappreciated by his parents and everyone. And, you know, part of him, like he says, he's like, part of him was glad that uh, all the kids who made fun of him died and he's still alive and everything. But then you have that moment where Franny comes to his house and he's out there mowing the lawn in a Speedo sobbing. It's like... What, like, he's doing this thing that he probably did for his parents that they made him do, yeah. mm-hmm. and he's, like, doing it, and he's out there because he's like, I have to maintain some semblance of norm of normality. And just the that moment where it's like he was so openly grieving uh, on his own, and the moment Franny saw him, he runs. I mean, also, he's almost naked, but he, like, <laughs> runs because he's like, I can't let somebody see me this way. Well,
0: and it, if you think about all the main characters in this book. And it's funny because I didn't realize this until this time I've read it. There's there are really only five characters that we are with completely before the play, or I guess right as the play starts one. in book one. Um and then afterwards, and that is uh Franny, Stu, Nick, Larry, and Lloyd. Because even Harold, like we don't yeah. meet Harold until after everyone's dead. So and that's have, through Franny. Exactly. Yeah. Franny. And so you had you have all these characters, and I think maybe maybe with the exception of Nick, but the rest of them they all sort of had this like fugue state they get into as this goes on yeah. because um larry has after rita's death and even even before that in the tunnel and then after Rita's death, he's just kind of wandering around not knowing what's going on mm-hmm. franny we just talked about stew is um captured by his Sarah. situation is different but yeah. he's still like even in that like escaping the hospital yeah. it's just this like panic yeah. and mm-hmm. and a lot of that comes from the situations they're in, of course. I mean, Lloyd also, you see him in the you know, prison, which actually isn't... That's more in book two, but this... Um, actually, that's they, all book one. Is that book one? Breaks, on the, yeah, yeah. No, Flag lets him out at the end of the So he, he's going nuts. No, so, so they're all going crazy just from this immediate situation they're in. But then if you also, like, pile onto that... So, like, yeah, they have like you said, they have time, like the luxury of grief, but then you pile on to that, the fact that literally, except for Franny and Harold, who know each other, still so everyone you know is wiped out. Yeah. Like, can you imagine can you imagine like, I kept thinking about that. Like if I, and, and it's funny, I love how like when we're all thinking about this stand, we all think of ourselves as being one of the immune ones when you're out and oh we, we, we probably I, we did. No, we probably did. Yeah, oh yeah. I'm a cannon fodder. Yeah. I'm a total <laughs> Are yeah. you kidding? That yeah. actually, I'm uh, that actually yeah. makes <laughs>
3: for a, that makes for a great transition to our next section uh, where we're gonna talk about structure and format. are actually structured very differently. And uh, what you just said about how we kind of are limited to the perspectives of a very select group of characters in the first book, um, I think that that is, you know, uh, I think section. I think the first book yeah. You know, we focus on those main characters but then when we break from them we're usually looking at a larger mm-hmm. look
0: like a series yeah. of vignettes about oh, the Oh and world. I should say um, characters that live because like, obviously we see Starkey and Creighton and some of the yeah. net people but they're all dead. Well Creighton you never know but the rest well, of them Starkey, are Well
2: Starkey yeah. Starkey and we'll talk about that because yeah, yeah. that stuff's good. But. Well what I would say is the core difference in terms of um, structure and format and just writing in general from book one from book two and
1: three
2: is that we're, this appears to be more showing versus telling. Yes. Because we don't have, like, Glenn Bateman. I mean, he doesn't show up until the very end of this chapter. Yeah. Or this but book. Cool. Um, and then, you know, we we don't really have... We're not going through, like, M- Mother Abigail's, like, 108 years of history. Oh, boy. Yeah. Um, we're just kind of, like... <laughs> yeah. We're just kind of, like, tossed into the point of views. And so we're kind of just seeing wh- what they see. Vignettes and is of a good that, word Yeah, theory. vignettes is, 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 is a perfect way.
4: Well, and you also don't realize until somebody coughs or sneezes... Or, in other cases, just until they take action, that you're spending time with a character who's just going to go away. Yeah. Right? Like, I think by focusing so much on the character perspectives and then yanking those characters out so mercilessly, it does a much better job of creating mm-hmm. the world mm-hmm. and doing world building than just narration could ever, ever do. Yeah, like, like Speaking, dad, speaking like, of Starkey... Yeah. Um, When he goes to the fucking soup room... Yeah. Yeah. Uh, That's uh, incredible, but you don't actually... Like, you know that this is an end of some sort, but you don't really know how or why, and there's no indication, having read it for the first time, that that's a character that's just going to go away. Yeah. Um, Because he
0: is... He never gets sick. He may have been immune. We don't know. No,
4: he just... He'd obviously been hunkered down, and you have no idea if he would actually catch it. There's no sneeze, there's no cough. He yeah. just puts a bullet in his.
5: What's the aspect of you know because he's still he's still separate from everything happening because he sees that person with their head in the soup, and slowly but surely, I mean, it may represents him losing his mind in a way because yeah. he, he desperately just wants to take that head out of that soup, and yeah. so then he goes down there finally. You know, that's it. We'll call and it soup just... cake. <laughs> no, not it's not the, not it's not the, not the not fucking grossest thing. Because there's nothing soup sexy about, about it at all.
2: No. <laughs> there's a lot of patience that king yeah, has here, yeah. you know. I mean, he like Starky's not even introduced until 33 pages in. Mm-hmm. I mean, he doesn't. The virus isn't, uh, you know, even titled um, until even, uh, I think, for even further than that. And and, and so there, there is like he lets the details kind of draw yeah. itself out. Obviously, Double Day wasn't a big fan of that, but thanks, <laughs> <laughs> You know, thanks. But but, yeah. I, but I think that patience is 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 key uh, for this book specifically because it's so much world building and. I mean, honestly, by the end of this, even though I would say even halfway through, it felt so lived into me. Like, nice. I, I, I totally believed, like, every situation in every setting that I was being thrown into because we're really, I mean, just, you know, Salem's Lot was a big, you know, world-building world, world, world novel, but, like, not to this degree. No. I, that, mean, I mean, that, that was, was, that insane. was, like, that was town building. Yeah, it's this, town building. Is, yeah. this is country <laughs>
5: building.
2: I mean, It's crazy.
4: Uh, You know, it actually feels a little bit like um, a really great showcase for King's abilities as a short story writer, because so many of these could stand alone and be really compelling. Whether or not the character reappears, I just, like, you could take that Starkey chapter out, put it somewhere else, and you would know everything that he gets fired, Mm he go, you would find out about the sickness, and... It, oh, it's, it's funny because if you
0: took that Starkey's death, if you took that, again, yeah, isolated it as its own short story, you would even get... I mean, it would, it would be the best kind of short story because he, he goes into the bunker and it, it, you would almost like get the disease revealed for you because he goes into all these dead people. You, he describes how sick they look. He finds that note that said... Um, oh, I have uh, it written down. What is it? I, now you know now you know it works. Any questions? Exactly. Both. So so that that would be like the reveal, and that is so it's funny, yeah. you, you really could do that I with really like probably most of the chapters, and, and a big structural difference between book one and and books two and three, and th- and this was actually a bit of a challenge for me once I got to books two and three this time around, is book one, I mean all the chapters and the sub chapters, they are so short. Yes. And it's just keep and, and King keeps like if he had a camera, you know, it's, like, kind of zooming out in the country. Yeah. He'll do these chapters where he kind of, like, goes throughout all these different towns. He'll zoom in. He'll zoom in even further. And he doesn't do that the rest of the book. The rest yeah. of the book is, like, 50-page sprawling chapter on Larry. 50-page sprawling yeah. chapter but on But you got to
2: pay attention to all of it, too, because he has yeah. great callbacks. Like, for example, like, when you hear about, like, the power station that exploded, and then you find out later on that actually Flag was there, yeah, like, with the people <coughs> to, to oh, kind Oh, of that's right, it. yeah. Which is kind of interesting. It's, like, I, I love he has so much fun with that. I mean, he even has, it kind of gets a little too much fun. Because there, there's, like, I think there's at like, one point where like, somebody mentions like, strawberry
0: pie or something and, it, and then it cuts to the next chapter. It's strawberry like, well, it's rhubarb sta-. pie and yeah. then strawberry it's, it's pie. It's where uh, Larry yeah. makes it for Rita yeah. and then it cuts to Franny. It's, a little, it's yeah. a little on the nose. And
2: like, um, and so it's, it, I, I love that um, in, in, in the sense. And then he gets playful so like, I think at one point like, uh, I think Francis is like, well, it could be worse than being in a tunnel with ghouls or something like that. And then it obviously it's <laughs> back to
4: like, you know, everything. Um, so. What was our last ranked story for night shift? I don't remember what was dead last. Um, the sometimes they come back. They come so, back. so I want us to, st- I'll go to we dot org. I'm going to start. It'll be dead. The site's going to be gone in 15 minutes. But I'm going to go to <laughs> weavepeople.org and I'm going to start a petition to replace. Sometimes they come back with just the Starkey's death chapter, be <laughs> a night shift, and then night shift will be a perfect book. What yes. would we call it?
5: Starkey's last soup or something like
1: that?
2: Oh
4: no! But oh. even
2: at a micro level, his short stories Sippy. are great. Like like you know, I know that these were cut um, from, or these actually just weren't in the original. Which cut, is crazy like, to me
5: because we'll get to the um, the, the graveyard chapters. because the plague chapters for me are just, yeah. But there's a lot of short stories in that also. Amazing. So yeah,
3: basic. Yeah. So basically, what we're referring to there's kind of two. Chapters that really stand out to me toward the end yeah. as a uh, book one as uh, like a series of vignettes that paint a larger portrait. I know there's more, but uh, uh, there's two main ones that I'm thinking of, and one is sort of what we discussed earlier with like Ray Flowers, the um, the radio DJ. Basically, all the different ways that there's military coups happening, there's rebellions media. happening, um, and then the other one we'll t- talk there are more. Three, d- it's oh, crazy. is there? So it's just like the book, like or like how it's aligned. It's the
2: are three of them. Like I think like there's one on e- page eighty three, which Basically shows how the the people first get it, mm-hmm. um, and mm. then two fifty one is most right. it's, it's a lot about like how um, the people are dying, but then also the press uh, that's that's yeah. involved in that, and then four twenty five is the, is great because that's just how like the people that did survive, yes, like, are, which is like, an it's, amazing, the,
3: it's the after the fall, yeah, yeah. and um, yeah. I guess like I actually had a listener reach out to me on Twitter and ask me, he's like, are you guys going to talk about how the vignettes kind of work to paint a larger portrait of the world and I was like I was like absolutely and I another thing that stands out to me about them like we were talking about short fiction but what I love about like those little uh, bits in the vignette chapters, they're, like, works of flash fiction because they're yeah. usually, like, yeah. page long. Yeah. But he develops so much character. Like, the one about the woman who is so afraid to leave and she finds a gun in the basement and then, mm-hmm. like, she runs out and immediately just mm-hmm. starts, like, like, tries to shoot one of the guys on the street and then the gun explodes and it kills her. Like, that is such a short little bit and I have so much... Like, I understand that character. Well, it's, it's like, a, it's like, like a, a Canterbury tale. Oh, uh, No really Great
0: Loss. Play. Yeah, and No Great Loss becomes this... That I mean, that's almost mantra. like a microstructure itself,
5: yeah. So two things. Um, what I loved about the vignettes is they reminded me of my favorite sections in Salem's Lot. Yeah. Where they would just kind of go, after you're introduced to Ben Mears and Susan and everybody else, every once in a while you have those chapters where, and here's what happened to the town overnight. Yeah. And it's silly, but surely the town disappears. And so you've got these bursts in here. And but what, what sticks out to me the most in these vignettes is there's during one one of the you know the, the, the military's going crazy and they're killing everybody and the one of the agents is head. on the yeah yeah and then one of the agents is on the phone and he just says out of nowhere things fall apart the center does not hold yeah and then they ask him repeat that and he goes nothing yeah and that that that's
0: the book yeah right there it's a great uh, roots album yeah and it's <laughs> also uh, things uh, fall apart <laughs> it's also a good Chinua Achebe novel which mm-hmm. is the original source of that Well fashion. and, it's, it's, and it's a great
4: <laughs> Yates poem I, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's actually probably right. Point is is is
0: the is the the second coming is the poem. Great Sopranos episode by the way. Yeah. Um no. but is uh is is the line things fall apart from from that from Yates is the from the It's now? in that Starkey yeah. chapter. Yeah. Yep. I thought <laughs> it was from a Chubby Checker song. Yeah.
3: Yeah, um, really I like Chubby Checker. You know what it I actually Checker's though.
4: That what a lot of those then yet chapters made me think of actually was um Slaughterhouse Five? Yeah. Mm. And the like constant refrain of So It Goes, the where it's like a like a pencil breaks and that's so it goes, and then an entire town of people dies and that's so it goes. Yeah. yeah. Deaths are sort of equal. No great
0: loss. Well he Definitely. does he does start to um and this goes away a little bit as well, not completely, but it goes away a little bit in books two and three. The because of the structure, the kind of constant zooming in and zooming out and showing Both the micro and macro levels of tragedy, Mm -hmm. more or less. He, it's weird because King, in my opinion, is one of the most compassionate writers in terms of like how he sympathizes with his characters and humanity in general. And he he seems like just a writer has an an incredibly big heart. But what I love in these chapters is that he also, like, the No Great Loss or whatever it is, he he gets very clinical about how people are dying. Because I think you have to, when you're writing about the apocalypse and you have this whole first book, which is as long as like a normal book would be. Like dedicate to the, how how the world ends, you you do have to like you can't have this like overwhelming amount of sympathy for yeah. every single minor character. The vignettes yeah. are written like you said,
3: very clinical, very sterile style. Like he's literally just reporting the news. Yeah, you know? yeah, no,
0: that's a great way to put it. I mean, yeah. the one that haunts haunted me, really haunted me, is uh, I mean, they all that that I means probably one of my favorite chapters in yeah. the book is the the guy who um who started going running to get his cholesterol yeah. down, and he talks about he had like what well,
2: Wanted to die. Yeah, and and
0: then because he was raised Catholic, he couldn't because he lost his wife and kids. Yeah, he couldn't bring himself to like kill himself. So he essentially runs himself to death. Yeah, and like I mean, subconsciously, I guess. But but and it talks about he's actually like in a good mood when he dies. Then because he's so like thank God. Well, because if you commit suicide, according to the Catholics, according to Dante's Inferno, you become a tree that uh,
2: continues to be chopped by. Kind of nice. Yeah, well, if you're tell I'd rather be a tree than. Would you
5: recommend Catholic school for any parents out there? Uh, Absolutely, (laughs) it's a
2: great experience. I mean, I I particularly loved my first year when um, our headmaster had to be transferred by the Archdiocese of Miami because he had uh, tried to uh, pick up a former student in one of the parks. In our town, because he was uh, trying to get some. So, hot as hell. You know, well, really, you know, really, really hot. Know. Yeah, he was a great guy. Um, uh, principal Heller,
5: good guy. You with principal Holleran? Heller. Oh, I thought you said Holleran. Dick Holleran. Yeah, Dick, Dick Holleran yeah, yeah. is Mike's oh, oh, school yeah. principal. Um, yeah, right?
3: <laughs> yeah, like, but the other one that sticks with me, like, we, you guys just mentioned it, but the woman who goes in the freezer, yes. like, yes. Uh, oh, 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 and oh, yeah, then oh, she, like, That, slowly that slowly is very canterous. up in slow. the apocalypse. Like, that is horrifying. Like, the idea of, like, dying in such a torturous way. Like, I don't know. And well then she's then, an and awful then, person though. Yeah, I know. So. And then the little girl who dies falls in the well Ugh. and then nobody can save her. It's like Well the bike, the bicycle. Yeah. The bike, you bring, yeah. It's all those are so good. Um We can go on and on about when, that. I know for when I seconds. was when I was a kid, uh speak going back to sort of like the, the rebellion sort of chapter in a way, uh or like, you know, the um well, the, the destruction of the media and of the people, but also the rebellion of the people. Like, I think we all sort of read this when we were young and there was something really shocking about the chapter where the guys show up in wine closet at a news station and just start yeah, shooting like, everybody. Yeah. And like, how did that, how did that chapter resonate as, as <laughs> Here's a the bit thing. Bit. <laughs> I'm saying like, as, yeah. like, because we read this when we were kids. Yeah. So right. like, that's such a, yeah. like reading it now, it actually is a really ugly um, kind of horrible chapter for me he in a lot it.
5: of ways. I mean, yeah. Justin, you go first, but I think oh, we For all have to me, um, yeah, it's very. Do they have to be in loincloths? You know, like that. Well, you know? he makes
0: but, a point to say that they're they're all black, and oh, I guess and I guess there would
4: be. We read it this morning.
5: It's the Negroid, you know. Uh, he, it, he would, it, to it, me. It, it's a it, 70s trope that he keeps bringing up, like Negroid lips and things right. like yeah. that, you know.
4: On a, um, like a removed intellectual level, it was a good reminder for me. That even the most progressive figures in our culture can, without realizing it, be uh, reinforcing or um, fall victim to incredibly damaging stereotypes. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Um, because it's it's not that in a post-apocalyptic future that people of all races wouldn't turn into monsters. Because oh, people, yes. they would, right? Yeah. like there would be monster. It would like it's the. Perfect future. Monsters of every race, color, and creed. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Uh, it's the only time race is fucking specified, in all book yeah, yeah. one yeah. anyway. And, and then it's off. like black, 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 black with surprisingly yeah. straight white teeth. Yep. Yeah, and yeah. the loincloths and grinning, and the like. They're all their bodies are huge. There's it stands out
5: because again, if was this were,
4: in the original or was this added? Was you this see, that's the material? thing.
5: Because a lot of these, a lot of this stuff was added back into the uncut version. I don't know if this particular instance oh, was, but well, a lot of the shorts that we're talking about, the bursts. We're not in the '78 version. It's also so,
2: kind of a problem when you have like no black characters. I that's know. the yeah. point. Yeah. If there was that's a larger... Well, because there's
4: there, so far, there is absolutely nothing in here that means that I can't imagine Franny, for example, as being any skin color. Which right? is yeah. That's like what. there's there's nothing. That says otherwise. Like but I when he just specifies her, it, right? they don't like oh, it. Yeah, totally. Yeah, it's just. So ugh. the tone
2: changes. The tone changes. Like, the way they say things and you know the the dialect and it's it's so and very it's like, hard. and that's it's something, honestly. And
5: that's something in terms of the dialect. That's something that. If we're being honest, Randall and I can definitely test you. You can't do that. It haunts King to this day, just yeah. in terms of like even the Mister Mercedes book, yeah, yeah, and the young African American man. Mister
0: Mercedes. It's funny because he's. They try he's, to like say,
5: "Oh, this is supposed he's to, he's be to be
0: the problem." Is the Mister Mercedes like he had? What's that character's name? Jerome. Um, Jerome. Jerome. You know, Jerome. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the, the problem is that, like, I like I like that Mr. Mercedes. He just has a character who happens to be black and is in like an Ivy League school and whatever, and that's yeah. great. And he does not, for the most part, does not write Jerome in this like vernacular that no. he kind of like. But he has a character. To. Exactly. Yeah. So what the problem is like he he I almost feel like he's trying to atone for how he wrote black characters yes. in the seventies with Jerome. But instead of just letting it be like, oh, cool, he has like a. And
5: because the kid, Jerome's really, really smart, he he's, he's the go to But guy. then
0: he has, them- he has him drop into this alter ego where Jerome it's takes like on Jerome- this, or purposely, like Amos and Andy kind yeah. of like, oh, like like, like-, like you're, so- you're so messed up, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And Bill oh, Hodges sure. does it yeah. too. And, and-, yeah. and-, 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 and K- I think that's King's way of trying to atone for him, be like, no, look, I'm making fun of that, and it's. I and I, I, we 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 about this like every episode. I don't, for one second, think that Stephen King is no, like not a racist guy. No. They, he's always been very progressive. I think he,
4: He's he, an old guy, and he and yeah. he does this.
0: He does the same thing with with gay people sometimes too. Like he well, has and with women. Yeah, yeah, he has a. Uh, there, I just read the bizarre bad dreams, and there's this story about like a car that eats people. That's not Christine. Anyway, uh, we'll get to that later. <laughs> but he has a gay character in it. And rather than just having a woman who happens to be gay or just not mentioning her sexuality at all because what doesn't matter really, he has he makes her just this like butch lesbian who has all these horses. And and yes, of course. <laughs> there are lesbians who like like to dress in mean, in quotes like traditionally like men or whatever else. It's it's not to say that the there are not there are not women who who dress a certain way or like cut their hair a certain way or whatever else but like he just doubles down sometimes yeah. on like... It's a forced way to illustrate the point. He's trying to show how sympathetic he's like no, no, I'm having... The, I'm, I'm being diverse. I'm being diverse but he draws such attention to it sometimes um, that it, it becomes yeah. a little troubling and, and, and with the stand with that... Going back to that radio or the uh, news station sequence and once again I don't even have a problem in the book with there being different racial factions that start going against each other because that would certainly happen in Apocalypse yeah. too yeah. but like you said it, it goes back to that... It's a bunch of black guys going against each other. He calls out their teeth. He They're in loincloths. It's like he goes so far. And there's the only
4: an audience full of white people. Exactly. That's, that's the but, problem.
0: But then also, who are the other
2: black characters in there? Oh, you have the rat man who <laughs> ends up dressing up like some... A pirate. WWF superstar. <laughs> and then you have Mother Abigail who could not... Uh, we have a whole... We'll talk look about We'll yeah, say Mother but, Abigail. But, but, yeah, but there's
5: something else I want to say about that segment that I actually like in terms of the narrative. One, it reminded me of... Um, have you ever, has, everybody, has everybody here seen Network? Yeah, yeah. I, I have not. Been it reminds me of the whole malicious segment uh-huh. in which reality TV. Yeah, turns the malicious into thing I love. I think yeah. that's cool. And also, um, when Franny's watching it, and she doesn't think it's real because it looks so That's surreal. Yeah. Yeah. That's good too, yeah. I just wish they had avoided avoid it for well, well, and if you had
4: removed that chapter and she had just been watching a, a program that she didn't believe was real, but we, the readers, recognize that she's in shock and so it probably yeah. is, mm-hmm. that would have been enough for me. Yeah. Like, I didn't need... To, just the racial fetishism. Let's, you know, fetishes. let's, oh, fetishes. let's yes. not call them characters. They're not. They're the set pieces. The
2: characters. Yes. And, well, to your point, they actually do that in the miniseries. They, yeah. They, oh, they, they, they change yeah. up one of your favorite chapters that you mentioned before, Actually, is amazing. the Ray Flowers one yeah. replaces that? Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. so they're listening Ray to the flowers. radio, and then they're thats
0: when she's like, "Oh my gosh, what's going on?" Yeah. It, so
4: like a reverse War of the Worlds where she thinks it's fake and it's actually real? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's awesome. I, I will—I will
0: say this. I'm—I'm uh, I'm rereading the comic series for the adaptations episode, and Randall's reading it too. And I, Mike, you've read it before, I know the comic. Yeah. Right? I will was say this. Fan, but um, yeah, well, oh, the no. art. I like the right just The art. You're gets, not a big fan. Of the artwork It's too hyperbolic for me. I will say this about the comic. Now, it would have been cool to, ma- to, to like maybe right, see. Like, like, yeah, there's starts, like, like, everyone's kind of like a hungry Randall Flag looks like, like he like belongs in like um, that that Metal Opo- Metalocalypse like, <laughs> show on Cartoon Network. I, I like the artwork, but I will have words yeah. about that later. But uh, <laughs> the, I think this is telling though. So the comic was actually was adapted was like five years ago, maybe something. Mm-hmm. So a lot later than the uncut version. Uh, it would have been nice to see the comic just be a little bit yeah. more diverse in terms of like and also not look like a corn video. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> stop it, stop it, stop i have to bring in corn.
2: It's every every episode reference. And I gotta say, the comic book looks like uh Paul <laughs> the leader uh you know, to a, t a I
0: I, I disagree. I think it well corn was in the nineties. I was gonna say I think the comic looks very nineties. Yeah, better. yeah, right. But anyway, in the comic, um, you know, it would have been nice to see in the comic, and then maybe make some of the characters just a little bit more diverse in general, but I will say it's telling that the comic takes out that scene, the loincloth scene. Like, the comic includes so, pretty much everything from the book, but they take out they oh, take out the loincloth great. scene, they take out Larry's line that Brown sounds short sure to do get around. Yeah. You know, they, I think it's, um, I, I think it's telling that from a, whatever year that was, 2011-2010 perspective, that... And King was involved with the comic. He's like the executive producer on it. Like, I think it's telling that they sat down and they obviously had the conversation of like, you know what, we don't need to put the one cloth thing in there. We don't need to make Larry talk quite this way. And 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 we do. Ha- I think it is important to take context into consideration. Once again, King was still more progressive than a lot of writers. Oh, totally. His time. Oh, yes, yes. Totally. Would never disagree. Yeah. And, and
4: I think, like as an example, I don't think the fact that there's the he's got like. Tarantino's weird fetish I can't ever say that word again either (laughs) right (laughs) I I don't think that that um, diminishes his incredible female characters or some of the more feminist moments in his writing Mm -hmm. but you have to acknowledge both like you take the good with the bad and that's the whole picture
5: and to his credit like you said about how he kind of reworked the comics and, Mm -hmm. and he oversaw that we're all writers here. If we look back on things that we wrote like seven or eight years oh, ago, yeah. I'm sure, obviously we didn't talk about people on loincloths, I hope, but I mean, wow. we would love to go back and change a lot of those things. Oh, and and yeah. the fact that he's able to accept the past and and, sh- and try to, you know, make good on the changes, then that's you absolutely gotta respect respectable. That. Definitely.
2: Well, now that we've kind of like built him up a little bit, I'm going <laughs> to back down again. Uh, I, I think that maybe not so much this book, and I think it's obviously more reflective in book two and book three, but even still there's some sections of of this book that he overwrites a lot yeah. like you know not in book one, I, one not so much in book one not so much in book one but he, he definitely does not in book two and three but there's still like moments in, mm-hmm. in, in book one where I'm just you know like he'll get he'll kind of go off on a tangent for a bit and it kind of kills the momentum a little yeah, little yeah I gets to that yeah, you yeah. Know? the
5: number one problem in that regard Mike for yeah. me the only chapter I would really take out a book one is was a book one a book, yeah. let me make yeah, a book yeah, one, a book <laughs> one. one. <laughs> let us go to book two Tonight's, later on. But one two episode is when Lloyd Henry meets with his lawyer in prison and they yeah. talk about yeah. they oh, talk about that. no Aww. it's so yeah. they talk about law in general they yeah. talk about what's going to happen to
3: him I don't know I think it's, just, hate it's way too long I love Lloyd way too long. So, so I love the character and I wanted more from him I do agree that the chapter derails from the intensity of the book but it's like any more time I can spend with Lloyd I'm happy about
4: I as Speaking again from my like fresh as the driven snow perspective, (laughs) um, I had a couple of chapters where I thought, well, I got the point five minutes ago. And and I think normally he's really good at figuring out when he can say just enough. Um, Like, as an example, the first two chapters, uh, my limited impression from the old internet is that the first chapter where you see Campion leaving the base with his wife and baby um, was not in the original edition oh really is that right actually i think that is true yes that is true really so i think that's a fine chapter but then i imagine the book starting with the men at the gas station Mm. seeing a car going 15 miles an hour down the road and that's so much more scary and evocative to me
0: because they don't you don't know right like i
4: don't need to know i don't want like i i think that particularly when it comes to things that are supposed to be Hmm. unsettling The less you know and the more you can piece together yourself, the better. So, speaking to specifically like the uh, marathon chapter about the magic of the American Free Press, um, I could have done with maybe the Studio Six Revolt or the LA Times, or the right, like maybe even like two of them. But I'm not sure I needed all of those and Kent State and the campus flyer and this K- and that. Kent and State
0: that. was a little much, too, because all the like, like on nose Kent with State. literal yeah. Kent State. Well, uh, yeah. But there's
2: also, like, these descriptions that are just like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> at ahead. one point, you know, on, on page 45, he goes, uh, um, he's talking about uh, Larry and his, his relationships. And, and Larry, you know, he, he writes... Afterward, Larry felt as if he had been through a long pillow fight in which all the pillows had been treated with a low-grade poison gas. Like, what? <laughs> like, come on. It's just stupid. He well, does like, have a lot of,
0: um, and this is still a tiny structure, because I think what we're talking about here is this pattern in the book, book one especially, like, it's, it's the camera thing again. You know, you, you meet a character, like for Lloyd, there's no reason why they couldn't just had that lawyer chapter happen in chronological order. But what happens is like here's Lloyd in a cell. Here's Lloyd thinking about this thing. Then yeah. he was thinking about this thing. So, but anyway, so um, I, I think like all the, our problems are, are tying back to that. And and specifically in those like inner thought monologues, he he does rely. Some of his metaphors and similes are great, but some of them like that, like you could have just said. You could have just said a pillow fight, or you could have just said poison yeah. gas, like doing that. But, he but he so here's one, one here. more example. One more example.
2: <laughs> I'm not, not going to go. I'm not going to belabor this, but I, but there is another one. Or he, he has she has he has this great. I'm going to read you a great bit of prose, and then I'm going to read you one afterwards. Oh, no. so She just went a little bit too far, and a lot of it ties back We're into ties back into his like <laughs> stingers and foreshadowing, which I usually love, and I'll read a really good stinger in a bit. But there's this one right here. It, it's just like oh my god, um, like. <laughs> There was something in Larry that gave you the bitter zing of hearing chalk screech on a blackboard. Deep inside, looking out, was only Larry. He was the only one allowed inside his heart, but she loved him. That's great, right? Yeah. Okay, then she follows up with... She also thought there was good in Larry. Great good. It was there, but this late on, it would take nothing short of a catastrophe to bring it out. It's just like. Oh, like I, I yeah, don't, we get it. Gee I, I, like, Yeah, I, I guess. I, I don't good. mind, I don't
0: mind that she thought there was good in Larry, because I think that. Yeah. I actually really. I like the thing they keep saying about Larry, about it. there's something in that's like biting on tinfoil. That's like really. Oh, funny. I love that line. I love yeah, that line. I love it too. But yeah. I do agree. It, it, it's always. It's never like he goes a whole. Well, I'm, for the most part. It's never like he goes a whole chapter too far. It's always like little, one little line. It's And we'll, uh, we'll get to this in pound don't, cake, some pound cake. And i like, but can't wait to some pound cake.
2: This isn't hyper, hyperbole, but I, I swear to God, if you took out all those, you, you'd cut at least like 50 to 100 oh, pages. Oh, easily, in man, book, Especially e- in book two. Even okay. with like, like
0: pound cake, which we'll get to in a bit, there hmm. there some of those scenes I actually think would be, I mean, pardon the word, I don't mean to be gross, but they would be kind of like good like hot sex scenes right which is important in a book like yeah. this I think but then he always just adds that little capper that just makes it like ugh we'll live it there we've got oh, we've there's got so plenty. many book too this, but this anyway is, this is
2: the list of pound cake that we're going to get to right <laughs> yeah. all our reactions yeah. here will listeners just, this takes up at least should we rank the pound cake yeah, like, you know. <laughs> no that's oh, no. book one just book one <laughs> I like
3: bass Crotch is all we oh, have yeah. right there oh god like, there's wait. a lot of I mean. there's a lot of fun can't wait so form and structure any other thoughts here I, you
2: know, I, Here's the thing. I, I, one of the things I love l- looking at, and especially as we're reading from the beginning and going forward, is kind of seeing how King puts himself in there a little bit and puts like these little subtle jabs. And there's one that I really loved um, that uh, he does on 299. Uh, uh, page 299 when he's talking about Harold what edition is that Mike? Um, this the, is the this. Uh, newer one it's like the the recent one that I, I mentioned with the 1945 poem. Yeah, put the dead audience <laughs> on this but, on but uh, no there's, he, he goes uh, when, he, when Fran's discussing um, uh, Harold which is really just King playing the omniscient uh, narrator um, basically saying Harold edited the Algonquit High school literary magazine and wrote strange short stories that were told in the present tense or with the point of view in the second person or both. And it's like yeah. just little things like that. It's like like King coming in and being like, "God, I hate people." That King that. puts a lot of himself in. And her- Oh, wow. absolutely. Yeah. Can I? Uh, yeah.
0: Can I say? I'm, I, I know I'm jumping ahead a little bit. But can I say I, I discovered this on my own? I don't know. I haven't yeah. looked it up to see if anyone else has discovered it, but. Uh, yeah. Speaking of Inspector Underwood, who we'll get to, uh, <laughs> oh. Inspector Caffrey had a little bit of fun <laughs> in this book with uh, with one Stephen oh, King's God. father. So, oh. first of all, his dad's name is Donald. Oh, I'm <laughs> no, I don't it's very similar to Trash Can Man's name. It was like Donald, like Trash Can Man, with Donald Albert. Oh, it it's is not yeah. Merwin, but it's very close yeah. to something King. It's right here. Now That's here is the. Uh, I'm, I'm actually going to try and find the. Uh,
2: While you're doing that, um, one thing I wanted to bring up was when you know King basically did the facelift for this book for the 90s. He also updated a lot of the 70s references. And what's funny is that. I don't know if maybe, you know, obviously didn't have the computers to really do the control and find and all these little, you know, 70s style things, but there are a lot of deep stuff in here. Like there's a lot of like, Neil Diamond is still a huge like singer-songwriter at the time. Um, There's like a discussion of like the currency at the gas station in the beginning that felt very like of the gas sort of shortage crisis that was going on at the time of the 70s. Um, There is, they they talk about how Hap just bought a color TV. Which yeah. like I don't think anybody. He, yeah, maybe lady. Arnett Texas in 1990 was struggling. Yeah, maybe. I mean, going into their local Radio Shack or uh, Brandsmart. I don't know if anybody remembers Brandsmart. Um, <laughs> but uh, but th- there is a lot of like little things like that, and, and also um, one thing that we'll get to is uh, the chocolate payday conundrum. That oh, was, I'm looking forward to talking about that. That'll, be, that was some interesting that'll stuff. be interesting. That'll
5: be interesting. A big time thing for me too, though, is it, I, Stu is somewhat young in the in the book. I think Youngish. He's like-
3: I right. think he's actually in his late 30s, right? Okay, but
5: still, yeah. they mentioned that he fought in the war. Hmm. Yeah. Now, that doesn't really... In, in, in 1990, that wouldn't... I don't know what war mm-hmm. he would have fought yeah. in. Whereas in 1978, oh, well, that would have made more sense. Because 1978, obviously Vietnam. For, but 1990... But not by if 90, he, though. Oh, right. Yeah. If he had been at the calculator factory for a while, they said. So I feel like... I don't yeah. know Different. what war I mean, he could about.
4: have... Sir, It's not like we don't have constant... American yeah, but I feel like when he wrote in 78 he was probably talking
5: about call a that's a Great good idea I didn't pick up an hour. you're war, you know? hey what can I say Pat myself on the back when I read that. <laughs> like, I, I can't wait to talk about this in four Inspector informal.
4: Gerber. Inspector Gerber. Well,
2: there's there's been a lot of like discussion online that because I researched this stuff because I'm I'm you know I'm, I love the 70s so I, yeah. like a you really wants to go back and read the actual 70s version. You're the grand that VH1 show. I love the 70s. I love the 70s. Yeah, I'd be sitting there and be like, thanks, Michael Ian Black. Um, I actually also loved uh, Fin Lizzie, but <laughs> um, I but the thing is, I I I think this story deserves uh, belongs in the 70s. Like I think yeah, he should have just kept it. I don't know why he don't just keep it I don't, it I don't like, know why he had to update it for the nineties. It makes no. I mean, it wasn't like he had to do it in anticipation for the miniseries or anything because that wasn't it's even strange, strange development Strange updates. Like. Uh,
0: Inspector Caffrey is back. Oh, he's, he's back. back. Okay, so <laughs> Stephen King's father was named Donald Edwin King, um, which is Donald Merwin Albert, yeah. whatever. Now there's this Mother Abigail chapter uh, where she remembers a traveling salesman. She says. Mm. It was surely the nicest house Mother Abigail had ever lived in, and sitting here on the screen-in porch put her in mind of a traveling salesman who had come around hemming for her home back in 36 or 37. Why, he had been the sweetest talking fellow she had ever met in her life. He could have charmed the birdies right down from the trees. She had asked this young man, Mr. Donald King, by name, mm. what his business was with Abby Fremantle, and he had replied, My business, ma'am, is your pleasure. Now, he keeps going on and everything like that. Now, you know, that's Stephen King's father's name, obviously, but... Um, here, is, here is where the, uh, the real kicker is um, So she keeps talking about him for, for like a little while And then she talks about him leaving How she didn't buy anything from him She says They had been deep in the depression then She hadn't even been able to raise 20 cents For hair ribbons for her granddaughter's birthdays And there was no chance for that Electrolux But say Didn't that Mr. Donald King of Peru, Indiana Talk sweet? My mm-hmm. She had never seen him again But she had never forgotten his nickname m- either She just bet he had gone on to break Some white lady's heart Now, Mm. Peru, Indiana is where Stephen King's father grew up. Wow. And so I think 36 and 37, I think that's supposed to be Stephen King's dad who goes on to to obviously break his mom's heart because his dad left when... when he was a kid. So yeah. Inspector Caffrey. Inspector Caffrey on the case. Uh, I know that doesn't tie very much to what we're talking about right no, now. No, but, but I, this, I, I, this I, I it's is what this podcast is about. I don't know if anyone online has found that yet, but uh, if they haven't, then I get uh, a couple sleuthing points. because <laughs> <Yes>. um, <laughs> You get a couple of pipes, and it uh, uh, will happen. Well, because I was just looking up things about Stephen King's dad, and I saw his name as Donald, and I was like, oh, a trash can man. And then when I came across that, I'm like, oh, man, he totally put his dad in the book, and his dad was apparently like this So he's like a merchant marine, just kind of like smooth-talking fellow. So um, I guess that's more King's Dominion, but uh, when the inspector finds a piece of information, he has to share. So,
5: yeah. We have a little bloodhound here.
2: And uh, mind you, he's actually like wearing like a little uh, hat from like the 40s. Right <laughs> De- it's Star, really right? weird. He Deer's never hat. takes it off. I know. He's always wearing he's got a little feather on his cap and everything. Three months for the
5: revelation. We don't really have
2: a section so, so much for this because we you know we talk about the scary stuff, but uh, I usually kind of throw this into the structure and form, and I've, you know, I've kind of been popping this in there since... I want to say Salem's Lot, but I did note some like really sharp writing that I really mm-hmm. loved, and like stuff that like made me pause. And again, I read, read it again, and you know, got really emotional, whatever. But <laughs> I noted <laughs> like I noted like a few places. I want to read just a couple of them. And, sure, yes, yeah, please. It, I, I, you know, we kind of like I was a little harsh on you know for, for, for this, even though I, even though I think book one is my favorite, is my favorite. Part I mean, the, book. the thing was, if
0: we didn't, you know, when I first read The Stand, I never noticed any of this stuff. I think because we're all such fans. And we read his stuff a lot. Yeah. You're obviously going to know his Yeah, proposal, oh,
5: yeah. You know? yeah. yeah. Um, We're being he,
0: honest. Well, what,
2: my first section I really loved is when uh, Larry actually comes back uh, to his uh, mother's house. And um, mm-hmm. it's on page 55, he says, uh, He, who is Larry, followed her past the vanished stone dogs and looked a little wildly at where they had been, just to reassure himself that they were really gone, that he had not shrunk two feet, that the whole decade of the 1980s had not vanished back into time. She pushed the doors open and they went in. Even the dark brown shadows and the smells of cooking were the same. Mm. And it's like
0: that's like it's so good. And that's so so simple. Like he doesn't even have to say, "Oh, the French toast smelled like uh, Mm -hmm. butter on the wind" or something. You know, it's like he just says the smell of cooking. It's it's great. I love it. it. And then he he also does this. He's really good at
2: building like kind of realistic characters and situations. And one thing I really liked is um, when he describes his mother uh, two pages later. Mm -hmm. Um, Larry's mother, King writes, uh, she sighed and took a roll of wintergreen lifesavers from her dress pocket. I'm not a lot more than twenty-one, and I feel it. Want one? She he shook his head at the lifesaver she had thumbed up. She popped it into her own mouth instead, and it's just like little like that little thing with the life state. it's just so small and insignificant mm-hmm. but it's it's it screams of like a mother like you mm-hmm.
4: know um, I had one chunk and it's more of a like a segment that struck me with the beauty of the writing too and it's um, uh, in chapter 10 when Larry wakes up after being asleep for 10 hours Um, And first his mother writes a note that's oddly formal. There's no love and there's Mm -hmm. no dear. But she suggests that they go to the Yankees game together. And then he opens the fridge and it's filled with all of his favorite food. And then he goes to the bathroom cabinet and there's a new toothbrush. Mm. Oh, God, I'm getting a little dusty just thinking about it. It's really, it's so simple. And it obviously affects him so profoundly. And it paints this incredible picture of this woman... I ju- it, it's just a, like an extraordinary. It, well, this is your first
2: time. Re- did you yeah. think? Did you have a feeling she was going to be? She was gone.
4: Yes. Well, I assumed pretty much everybody in the first book was going to die. Yeah. Like I, there, I got to a point when people kept getting sick and kept getting sick and kept getting sick. That once we got to Stu somehow being immune, I was like, oh, well, he's the one who lived then, and I once, just assumed yeah. everybody else was going and to. Die. Starkey
0: says. Starkey says. Pretty early on, it has a 99% communicability uh, rate, yeah. so, like, they kind of set it up that, like, that's why once you hear someone cough, they're yeah. done, you know? Did they ever,
3: uh, say, give a... I, I could have missed it, or maybe, uh, you know, it's just, like, it might just slip my mind. Is there any reason that's given for why people are immune?
0: No, because no, no. They, they... That's that's a big thing And about, that's in book three, they talk about yeah. that. Yeah. Well, and they... Yeah, Glenn and them talk a lot about the implications, and yeah, you know, that ties back to some of these destiny elements that we'll talk about with books two and three. Well, the two doctors but, at the very end address that very topic. That's the thing, but, yeah. So yeah, but so like, and in book one, because they even say they they actually while Stu is being held at Project or um sorry at the Center for Disease Control, mm-hmm. they inject to... him with the virus. Yeah, I remember. And they, that. And, but they can't see anything in his body as to why he's fighting it off, and um, it's like. It's funny because we've talked already about how book one doesn't go into such supernatural or faith territories. The other books mean, a little bit towards the end, especially with the flag chapter, which yeah. we'll touch on a bit. But they, I think some, I think the way the reasons for people being immune. That's, like, the biggest hint we get of, like, okay, some... It's not just that these people have a biological makeup that makes them immune. There's something going on here mm-hmm. that's, know, yeah. Well, it's
2: interesting, the more I think about it, because I just... I actually just finished reading, and at the end, they do mention AIDS, because, obviously, they, when they updated this for mm. the 90s yeah. thing, and the, when the two doctors are discussing how the um, virus interacts with the body... They talk about how it's very similar to AIDS and how it kind of keeps shifting around. You can get better for a little bit. And then yeah. yeah.
4: Um, I found the part that's my very particular favorite, and it's part of the reason is that it is nothing but periods and two commas. Mm-hmm. And I'm a giant punctuation nerd. <laughs> yeah, right? oh God, um, yeah. Especially what you can learn about a person based on the way they punctuate. I know that sounds stupid, but Wait, like, I just no. think it's really... We should really... talk about that later, because I punctuate
0: oh. a lot, and I wonder what that means about that. I do, too. I do too. Yeah. But is that is... going to, Vegas? I'm, I'm going going to, to say, Vegas? I'm going to
4: say when the commas are, okay. because it's so simple. The Yankees weren't in town he remembered that. His mother had gone to work when he woke up, but she had left a Yankee schedule on the kitchen table along with a note. Larry, as you can see, comma, the Yankees won't be back until July 1. They are playing a doubleheader the 4th of July. If you're not doing anything that day, comma, why not take your mom to the ballpark? I'll buy the beer and hot dogs. There are eggs and sausage in the fridge or sweet rolls in the bread box if you like them better. Take care of yourself, kiddo. There was a typical Alice Underwood P.S., most of the kids you hung around with are gone now, in good riddance to that bunch of hoods. But I think Buddy Marks is working at that print shop on Stricker Avenue. <laughs> it's just—I I love it. So it's just periods. Even the questions yeah. are periods, and then you get those two lonely commas, and it's just beautiful.
3: And that it has the—it uh, it kind of conveys the voice so beautifully. Yeah, yeah. it's just yeah. beautiful. Well, speaking yeah. of uh, you know uh, characters having voices. Uh, your transition. <laughs> not my just. best transition. I'm not on game. With you're it, really I, you're off. Your you you I really to,
5: try. honestly like
3: though the, the worse the transitions are the more entertaining.
4: So. <laughs> Wait, what about what about this as TNT would say <laughs> characters welcome? Oh, you, oh, need, like you, need to, you
0: need T-cut. to be like you need to be like I'm I'm standing in New York Times Square. <laughs> my eyes are closed. The, the tunnels right.
3: ahead. That's my favorite one. Oh man. Um, so uh, that leads us to a section. That we like to call zeros and villains.
0: I'm gonna have to kill this fucking clown.
5: Welcome to the losers' club, asshole.
0: Can I make a motion? No. Start with Larry Underwood. Underwood and maybe his mom, since we're talking about that. No. I think that's a great idea. Even from when I was a nine-year-old and first saw the miniseries, I Larry Underwood has just. Always been like the most interesting character to yeah. me. I I love that he, when this book starts, you don't quite know which way he's going to go, and he's never a bad guy, but he's just always kind of like he always knows what the right thing to do is to do, but he can't keep himself from doing the wrong thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just love that about his character. I love it. I, I won't go too much into books two and three, but like I love how we we just see him constantly fighting against himself, and especially with with his mom and uh, how we should. Talk about his mom separately because I think she's great too. But anyway, what, are you guys are you guys in the Larry fandom? I, my and favorite
5: character in the book. I'll, I'll, again, I'll try to stick it with, two book one, yeah. but it's Larry. Yeah. yeah, because throughout the entire book, despite everything that happens, he is still he's still such self doubt.
0: He's conflicted till the very yeah. end. And you've
5: got Stu, who is who goes through a lot. Everybody goes through a lot. It's the plague, you know. what I mean, but his degree of difficulty with not only trying to deal with the plague and deal with people around him. Is having to deal with himself, whereas I feel Nick has always been alone. Nick's always been alone. Nick knows who he is from the well, beginning. Franny's had a loving family, um, and she's just a strong woman who's gonna have, who has to deal with it. She's pregnant, especially,
2: yeah. you know? and she also out- outwardly states. That there should be order. There should be more out. So you already know
5: that yeah. she's good. You know who yeah. these
0: people are. Yeah. Stu's a loner. He's had a family, but he's he's he helps. Yeah. The first thing you know about Stu is that he helps someone. Well, yeah. I love
5: even again going back to the first time I read it. Something that really stuck with me, and somebody who also self, suffers from you know self doubt every once in a while <laughs> is the the you know nice guy Larry. Yeah, oh, yeah. And that's things like that when you hear, especially when you're younger, can really stick with you. Like this is the things I remember, like adults telling me when I was a child. That, that they probably just said it and don't even remember saying it, but I mean those things stick yeah. with you, and that obviously haunts him throughout the entire story. Yes. And so for me, Larry's flaws are so intriguing, and I just and that's I the really thing that he the entire does the whole book.
3: He, uh, he, he gives characters certain moments that they cannot let go for yeah. 1,200 pages. And, and, yeah.
0: and they're mostly from the pre. I keep saying pre-plague, but the plague is the beginning of the book. I mean, pre everyone dying. Yeah. For those, yeah. Apocalyptic for, moments. For Larry, it's
2: the Rudy story that, it's is that the, you know the friend that oh wait yeah oh. Like, well, the, well the the character that he said that he he owed like R- rudy like loan him money oh no he, said right. he paid okay, him sorry. back and that then you realize that as he's telling the story to us or to himself that he's like maybe I did, he's like well maybe i didn't actually pay him back oh you like, mean his you mean you know, the his, friend his, his he goes friend. he screws over What's yeah, nick
0: andrews's teacher's name is that rudy also I can't remember. Oh, I don't think so. I'm remember. probably wrong, but no, you're right. Like, yeah, because and, and but it's that the, like
2: that when he's sitting in it's it's when he's sitting in New York, um, mm-hmm. uh, Central Park, watching um, the watch monkey die. Watching yeah. the monkey die. Yeah, he's just like sitting there thinking about this in his head, and it just informs his entire career. And it goes back I to mean, what
0: you were saying about real something is catastrophic happening, and looking back on these squabbles you had with people, and like Rudy's probably dead now, right? Oh yeah. And, like yeah. and looking back on this and going. What was it like, 20 bucks or something like yeah. that? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's very similar to Last one in the Ladder, actually. Yeah. Because
2: he's like, he kept, kept saying, like, well, I could have done it. I could have, you know, reached back. I, but, but I, I did. did it. It was too and it's too yeah. late now. Well, what getting, gets yeah. me
4: about that moment is when he's talking about how afterwards he started thinking about all of the times they went to the movies and he was 25 cents short and they would go to a restaurant and he couldn't tip and they would do this and he was always just a little bit short and it was never a problem and would have added up to way more than $25. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. then what it happens to him,
0: he, like, has to, you know... And we, um... Not to name names, but, like, I, I think all of us probably have friends like that, you know, and it... it, it no, let's name names. No, no, <laughs> <you> no. <know what, laughs> let's <laughs> do it. No, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. Finally, we've got hundreds of listeners. I'm saying, let's do like, it. i just saying, like, it goes back to the idea of, like, how these... <laughs> these big events making you reflect on these kind of things. Like, at the end of the day, we're like, this is a world now literally where money and possessions do not matter anymore. And it's, like, mm-hmm. Larry's probably thinking, like, wow, I let literally $20 or whatever it was ruin my relationship with... who is probably, like, one of my biggest... Like, the thing with Larry is that he has people throughout his life like Wayne Stuckey and this Rudy guy and even his mom to an extent. Yeah. Who, they don't... His mom... His and mom, his, his mom's relationship is very interesting because I do think she's unnecessarily cold about a lot of things, but at the same time, mm. I do think she's rooting for Larry, and I think she's in his corner the entire book, and like the and, and the same thing with Wayne. He has these people who are like they're unique friends in that they know better, and they're not afraid to tell Larry the right thing to do, yeah. and that they do know better, and he doesn't listen to them until it takes an apocalypse like that. And where you, but what, what was your hmm about you?
4: Uh, I think that that Larry's mother Alice Mm -hmm. um, is subdued but I don't think I don't think she can read as cold to me yeah it's like some people are just not great at -hmm. talking about feelings no that's a good point but like the fact that she feels them is a I mean she finds him asleep in his car in front of her house and it's like a non-issue yeah, she I, all of the like the silence and the years of hurt and there's no anger and there's no guilt trip and she just that's a good point. sort of invites him she's, in and it's not warm but I wouldn't call it. And she's frustrated. And he, and he yes. did. And he hasn't. He hasn't exact. It's funny because in those New
0: York chapters, he has this like going back and forth between feeling very guilty about how he's treated his mother, but then also feeling like he's. It's like that Jay Z line in Monster by Kanye West, where he's like, "What." Uh, you know what my Achilles heel is? Love, I can't get enough of it, and I feel like that's Larry a little bit. Like, he, he in this weird way, blames his mom for not being more, like, openly affectionate to him when his mom was actually, like you are saying, I think he was like a good mom, right? Like, show yeah. don't tell. Yeah, exactly. It's great, man. was yeah. a show don't tell person. And, yeah, and then I could talk on hours about Larry. Well, I think Larry, <laughs> and,
3: and Larry's journey so, yeah. is, he has such a hard turn to mm-hmm. make. I mean, like, you look at Stu, and Stu is, you know, uh, he's a steadfast uh, good hearted
0: person well he's like
4: the John Wayne of the book from yeah. the second you he's it. the
3: yeah. hero although and he does
0: like prostitutes uh, quite a bit as we discover later well in the yeah but, but hey boys will be boys <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah, Allison rolled her eyes. Uh, yeah. Could you
5: word. hear it? I'm pretty <laughs> sure you could
4: hear it. For the
5: record, that was not yet. A i squeaking that was Allison. But
3: <laughs> I'll just say that, um, like, and then Franny uh, and, um, Nick and Ralph and Nick, they're all fundamentally good characters, I mm-hmm. believe. Like, although I love, I will just do a quick detour to say, I love in uh, Nick's past when he's telling the story about... Uh, when he first learns to write and the first thing he writes is fuck you. Nick Andrews, <laughs> fuck you. And, yeah, and, Ki- and King actually like, actually like, yeah, draws see out. The actual draw and it, like, the fuck you is so like, like, childlike. It's hilarious. Yeah. That's like one of my favorite. I remember when I was a kid yeah. thinking that was so funny too. But Larry, um, he's like the guy who's kind of inherently selfish. I love what you said about like, he's addicted to love and like, he can't, you know, it's like there is a selfishness there and he has that hard turn and you, and I think that his, re- it's like the, if, we're gonna get to the the film later, but it's you know it's interesting to say that in the film uh, the roles of Rita and Nadine are merged. Yeah, it's um, a composite character. It's a composite sure. character, which I think is is one of the the biggest failings of the film because. I think Rita is such an important character not just to the fabric of the book but to Larry's journey because Larry immediately when he meets her she's taken with him immediately and he is like this is a woman that will not only provide me companionship but she like worships me yeah. because like she makes me feel powerful and she's he- old <laughs> but she's like a, <laughs> I'm talk a second, right? but no but it's like but yeah. he he literally sees her as like this is like one of my fans in a way yeah like and he treats and he's so mean to her like he Helps her, but like, but like uh, that scene when he's not patient with her. He's not patient time. with her, like when she doesn't want to eat, and then he gets mad at her for not wanting to eat. And then um, she goes, okay, I'll eat, and he makes her food, and then she, like, immediately throws it up. And he's like, why did you eat if it was going to make you sick, you know? And she, and she tried not to. She's already. like, I told you I didn't want to, but you pushed me. And he, she's like, and you're right. She's like, oh, "She's always like, I'm so sorry, Larry. I'm so sorry, Larry. You're the best. You're the best. Yeah, at one point, she says, I'll
4: just do whatever you want.
3: I know, yeah. but, and that's why I think Larry, you know, he likes, yeah. he likes having that, and that makes him kind of despicable, even though what I like about Larry is that we're always with him throughout that. Like, he's never like a despicable person. And he overcomes it eventually. He does, but that's the thing is, it's the fact that she dies and he could have prevented it. Yes. Like, and that's that's sort of what really changes him and then I talked about earlier that scene where he's on the motorcycle and he crashes and he realizes how alone he is and that he has no one. That to me is like, literally, uh, that's like when that shift really starts to happen in him. When he realizes like, I don't have the power I used to have anymore.
4: Um, I want to in a second. I want to come back to Mr. Wayne Stucky because I fucking love that dude. Yeah, all, but yeah. Um, we
0: should. Yeah, I was just say we should highlight some minor because we're all, we're. Well, no, no, no let's well, keep I on Larry for We now. can yeah. like
4: talk about the the primary character and then the With, periphery, the, which we're already doing sure. right. So, they, like, yeah, we yeah. can come back to Wayne. But um, I didn't have quite the reaction to Larry that you. Were yeah, oh. I, I find it very interesting. I think the writing is great, but it, it all feels a little like typical to me, is it, is and it, not. But Not like it's cookie-cutter. He doesn't feel like a cookie-cutter character. No, yeah. um, Is it like typical male
0: struggle kind of thing, you know? Yeah. Well, I'll put struggle in quotation marks. Yeah. Right?
4: Um, And this, I'm not sure whether to consider this um, a flaw of the writing or a flaw of the, like, an actual character flaw. Mm -hmm. Um, But when he's talking about Rudy and that whole story is so interesting and sad and weird and relatable... Um, and then we get to, God, is her name Veronica, Valerie, some name that women don't actually have. The special <laughs> the um, girl or the uh, no. Oh, the one he
0: moved in in L.A. that he lived with yes. for a while. Um, it's and you
4: learn nothing about her. Mm-hmm. It's just that she would cook for him. He would go and watch the World Series, and she'd come. He'd come home. She would have cooked for him, and then they'd have sex. And she'd be kind of. And it's like over does. and over and over and over again, and that's you don't learn anything about her. I don't know her fucking hair. Unusually, I don't even know her cup size. Like, you (laughs) don't, there's nothing, and it feels like, I, it, That's a
3: glaring oversight on King's
0: part.
4: Yeah. King even talks about, unusual oversight. King even talks
0: about Mother Abigail and Alice Underwood's breast size. Oh yeah. It's like ridiculous. (laughs) um, Stay tuned for book two for more on
4: that. It feels like, um, for the character, uh, Pretty mm, typical. But, like, yeah. sort of uh, women are defined by what they can do for you and what they mean to you and not who they are. Well, what do he, you like Spatula th- Girl yeah. or like the way that he views his own mother often. But that's great really. too. But yeah, I, totally. I but as a result, I didn't connect with Larry at all. Sure. I, I think- felt like, oh, well, I know that guy and fuck that guy. So I'm sure that will change. Yeah. And he certainly was yes. compelling. But in terms of which characters I'm most connected with... It, I mean, I
3: definitely... Yeah, and I definitely say that, like, we're definitely viewing Larry from... Because we've read this book so many times, yeah, from the, the whole finish. package of Larry. Yeah. And I think... I And I agree with you, and I think you're viewing the character, like, you know, like, absolutely correctly. And that he... That's the thing, is he is sort of despicable uh, when it comes to how selfish he is. He's deeply, deeply selfish. When we're talking about the evolution of Larry, it's not as, you know, bad to good as it as it might appear, you know, like from the way we're talking. It is a complicated journey. And that's why I think that um his relationship with women I mean I think what you're pointing to are also just some like missteps in character building and creation. Sure. But I think also that uh like with the minor characters, but I think with Larry he's you know, he's a character who I I think is is uh, flawed in ways that I wish King had made other characters flawed. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. that sometimes Stu is a little bit too noble. Yeah. I think Franny's sometimes a little bit too noble. Uh, I want, you know, I like the b- the bit of darkness that we get out of Larry. And a lot of that's yeah. amplified
5: in book two, especially. Yeah.
3: I think a lot of the
2: darkness that Larry has, though, comes from King. Mm-hmm. Because if you actually look at the trajectory of Larry and his relationship with women and I I feel maybe again this is a lot of me assuming and a lot of just me drawing inferences but I I can't help but think that King sees a lot of himself in Larry this Mm -hmm. hot shot one hit wonder that came out of you know Mm -hmm. that came out of nowhere like with Carrie being like the surprise hit you know he did experience drugs and alcohol like you know around this time, I think even, yeah, oh yeah, you know? yeah, yeah so there is like that whole sort of like reckless abandon that maybe he, and he also loves his rock and roll. So I, mean, I think there's a lot that he kind of brings into, uh, Larry's, um, you know, you know, id, so to speak. But even like his relationship with women, like the idea that he, cause like Larry does when he's reflecting about the world series woman that he was with, like, uh, in LA, he does have there's like a tinge of guilt to it because he realized he was a total asshole to her. And part of me does wonder if that's and again, this is a crazy wide reaching wide reaching assumption on my part. But maybe that's King also feeling like he owes Tabitha more than he ever gives her credit for. Mm-hmm. Because she is the reason why he has a career that he actually got out and did his
0: own. She thing. literally like fished Carrie out of the yeah, garbage yeah. can. And I don't know what, what his was. background
2: was at the time of who's supporting who, but you know, yeah. He,
3: says, he said in an interview when talking about the stand that he actually used to work at a laundry press making $1.60 an hour. Wow. So there's where the mangler came from. Oh, oh boy. Yeah. Uh, so do we want to, like, why don't we go around, like, you talked about Larry's your favorite. Allison. Larry's my boy. What, what character say? do you want to talk about?
4: Oh, well, my favorite is Sheriff John Baker, but I feel like <laughs> like <laughs> my chromosomes suggest that perhaps I should talk about Fran. Sure. sure. Um, you can do a detour into Sheriff yeah, you John Baker. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just love him, yeah. so I want to marry him, um, but he's already married, and I would never do that to Jane. And his wife is also, so Also, he's dead, and she's dead. <laughs> yeah. so. And also, Nick
2: Andrews would probably think about it, like, be like, wow, he's so huge. I wonder how they're going to have sex together. Yeah. And his
0: doctor yeah.
3: constantly talk about his man boobs. When, yeah.
0: when my, my favorite... There is so much pound cake in this book. My (laughs) favorite pound cake line, and I will save it for that section, is Doc Soames talking about Sheriff John Baker with his shirt off. It it makes me laugh so fucking hard. Continue, though. (laughs) So, um,
4: I really really do love... I love... Maybe my favorite moment in all of book one is when uh, Nick is describing the people who assaulted him uh, the second that he figures out that it's his brother-in-law. And you can just see in your head this, like, nice... Kind of chubby, well meaning, middle aged guy going, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is I'm not gonna get laid tonight. <laughs> and I just love it so much. Did Jeannie love it? In terms of characters that have a larger influence on the story, um, obviously I was compelled by Freddie. I love the idea that this young woman, uh, whether in the 90s or in the 70s or you know, now, um, felt like she had the right to decide what mm-hmm. was going to happen mm-hmm. with her life once mm-hmm. she got pregnant. Um, I love all of the moments when she realizes that she's being a little cruel, but that it's also fine. Like the conversation that she has with good old Jesse. Love Jess with, with, with such an ansel. With Jess, the poet in the chambray shirt. Yeah. Um, I love when she talks
3: about like how stupid all of his poetry readings were. <laughs>
4: well, and how, and how he constantly <laughs> looks like it. he's posing. Yes! Yeah. Um, but he's such a hunk. Yeah, I love all of that shit, but she's talking to him on the phone, and he says, I'm, I'm not trying to offend you. Warning sign. <laughs> ne- never engage with someone who says that on Twitter. Yeah. Um, I'm not trying to offend you, but I just want to know what kind of rights I have in this situation. And she's, she takes a minute, and she thinks she should be offended, but she's not. And then she says... None. <laughs> yeah, um, And that's like
0: from the get-go with her too. Like, so it's not like... No. A, yeah.
4: She knows she doesn't want to get married. Certainly not to him, but she's not ready to get married in general. Um, she realizes, particularly based on his reaction, but just in general, that she's not in love with him anymore. There's no temptation to settle down and do the family Like There's none of that. She wants to talk to her dad about whether or not she should get an abortion. End of story. And it's just really... um She's just a great, great character. And her fucking... I swear to God that would happen to me. If I was in shock because everybody I knew was dying, I would absolutely be monologuing to myself and unintentionally rhyming, and I wouldn't be able to stop. Yeah. No. There would be, and now I want to rhyme. It would be a one-stop shop for all of the rhymes and <laughs> probably some dimes. Like, I just constantly, I wouldn't be able to shut it up. I just, I find when, her a really compelling Yeah,
0: I, when we talk about Jess Ryder, um, the, uh, the, I won't go too long because like, I, I feel like Jess Ryder and the, and Frank's reaction towards him like I, I I feel like we all knew a Jess Ryder kind of <laughs> was one well <laughs> <laughs> like I had this very specific memory of um where a lot of us here went to the school Florida State University they have a film school that's very good and I would volunteer and help out on like undergrad movies a lot when I was a freshman and then I worked on this one movie called Cold Coffee and it was this like like I don't know the title. Now look, the guy who made this movie maybe he's really cool, and God knows I was writing and making stupid stuff when I was that age too. But this movie was about, and I remember all the undergrad films since that time. A lot of the males they were all wearing these kind of like um, like long black pea coats and just like look, just I don't know, just taking themselves very seriously. And this guy made this movie called Cold Coffee that was filmed at this local restaurant, and it was this couple this like ex-couple meeting up for coffee but the coffee goes cold of course but um and the the, the, the yeah. guy and her talking and he discovers that this woman's new partner is like uh, she's with a woman it's like a ross from friends kind of thing like so i guess she's like like either identifies as a lesbian or is just with a woman timeless yeah 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 exactly i mean and, and look this is 2002 so you know once again sign the times and so he he the guy keeps talking and he's like why why are you with? and he's like this poetic soul and he's like why are you like with this woman now and why did you become a lesbian? And she says something like, "Oh, because no, you yeah, know, no, like no other man can make me feel like you did, like being inside me." It's ah, ah, so, so, like that. The, the oh way, my and, like God. I said, I don't remember the guy's name. He did this movie. He might be great. Like he might be no, no more. So, yeah, so, so like, and everyone...
3: uh, Andre, uh, Andy, Muschietti? Uh, no, <laughs> yeah. no, no, no. No, so like, we wish so, you all so, the when, best, when, Andy. What,
0: so when I was thinking of Jess and the way for and and like. For me, Jess is that guy, but if the girl in this movie was like, fuck you, that's, that's yeah. friend. Anyway, yeah. So
4: I, the person I thought of, um, my very first class... I didn't go to Florida State University. Um, my very first class, like, first day of college was this poetry workshop. First of all, I will say, A... I was pretty good, but I would never in a million years have said that I was a poet because only douchebags say that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And one of my favorite writers who writes poetry says, I'm not a poet. Who dares call himself a poet? Walt Whitman can call himself a poet. I write poetry. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or poems. Sam, I'm a writer. writer. Right. Um, But I sat down on this workshop and people are introducing themselves and just saying whatever. And I'm going to fictionalize this name because I feel too bad about it. So this is a fake name. But this person says um, hi everyone my name is R um, that's oh. R just dot like oh. it's not, oh. it's not and, and the reason for that is yeah. that my dad his name is Ray and he named me for him um, but I have a complicated relationship with my father, and it's it's really influenced me and shaped my life in a way that I think is really oh, damaging God. and harmful. So I just go by R. So Read the poem. R, <laughs> R, it's just R. Dot Merman. Just R. Dot Merman. Not Ray. R. Oh, God. And holy hell. Then and then he said. And I'm a theater major. And then I wanted to kill myself. You oh. <laughs> so, well, think he yeah. could... He could have just... I like, couldn't take it. He could have just written
0: R. Merman on his poems and no one would have... You know, well, the fact he could have
4: just said, it. my name is R. Yeah. I like, And granted, it wasn't R. It was a different letter, but I just do, yeah, I don't of so this person. So, like, not to his internet yeah. face, I don't know. He I'll, probably would have
5: died of the plague anyway.
4: Yeah. Probably, <laughs> yeah. but... Je,
0: just, it's funny. So, I, I like how they never say... Because Freddy oh, never discovers whether Jess Libby Pratt died. Probably like, Yeah. Uh, but still. Oh man. Well, based on how the uh, discoveries they have in
2: book three. Uh, involving uh, the uh, a bit medical happy. type. Um,
0: oh so they man, I'm, I'm not satisfying. I'm not remembering
2: this part of book three Where what we're I always... was very uh, shocked at all this stuff. I uh, forgot. I'm on I'm book sure. three now, so I'll have
4: to. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, I want to pour one out for Franny, who I think is kind of a badass. And yeah, this is
2: just... honestly her best, uh, of, like moments in the. In the well, we'll episode. see. Yeah. I'm yeah. actually
3: very curious to see how you react to her later in, book in the book. Two, uh, book yeah, two. like it's it's interesting stuff. So. Well, yeah. that, I mean, it's it's God, it's so hard to talk
5: because honestly, the people I really want to talk about are. In
3: the Rat, man. The
5: rat <laughs> of course, the Ratman. he's not rat man. even a kid. Yeah, kid. He's not like. T- but you know, for me personally, yeah. when we he's talk high. about Flag. Obviously, has a lot more to say later on in the book, and a kid has a lot to say later on. But who book. stands out? In book but in book one? one for me, we I love Larry. We talked about that already, and we unfortunately we kind of already talked about my other favorite periphery character, which is um, Starkey. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. this is an example because the entire book one. Is all about how we should not trust the government and you know basically everybody in the government sucks and will lie to you to meet their own ends, not for the well-being of the public. But here's a character who was obviously a yes man. He rose up the ranks and then we see him crumble. And the fact that we do have, like the Alice you touched on this earlier, that we have sympathy for him at all is a testament to King's writing. Yeah. And again, I cannot shake him just looking at this person with their head in, yeah, in the bowl. Uh, and just seeing the slow... Gulash. It's goulash, I think, yeah. And just the slow crumbling of your stereotypical strong man in and, and, uh, and the government agency. Yeah. Yeah. And the relationships that he has with... Um, What's his name? Creighton. I love yeah. that dynamic, yeah. I, I just love... I don't know... Well, how much more I can say about that guy? I mean, he's not on the lot. He's only a few chapters, ultimately, in book yeah. one. But he does, it, 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 it does... He represents the government at the height of its power, at the height of information. Mm-hmm. This is freak news, you know, all that uh-huh. shit. Yeah. And now it's over. But it's, it, but it's so dead.
4: easy to make that character like a cartoonish... Yeah, Like patent esque Yes. But and they start sense. with that. They start with that. And they even do that... Even
0: the miniseries, like, captures that well Then Harris. And I think with yeah. Starkey... It's important. God, it's Ed Harris? Yeah. yeah. But yeah. it's not. It, oh, it's, I
1: forgot
3: you. But you don't get, you don't, it's like, I don't want, we don't want to build you up too much. The, the narrative, it works right. to a degree, but it doesn't nearly reach know. Yeah, right.
0: uh, yeah. I, th- I, uh, I think we all like the main series more. No, than I like the main series. I think, no, I I think Ed Harris is really good in that. Uh, no, I oh, think he's good. His okay. 20 saying, minutes
3: on the set is great. I'm but, just saying yeah. that, like, hey, we, great. what I think is so important about Starkey 2 is that it allows us to connect again to the beginning Uh, the beginnings of the virus and the little lab where it all started and the fact that he goes down there and it feels like, it feels like, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It feels like, you know, a hero's journey in a weird way, like that he is abandoning his post. Uh, he's, he's not lying to people anymore. And he goes down into the thing that he's been trying to say either doesn't exist or that he's been proliferating it. And like that he goes down without a suit on, he knows what he's doing. He's like exposing himself to the virus and then he goes and like it's like the last heroic thing he can do is yeah. pull this guy's head out of a bowl of goulash. It's the least shoot he could himself. himself, you know? And, yeah, it's just like at least he did one thing. Yeah. You know like, like so because he's fun. so helpless. Because again, he's you're this prophet general.
5: And you've got no control over anything at this yeah. point, and so the least you can do is go down. And yeah, you just, like, on
3: some guy shouldn't spend the rest then, of eternity with his head in a hole.
5: And, and so. not open yeah.
4: his eyes, because he's worried his eyeballs will fall out. I know. Because of that, oh, oh. oh, God, there's a description. He moves somebody else's head. The, the guy's head with the sign. Yep. He moves back the person's yeah. head, and he hears the sound of his eyeballs falling out and hitting the base of his skull or something. Oh, uh, oh God, so I, it's so I love,
0: too, how Creighton, he's once watching. Creighton takes over later on, he notices that, that uh, Starkey didn't wipe the congealed soup out of the guy's eyebrows. and he's like Jesus Christ uh, what's Stark's first name? I don't remember. William? No. William, right? Billy. He says like Jesus Christ Bill, couldn't you have wiped the soup yeah, out of his You have to, you little have little to wonder old. what's
5: going to happen with Creighton now. Yeah. And then, and and it's interesting. Creighton's going to go
0: down there and wipe it down. Yeah, it's yeah. going gonna,
5: gonna to be this whole like, domino thing. Right? Everybody's yeah.
0: going down like... It's dead bodies somebody moved by. this, this body
4: And eventually somebody goes down just to heat up another can of soup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is It is
0: interesting. What's interesting oh, that, that King, there are a few characters that King never says what happens to him. Creighton never it. shows a sign of being sick and maybe he lives. Maybe he goes on to... Vegas, but but part of what the I stand love, part two will yeah and yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty much where government's
4: going with the, the president
2: the highest of order coughing and losing it on on uh, so, yeah and which oh, is then, very very it reminded me of George Romero oh totally which is and, funny because he was supposed to be doing the movie the original version
0: and he talks too about how like when the president gives his speeches in in a in the book how it's in like a bunker design to look like the Oval Office. That's so freaky.
4: You know what it made me think of, and I'm showing my nerd card here, Mm -hmm. but um, it reminded me of this episode. It's, I think, the first David Tennant episode of Doctor Who Mm -hmm. when um, the Prime Minister is giving what would have been the the Queen's Christmas Day address. Uh, But she says, like, this is unusual, whatever normally the Queen would be speaking, but under the circumstances. And then you see her go, oh, um... Do we do we know where the royal family are? And then she says, "Oh!" and turns back to the camera and says, "They're on the roof because the entire like one third of the world's population is standing on the roof, primed to jump off." Oh, the gotcha! Uh, yeah. And but there's this look because Penelope Wilson is d- just far too good an actress to play that part. Frankly, she's so <laughs> yeah. fucking good. And you see this look in her eyes where she just looks like maybe she's gonna laugh and maybe she's gonna scream and maybe she's gonna cry, but she needs to be the prime minister there on the roof and then continues and it's great
0: with dr hart returning to bbc america <laughs> yeah. when it was too, too, like what uh, i think it was justin who said that it really does he King could have easily just not shown any military perspective yep. in this and and that would have been fine i think the book still would have worked but it, it would take away from the complexity of systems breaking down like we said sure. i mean as much as i hate this idea that starkey and creighton all and all these other generals have like oh if you're um... If your mother is raped and your father is beaten and robbed, you, you cover them, their indecent exposure before the cops come. Like, it's, like it's our job to cover up the military. I, I don't agree with that at all, and that idea scares me, because yes. I think that is what would happen, probably, if something like this did occur, but I like that that perspective is offered, because at the end of the day, even even villains think that, they're with the exception of maybe Flag, it just thrives on chaos at the end of the day, even villains are doing things because they think it's right, you know? Yeah. And, like, um, Stark, like Starkey's decision to release it in Europe and cover the up sucks, and it's awful, but at the same time, like, he's doing because he thinks it's the right thing to do, and by showing that, it makes the first book so not black and white um, in a way that the previous books don't do, unfortunately. So, anyway, yeah. Yeah. What, uh, what about you, Mike, who's your character? I, um,
2: I, I mean, I would say, um, uh, I mean, I love Larry. Yeah. Um, but, I really, really, really love uh, every chapter with Nick Andrews. Yes. Um, and, I, and I think um, his, just the relationship that he has with everyone he comes across, uh, he always gives them the benefit of the doubt. Yes. Which is really like heartwarming. You know, in a, in a very cynical book, um, at least the first section of it, it's it, he was just kind of like a beacon of light. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we'd already discussed, you'd already talked with Sheriff Sh- Baker, like that whole that just it's, it's not that very long that he meets them and it becomes almost like family with them mm-hmm. and just going through his eyes through the whole town and being able to experience the plague with someone who can't even talk and you can't you can only write and it, it was such a unique experience because you really do get to be in his head and get his thoughts and um for me that was just really rewarding and um and and when um yeah, I don't know. I just, I just really, really love those chapters.
5: I mean, and of all the characters to, to, you know, I guess have doubts about the people around them. Nick is the one. Yeah. He grew up in, a fo- in foster care, actually, yeah. yeah. deaf and dumb. People and are mean, I mean, he and, drags yeah. him through the ring. Around, and so. he, oh god, King punishes him so much, and yeah. It's, yeah. it's incredible. But again, he, he never loses that yeah. that faith in no. people, which is, you know. It's just, like, an inherent thing. Plus, he's a Lovecraft fan, so that's cool. <laughs> yeah, cool. But he, like... He, oh, cool.
3: Like, he literally, <laughs> like, um, he gets... The way King describes all of his injuries, oh they God. just make me shut. The him. eye gouging is just... Yeah, awful. well, just, like, the whole scene with Ray Booth and the fact that Ray almost takes his sight. Yes. And if he takes his sight, like, nothing, he's it. fucked, you know? But <laughs> he's, he's just so,
2: like... He's so pragmatic, but he's also so tactical. Like, I, the way he's able to figure out things is just is really great and like this is one of the instances because glenn who's also one of my favorite characters um and but he kind of shows up at the end but you know what what we learn with glenn um is that glenn is able to basically be king's way of writing thesis statements yeah and chapters yeah and stuff. but he does that also <laughs> kind of with nick yeah because nick is less is more telling because you know you can't i mean there's a lot of showing there but but what nick says in his head is what nick thinks and says exactly and it goes in there so it is, for a while, Nick is a vessel for King to kind of really uh, hammer down some really great points. And, yeah. So there's a lot of, like, sobering
0: realizations that you get from Nick. And it bothered, it, part of, and, I, and I, I will admit, I did come to eventually like Glenn a lot, but part of what I hate about Glenn is when you first meet him, he goes... Oh, yeah, you like, hate he, him? You oh, texted he, me. Oh, I text him. Like, he's pissing me off. He's just, like, going on <laughs> these diatribes, like, being this emotionally emotional. I, I, I cannot
2: hate him because he's you know, Ray Walston. Yeah. That? Oh, that's true. I mean, yeah. hate Ray Walston. Mouse in the motorcycle. Mouse in the baby. motorcycle. Baby. But, but I can it's, defend uh, Glenn I,
0: I, yeah, well, Yeah, no, and, and I will say, I do, I, especially as the faith in the book becomes more prevalent, I actually come to value Glenn's point of view a lot more and I do like those, those rants he goes on. I think the problem with presenting it so immediately off the bat is it just doesn't feel real with Glenn because it's like, who talks like this? But what, yeah. but, and like I said, the book does earn that eventually. What I like about Nick is what you're saying is that Nick has to talk like that because yeah. he's writing. Like, how do we all talk when we write? It's much more eloquent oh, than absolutely. when we talk on a podcast, you know? And so, Speak I think, for yourself. <laughs> oh, yeah. I struggle yeah. to
5: see transcripts of our podcast. Oh, yeah. God. It's it. probably like, oh, oh, oh me, um, me saying, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, Privacy I sound like stuttering
1: <laughs> Bill every minute. Yeah. Do you
3: think that, uh, do you think, do you see Nick as as young as he is it's like 21. It's like 21, 22 years old. Does I, that I will work say for you? no, because yeah. only
5: because I was spoiled with the movie. Yeah. Rob Lowe. And Rob Lowe Lowe was about Lowe. 30 in the I movie. It's yeah.
4: Rob Lowe? So yeah. God, there's a whole world of which, wonder awaiting me. I think and in you in our, awesome. our
2: casting, we had him as Michael B. Uh, Jordan, which I tried to oh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, try
3: yeah. to picture in this. Yeah. But um, it would have to be not Creed bug. No no, 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 no,
5: no, no, it's
0: more like, it's more like Fruitville Station, Michael. Yeah, <laughs> the, the yeah. thing, the, the, the I like that you're bringing up age, and we've talked a little bit about this, like off, off, uh, off, Mike. But um, Nick, the, it is funny because for the most part, with the exception of like Stew and obviously like, Ralph and, and Glenn and everyone, there are some of the characters. They're so young. So yeah. Now, granted, this was in the '70s, and I think maybe I'm making an overgeneralized statement here. I do think just because the average lifespan was shorter, and like. Not, it wasn't the norm for everyone to go to college. I do think people were like striking out on their own a little bit younger. Like my parents had me when they were twenty one, yeah. twenty two, and yeah, by the time they're married, they had two kids who were almost in the middle school. So I, I think part of it's that, but it is funny that Nick. Nick, it doesn't bother me quite as much because I think he is supposed to be like kind of special and like resourceful. And you could argue that everyone that lived survives to go into these two camps in the book is, is supposed to be resourceful. Well, but like, but Larry, yeah, like because they even say like. I think, Glenn has that line about, like, oh, I think everyone has some bit of shining, which we can talk about in King's Dominion, and I think that the people who survived maybe have that, like, extra step. So you could argue for that. However, Nickname 21 doesn't bother me as much because I get the idea that he's supposed to be touched by God in a way mm-hmm. that maybe some of them are But, like, Larry. Oh, he doesn't believe. Yeah, yeah doesn't, which, which believe. is another interesting yeah. aspect. And what I like is
3: that it doesn't, he never really comes around. He mm-hmm. never, like, no, has that. Yeah. And that's where I think that. We're gonna get there we'll later. get to the religious thing, yeah, the, the, the idea about religious stuff is. Yeah, 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 but but yeah. what about
0: like uh, not, not to go back to Larry too much, but like Larry's supposed to be like what twenty six or twenty eight? Yeah, yeah, he's, he's like, like he feels older though. He feels he like is. in his forties. Like yeah. I, and and like I mean Stu, he, even, Stu, he, even Stu, he's supposed to be his mid thirties. Like that's about he knows like, way too much. That, yeah, yeah, like
4: Stu that, feels like an old man. That's it.
0: That's it, and that's about our age. And once again, there are know, he fought in the war. Yeah,
4: maybe yeah. he's Wolverine.
0: Well, when he when he wrote it, I guess he's Vietnam, and I guess it can old man
4: yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: But anyway, it goes back to this thing of, like, and how about you know, Glenn, like,
3: like he's, like, clearly 119. <laughs> I have to
4: say, every time that just the name Glenn comes up, I picture the Mevin. kid from Madden. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Really? Oh,
1: like, it's an odd... Aw- My favorite ben, character. Would Matthew. you say
5: that Glenn is creepier than any villain in uh, The Stand? Yes. Oh, Glenn Matthew, from Matthew, From Especially yeah. yeah. Matthew so son. son. Yeah, um...
0: Well oh, it's, yeah. it's... Socially I mean, awkward, son. Well, sorry, sorry we're, we're going I, off. I, I, don't to, I don't mean to be the kid basher. No, 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 no. no, no, I, no. Listen, came, I came By down the hard. The character. Season. The character's... I pretty, came right? down on Finn Wolf hard, hard, who I actually like quite and you also...
3: Back. Well, we all came down on cortland Mead. Yeah.
0: Know. No, I defended cortland Mead. Oh, you, you defended I was like That's fine, Dan. You go ahead and... You defend cortland Mead. I'm not
5: going to defend Matthew Wiener's son. i an Instagram friend.
0: I shouldn't say Matthew Wiener's socially awkward son. I don't know. Glenn The Weiner. characters socially because, Yeah, but I don't know how much of that is from the character or like well, his son. You're
5: digging yourself, you're like uh, Sean Spicer over here. Just, just accept <laughs> the fact that the character's strange and <laughs> we'll move on.
0: <laughs> going going back to the Stan's age issue, even Harold, who I love that he is 16, as the book goes on, I'm like, and I don't know, maybe the apocalypse ages people. He feels either. more
5: nuts, like 18, 19.
3: Yeah, yeah, but I also say, I think emotionally, mm-hmm. uh, Harold resonates as, as 16 to 18, yeah. but intellectually, he's...
0: He's on another level. Exactly. Yeah. It's where's emotionally he's very immature, but to end yeah. yeah. And like, I, if, I mean, he yeah. does
4: write short stories from varied perspectives. <laughs> yes. When when
0: when they make fun of like the oh he uses second person present, I was like I've done that. Which I do that, that all the time. I love I've that. Love that. that. But, like, but one go- of my favorite books is that. Yeah. Go, going yeah, I just, which big city. Oh, I do like Brett likes big city a lot. Brad the end of the bread. But going back to Nick real quick, I think another strength in Nick's storyline. It's not just I mean Nick is an awesome character, but. All the people in Shoyo, Arkansas, even the, even the the four dudes who beat him up, Man. they all have such distinct personalities, yeah, yeah. and, like, I, I will say, I actually agree with the miniseries decision to, like, make Ray Booth in there the whole yeah. time. It feels yeah. really it Develops the stuff. character more. Yeah. But, um, I, I think everyone in Shoyo, like, Allison talked about Gene Baker, um, the, I mean, I, I was <laughs> not, like, less strong on the latter level of emotionalism, but the... Nick talk Where Jane Baker Just keeps saying Like this is horrible Like I want to be With my husband Like she the way she talks About her and John's Relationship And like When she talks About their honeymoon Oh god It's so just, yeah. like, it just heartbreaking And I, I was literally Like I
3: think when I Read that stuff I was right about To go on my honeymoon With my wife
0: Yeah no It makes me think About like the other, Yeah, yeah and, it, and it I think the fact That like you guys Were saying Nick Is like this Character could have Been so hardened And yeah. he actually is Probably the, one of the Most empathetic people yeah. In the book I think everyone he, talk, he talks with that, that conversation he has with um, where, where Doc Soames comes and like talks him on the park bench and it's kind of one yeah, of the I love one, the park bench and, and it's one of the first times we really hear about exactly what's going on with yeah. the plane. and and he talks about Doc Soames' car weaving it out and that how even though Doc is sick it's more exhaustion that's like yeah. freaking out so I think Nick because he can't talk he makes people want to talk to him and spill their guts in a way. Yeah. And so every everyone he interacts with in Shoyo, Arkansas, the scene work is so good because he just gives people this, like, he gives people this form to just pour their hearts out mm-hmm. to him, and it doesn't feel cheesy at all.
5: Well, in terms of his setting, I mean, first of all, the fact that he can't speak or hear sets him apart from literally everybody else. Yeah. Yeah. And you put him in this small, small town which is even more detached from everything else going around. So it's, it's crazy that it takes a doctor to talk to him on the bench to tell him, What's happening? Everybody else just turns on the radio or the TV or you're in a big city and you see it happening in front of you and Nick is so unaware for most of the, the
3: book yeah. one.
4: Yeah, I think that um, it provides kind of an interesting parallel to the structure and format of <laughs> hey! the book in that whenever he turns his back on somebody, he yeah. no longer knows what's happening yeah, and what they're scary. saying. Um, and in some cases that's a blessing but it feels a little bit like this limited perspective that we get these little flashes zooming in as you were calling it where particularly whenever he's in the near the jail cells and these men are first hurling insults at him and then they're pleading and then they're insulting again and then they're raving and all of this every time he turns his back it's like it goes quiet and he has no idea what it is that's happening and I found that very evocative and upsetting that's powerful stuff
0: What about you, Randall? Who's your uh, Who's your MVP?
3: Well, it's funny because we we were just talking. And I was I was like, well, I probably want to talk about Lloyd, but then I was like, I don't know. I almost want to wait to talk about Lloyd until book three, yeah. and then uh, and then Harold is my favorite character in the whole book, but I Love kind of Harold. feel like I need to wait till book two to really exactly get the yeah. He shines in book two. Whereas, so I almost that feel is... like I want to focus on a character who's only in book one, and yeah. I've already talked about her a little bit, but I really want to talk about Rita. I think Rita is the most important character. Um, Well, not the most important character, but like a character that really uh, uh, matters to me in a lot of ways, because you know we don't see a lot of people like her in the book. Since the people we're following are the people who would be leaders, they're people who are very resourceful. They're people who uh, can figure out how to survive. They can figure out uh, how to be assertive and uh, you know um, self like sustainable, you know, in this world. And Rita is somebody who's completely incapable of that because she lived a high society. Life. She was married to a very rich man. She lived in a penthouse in Manhattan. It's like she was a rich older woman who, you know, had kind of forgotten how to do things for herself. And so when Larry finds her in New York, and it's you know, and like I, I've already talked about, like, but it's like she like gloms onto him, and she becomes so dependent on him. And it become that's a perspective that I think think we don't really see a lot in um, in the book because even as it goes on and we meet. Children, like, you know, when we meet Joe later in the book, like, that's a kid who would be able to survive on his own, though. And, like, we have a lot of thoughts on Joe, which we'll get to. But, you know, but even, like, people like Nadine, like, these are people that can survive, um, they, like, on their own. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't see those characters a lot who, um, are completely not self-sufficient. Well, and it breaks
0: her. It, like, it ends up breaking her. Well, yeah, and, like,
3: you know, and, and just that sense of, and, like, she tries to be positive, and she tries to say things like, Larry, like, tell me that we're going to go on an adventure. Like, I need you to say that we're going on an adventure. Like, she has to view it in that way. Like, there's something so sad about it to me, and she's so, and she was just so insulated as a person and so uh insulated emotionally and physically that for her to like venture out in the world it's it's a very like scary thing for her just in general not to mention the fact that there's dead people everywhere yeah. see i i couldn't i i, I agree with
2: all that my problem is <laughs> that king is so obsessed with stressing how old she is i know and it yeah. gets it's so distracting like you know uh here's, here's just a real quick one uh, she was maybe 50, but had taken great pains to look younger. Um, that's, you know, early on. And then, oh my gosh, in chapter 35, he just goes ham. <laughs> I'm like, okay, just talking about oh, all yeah. this. It's like she turned to him, her face haggard. If she had looked an elegant 40 in the park the day that he had met her, she now looked like a woman dancing on the chronological knife edge that separates the early 60s from the late. There was a cigarette between her fingers and the tip trembled, making jitters of smoke as she brought it to her lips and puffed without hailing. It's like her facial, her facial mus- mu- muscle sag, it's something like relief. Um, and then he there's talks
3: like, too about like when her and Larry have sex, and like Larry's yeah. disgusted by
0: her like naked body because she's oh older. God, but
2: it's just so it hammers point home so many well, times. Yeah, and like, he acts
0: like fifty is like. I know. Yeah. Said, this goes back to what you're saying. Is this? Is this? intentionally being presented like this because it's from Larry's perspective and I, he's kind of an asshole? I would say or yes. I think it's from King Larry's would, point know, of view. It's Larry's it point of view. Yeah. And mean, he's used to banging yeah. groupies.
3: Yeah, exactly.
2: He remembered an instant of disgust when he saw how her breasts sag and how the blue veins were prominent. yeah Think that's of his so mother's hilarious. varicose veins. But he had forgotten all about it that when her legs came up and her thighs pressed against his hips, well, that's that's, 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 that's
4: perspective. <laughs> huh? That's, yeah. that's Larry's Can we just table all of this? it just have got... I've got, like, a little... I've got some things to say.
3: Good. Good. And that's good. But I will just say that, like, I still... Regardless of all of that, I think that she is a perspective that is not seen very much. Because, honestly, I feel like most of the people that we see uh, in the Free Zone and in Vegas, they're more... Well, in in the Free Zone, and this is almost a problem I have with it, and it's something that's really played up in the... uh, in the movie, because we were laughing about it, yeah. but it's like in the free zone, everyone's very folksy. Yeah, it's like everyone's yeah. like a late too. Yeah, this she's like, like a very New Yorker. Type. Uh, yeah, but then that, in like, Vegas, like, like it look in the movie and in the book a little bit, it's like everyone's like a fucking biker. Yeah, 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 yeah. well, <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, it's all southern. Yeah, they're, and so yeah. like I feel like we don't see the perspective of like high society, New York, Manhattan, and how help like their power is money. Money no longer matters. Yeah, and like so, and if you are a survivor. How do you cope in this world?
4: Well, that's my favorite moment of hers, and it's so brief, and it's right near the beginning. Is she notices Larry looking at her rings? Yeah, and then it's like, do you do you want one of these? Yeah, uh, my husband put a lot of value in diamonds, and it's obvious that she's already recognized that this is now completely invalid. Yeah, it doesn't matter at all. Yeah, and she's just done the thing because that's what she does. And these trappings of this life that she had have become trinkets.
0: Yeah, one. This is uh, this is not at all exclusive to Rita, but she talks about it right before they go in the tunnel. And this is something that bothers me throughout the whole book. Uh, Mike, you had talked about how like everyone in the book is like a pop culture aficionado, almost. (laughs) And she. So now, look, I know that the stand, as you mentioned, is Stephen King's like riff on Lord of the Rings. And I'm a token head. I mean, if you go in that... <laughs> You're a or, hobbit head? A big hobbit head. If uh, we're recording this in my house, so if you go into that room right there, you'll find about four token art books. I love token. Now, everyone, every fucking character references Lord of the Rings at some point in this book. Larry references it. Rita references it right before they go into the tunnel. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that everyone knows who, what Lord of the Rings is, but this is also pre-movies and like... I remember growing up and being like the only like yeah. I get made fun of for like liking The Hobbit and stuff, and you know now it's like everywhere. But used to get made fun of. <laughs> <laughs> no, so like, so not only not only does everyone know what Lord of the Rings is, Rita recalls a specific line about going on an adventure. Yeah, well, as we but... know, she's so
5: old. Maybe she went to school. Jail. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. She's at <laughs> oh, Oxford. <laughs> But, but and then she <laughs> oh, yeah, talks mm-hmm. about randy has got one and then they start they start bringing up the most obscure references oh like them. comic book artists they, they talk yeah and... they talk about like the comic book artists who drew it they talk about the, many characters I and mean, Rita might be one of them I can't remember they talk about the, the Tower of Berarder, and I'm like look Whoa. I'm like a I'm like a token hardcore nerd and I know that but like no you're one you're a one, veritable yeah. Bilbo yeah but I'm a real Bilbo <laughs> I'm a real Tom Bombadil. yeah like, hey, oh hey, god. god you got Dan Caffrey over here or Dan Baggins <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're recording this from back end, uh, anyway. but no. But in, 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 You're all, in, a little shire. in all seriousness, I think Re- I think Rita's line right before they enter the the tunnel was the first time because Larry had already mentioned weatherings. So I'm like, wait a minute, is like every has what has everyone read like Lost Tales by J.R.R. Tolkien? This yeah. book, like anyway, it's just such a small thing, and it's not it's not um, exclusive to Rita, but like it's just a little thing that bothered me. We'll yeah. talk about that. Well, i will just before.
3: say that like I feel like Rita is representative of all the. We see all the vignettes of people who die in non plague related ways after the, you know, apocalypse. And um, I feel like Rita is sort of the bigger version of that, because she dies by ODing on all of her pills. Mm-hmm. And the thing is... And it's I,
0: not no great loss, because yeah. it actually does... We see how it affects Larry. Yeah. The book and it home. actually
3: really... And it ripples throughout. And one of the things I love about Larry, he never lets that go. Yeah. It haunts him the rest of the book, and that, to me, is very powerful. It's very, very but the thing is, like, people like that would exist, too, like... I mean, man, like, I mean, especially in modern culture, like, think of how addicted we are. Uh, I'm I'm 100% one of these people to, like, medication and pills. We need those things to balance our minds. Imagine if the fucking world ends, it's like, you're going to up those doses. You're going to, like, yeah. exp- and especially when you can just walk into a pharmacy and take that shit. Like, no wonder. Like, that to me, her death was inevitable and probably one that happened all throughout like people od'd like that probably like crazy absolutely
2: yeah, we're forgetting one important character and
0: oh speaking of the devil uh, the tank so, uh, uh, the so dog. yeah so uh, sorry we are recording this at my house so if you hear of the click of, of uh the click of toenails or uh, or the uh friendly bark that is that's my probably me that's With our computer. personal it's our personal <laughs> kojak well we also have
2: another uh, uh dog in this book that's not kojak spuds mckenzie uh, makes a fun oh yeah is in this wait what so, oh yeah nice little pop culture thing that he probably added in 1990 Yeah. wait really um, qu- really quick question
0: because so I had we all had the unabridged version but mine has a bunch of typos in it that are not in yeah, your guy's version. That's right. Like, so I've par- got some typos. So part two of the book is called um, On the Border, and in my version it is literally spelled On the Border, like B-O-A-R-D-E-R. And uh, King, at one point, this is a big thing for King, he misspells breasts as beasts. And, um, oh, so, he does. <laughs> so, so, so that is...
4: misspells. quote unquote. <laughs> but
0: the, but then so part of that is making me wonder... Because that maybe I just missed it, but I don't—I didn't notice Spuds McKenzie. Do you think he added things as additions? Oh yeah, because the Spuds right. McKenzie wasn't around nineteen seventy-eight. No, no, yeah, right. He been added. No, he was in ninety six. So, so I don't know if my book has this. Please do share about Spuds McKenzie. Well, it's just like a poster, isn't it? Oh, it's just—it's just a, a little random. It was a joke that uh, i you know, uh, tossing in there—a uh, fun uh, little
2: sweet treat, if you will. Yeah. Uh, hey, we love the sweet. We're treat. We're big fans of Spuds Ma- McKenzie. Ma- 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 uh, Ma- uh, I you are wrong. Didn't you write about I it? I wrote a whole piece for. Hey, I was
3: thrilled to see
5: him come back for the Super Bowl. I hope he comes back again. Maybe on the beach. Same too too, so I'm glad about that. Um, Matt, uh,
0: Matt Gerber is not here, but uh, when he comes back for book two, we might have to let him talk about the sweet tree. This is very character. Well, sweet tree
2: would be something that we would put in
3: the cemetery. The cemetery. Well, uh, speaking of,
4: you know, there is actually a major character we haven't talked about at all. Wait, who's that? Stu Redman. Yes, Stu Redmond Well, honestly, I, I don't know
3: what there is to say. Like Stu's a great character in a lot of ways. He's a he's a decent everyman, but he is by no means in my top five favorite characters. So the
4: only reason I know that he's an important character is because when I was trying to keep track of all of these fucking people that were meeting, I was consulting Wikipedia's specific article, Characters from the Stand. Yeah. So There's a whole article for it. And one of the first things it says in the description of Stu is played by Gary Sinise. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, like, oh, okay, that so he's good. gonna live. So no, he lived. Well, here's the thing, here's the thing
5: about Stu. And I think it's good that we're breaking this up into three different episodes because I think we're, we're gonna have a lot to say about yes. Stu, not only in book two, but especially in book, book three. three. Yeah, book three. three. And so I think the focus is gonna be much more on him than it is, you know, like on But a in or book
4: one, like one the, the thing that made me, and there were two moments that I was like, oh, I really like this guy. And one is when he watches the car careening right at the beginning of the book mm-hmm. and then just like casually reaches over and flips all the switches on the gas Yeah, pumps. yeah. That's one. Yeah. And two is when he pretends to be sick. Yeah. Yes. I love to freak people out. Oh yeah, that's fine. Excellent. When, it's when, so
0: good. When you say, I was saying this is a, an analogy that you you used a long time ago I think when me and Susan first met you and I, I've always heard Like you were saying how there's like Furniture watchers and furniture movers, yeah. and like Stu is definitely like a furniture mover. Like, yeah, he, um, he doesn't even have to say like the pumps, the pumps. He notices that everyone's freaking out, not doing anything about it, and so he just goes, in the movie "Yeah, this the is, pumps. is yeah. Um, turn so the pump turn off the pump." <laughs> <laughs> Half hey, missed pick.
4: opportunity that should never happen. I know. That's a character defining moment. I, I I'm agree. so angry. Table flip. No furniture movers. Turn so the, pumps, so the whole world is defined in two groups: furniture movers and furniture watchers. And furniture movers. See someone trying to lift a couch they can't lift and they help. Furniture watchers watch people move couches. This is especially useful when you're running a small non-profit theater company but it comes <laughs> yeah. in handy in all walks of life oh, and on. if you have someone in your life who watches you trying to move a heavy couch by yourself and they sit and watch you that person is garbage and you should get rid of them. Yeah. And he is a furniture yeah. mover, for sure. Stu yeah. is a good man I know. Some furniture watchers. Well one
2: character if we're talking about the dichotomy of people one character that we would be we remiss to uh, to not talk here is Lloyd like we need to talk about Lloyd for a second because although he does pop up a little bit more importantly in like um, book three book book one he gets all his characterization it's true the reason why I I, I, he's he's flawed in a way because the the thing is there's a conundrum here I feel like Lloyd, out of all the characters, is someone that King understands from the get go. Mm-hmm. Like right when you first get to his character in the book, you get an idea that you know what King wants to do with this with this character. You know, he's someone that's going to be wrestling with his emotions. Like yes, he starts out as bad, but there is good to this guy. Like he does understand that there that you know he's been corrupted. He's you know the, the whole thing of this like I was led um, or I was misled uh, comes up with Harold big time, but it also kind of go ties into into um, uh, Lloyd in a bit and it shows up at early on in, in book one because you know he's with the, the Pokerizer uh, yeah, his book his uh, um, but he, he, he does understand that like that what he's doing is wrong and that this is all circumstantial and that he can't help it and I don't know um, though like, I mean like,
3: like Lloyd I remember I was taking notes when he was first introduced because I was like I love Lloyd yeah. he is top two characters for me yeah. and he it's like his reasons for standing with Flag as the book goes on are, like, it makes him one of the most noble characters yeah. in the entire yeah, book. Yeah, absolutely. But, like, when he's first, and the thing is, and I'm not, like, I'm not saying this is a reason to write him off. I'm saying this is what gives him an interesting character. It's, like, when he's first introduced, he is a bad dude. Like no, he is. And he talks, like, they, Lloyd is, like, legitimately a rapist. Like, he's not just a murderer, like, yeah, no, they write about. Like, he literally was, like, a rapist as well. But
2: again, with the Starkey thing, it there is a, an inherent humanity to him. Like it, when it he talks about is, the yeah. rabbit, yeah. And for example. Well the rabbit story like, is so it's powerful It's something that, here, that's yeah. still that, that's what I mean it was like you actually see that sort of tumultuous conflict in his inside yeah. that you don't really get with any of the characters until Harold starts developing in mm-hmm. the book. I Star. agree with that. Like, and that's and I think that's an important thing to have in this book. When it's about good and evil, you need the characters to have that sort of like that yeah. conflict. They need to feel like, human. Yeah, and like you get it with Larry for sure. And it's a lot more subtle because I, I I still feel even though in the beginning you still get the sense that Larry's going to be a
0: good guy. He's not like a murderer you know. or a rapist, like. But, Lloyd yeah, is.
2: but with Lloyd, like you know, he's he's interesting too because um, he doesn't really have a choice. I mean, in, in the sense like he he he's he's kind of in the shittiest situation out of anybody in the apocalypse. So you 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 know, by by when you first meet him, of course he's going to go with Flag, but the fact that he even starts debating it in his head when he's in the shittiest of situations yeah. says yeah. a lot about himself as a character. But, and this that, is The like, fact that he even had that debate yeah. instead of saying, oh, I'm going to go with Flag because I'm evil anyway, says this is a what lot. This
3: is what you and I talked about. Yeah, Lloyd well, isn't given a choice. No, he's Why didn't Mother Abigail come save him in the fucking jail if, cell? If
0: Mother, if Mother Abigail had showed up, he would have gone with her and I guarantee he would have been devoted and been a very good standing member of the Boulder Free Zone. Yeah. Two, two things on that, though. What's okay. Like, yeah. bring into, like the nerdy logistics of it. No, this is good. <laughs> Flag
5: <laughs> travels wherever, though. Yeah. Mother Abigail is pretty much 108 years old. She makes her own bread. God bless her. And, <laughs> and there will be water if God wills it. But she, <laughs> she is at home. She's not going to be able to travel on her own to go to that prison yeah. where Lloyd is. You know good what I mean? Point. Well, I go but to that's, that farm that's my. Hey, that's my argument in defense of Mother but it, Abigail. But it, but
0: it is it is a thing. At, at the end of the day, and once again, this. this Ties more to book two, and th- books two and three. Yeah. I would argue, although he ends up siding with the the wrong, the, the bad guys. Yeah, hate, and they actually say that in the book, like the bad guys. But um, the, although Lloyd does go in that direction, I would still argue that he is probably a better person after the all these events than beforehand. I mean, Grant, he is. Yeah. Grant, yes, yes, he. What changes? Like that's the thing. Is yeah, the apocalypse. This, everything that he goes
3: through, it changes him. Exactly. Like, I yeah. agree with you when you say, if he had been to the free zone, he would have been a good member there. But because like, I don't think he has that desire to like, be like, I think that he was, you
0: it's know. It's not power he wants. Yeah. He just wants appreciation. We
4: have totally delved into future book conversation. Yeah. Which oh is yeah, fine I because much. I don't care about spoilers. Yeah. It's fine. But um, my perspective includes very little of what you guys are talking about. Bring it on. So I'm helpful yeah. as like the, we're talking about book one police. Yes, yeah, yeah, please, yeah, yeah. Right? Please. Cool. So um, there's very little to me in book one that makes him seem like a sympathetic character, but now I'm no. very excited about no. his yeah. future Have you gotten to the rabbit story? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. See, yeah. the rabbit
3: story. Always really... the,
4: I mean, it's why he's not. Black and white, yeah. right? Yeah, but um,
3: it's a story that right. I, I honestly so, I skipped it when I when I re- did this reread because um, I've become ever since I got a cat I can't deal with animal violence anymore because I'm I'm a I'm a bastard and like uh, but like the cat I remember the rabbit scene so vividly I was like I skimmed it and I was like I can't I can't deal with the mm-hmm. rabbit eating its paws like yeah. it, it, it's too much for me.
2: Well, I mean, honestly, it just boils down to that choice at the end, of the fact that he even had to second guess it makes you think. Oh, okay. He's not just purely evil, and he feels actually—he like, actually feels dread when Flag shows yes. up. Yeah. Remember? yeah, yeah. Even even despite the fact that he's about to eat his prison mate, like yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole thing. There it's is
4: just... the supernatural element, though, in that in the the like introduction of Flag chapter, they talk about how even the people who are willing to go along with him feel this sense of d- dread yes. and yeah. specifically when they're talking about him having sex with women, because of course it always comes down. <laughs> fucking right, but um, and even the women care. who are willing wind up stiffening and feeling as though they're being violated. Remember that for later on. Willingly gone, and, and that's the yeah.
3: difference with um Trash Man and, and Lloyd too. Is Trash is so excited about Flag, yeah. yeah, like he's the one who doesn't feel dread. He's like, "You are my God, I worship." Well, you. well there's a difference
5: between straight up crazy people and then just like sociopaths. Yeah, yeah, yeah I mean, and there's... so,
3: but but Lloyd is not a sociopath. No, I think that he has violent tendencies. That he's, he's easily yeah. misled. Yeah, because
5: what's his name? His partner and they. Well, Coke around. was the that monster of that crazy. Group. Yeah. yeah, he's crazy. I and think like, Coke is a, Coke Yeah, is he's a psycho. He's a straight up. He yeah. would be and that's, excited that's, to see flag. Too. Still and then, that,
4: a rapist though. Still a rapist. Oh no, oh, no, no, no. With no, no, you, like that's
3: that's why I think the character is so complicated, and that's why I'm like, there is, you know, that's why I love that King tackles the idea of a guy who indulges in that kind of behavior. What does he become? In the apocalypse and that he didn't just make it he becomes a straight bad guy yeah. like Lloyd is such a complicated character in yeah. so many ways. And that's why I was like, I want to hold off to book three because book yeah. three is when he really yeah, hits but like... But
2: like and, the, and the only reason why I bring up now is because he's such a he is such a big part of book one and he is so non-existent in book two. Yeah, I, which agree. I think... Which, which we, I'll will discuss, we will definitely talk about. The oh, biggest fault yeah. of the Yeah, But we won't say too much more it's
0: about a, it. A, it's, a, f- yeah. it's a flaw, much like the red flaw in his jet black necklace. Hey! Ooh.
2: And where would uh, he uh, be walking around? Possibly.
3: The cemetery! What's the
1: bottom of the truth? Well, sometimes, that is is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because whatever lives in the ground beyond that cemetery ain't human at all.
3: The cemetery is the section where we like to talk about the things that go bump in the night, or the day. Wow, in this case. Oh. or the day in this case. Uh, the things that spook us out. You know, Stephen King is a horror writer first and foremost, and we like to talk about what's scary. So um, I'm actually going to kick it off. I've, it's like I've got like just like a really small quote, and it's something that we've talked about ad nauseum. But I've got an actual quote. But literally, I think in book one, at least, the scariest moment for me is when Starkey goes down into the, uh, into the lab and then um, uh, kills himself. And, um, but this one quote destroyed me. I thought it was so good. Um, the smell in here was worse. Rancid food as well as dead bodies. Starkey looked around with dull horror. Some of them seemed to be looking at him. Men, Starkey said, and then choked. He had no idea what he had been about to say, and that's it. It was just like the fact that he started saying something like an amen. I don't know what he was saying.
0: What was I, I? I got that maybe it was like a military, like commanding them to attention or something. You know, yep. but who knows? It's yeah. just
3: such a freaky little moment. And then the sign that says um, "Now you know it works." Yeah, now you know it works. Any questions? That is so spooky to me until I imagined David S. Pumpkin yes. saying, any yes.
4: questions? I don't No! <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no! Oh, Randall, oh. fuck you! Thank God
0: I, have, I drove past that now section you know six it months, works. like four months ago. Any questions? I, I did get scared in that same scene by the, um, he also sees the two people who, realizing they were dying of plague, had sex really quick yeah. and, and then killed themselves. So like, that was also very That's Also,
5: I think goulash is disgusting so I kind of We'll what is gulag like it. a frozen
0: soup kind of thing? Like a Russian it's like like
4: It's like um, the in between of soup and That's casket. a
5: perfect example yeah. of it. Like, we have decided what we want this meal to be, so let's call it gulag. I
2: think it manifests in different ways, too. kind of reminds me of uh, Doctor Strange a little bit. The way that the, the government had kind of just uh, shrugged and got... Like, um, yeah. you know, Vandrake. Uh, when, or when yeah. Vandrake is talking to... Uh, God damn it, what's the general's name in that. Oh, um, um, it's,
0: uh, Gorilla, um, fuck, what's I name? can't remember. I, Either I way, man, like... Sterling Hayden's character. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, Kilgore. Is yeah, it Yeah, like, he
2: reminded me, like, Kilgore, it might have been that, actually. Yeah. He remind, it reminded me of his, that whole descent into madness right there, where he's just is,
0: like, it's all over. I mean, obviously so he, not. He is kind of, like, a more comedic version of Starkey a little bit, yeah. in a way. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah. I mean, I for me, I think book one has the scariest moments of... I mean, I think, honestly, book one has all the scariest moments, really. Um, yeah. Because I, I just don't think book two and book three are particularly scary at that point. But I think there's some. I, I have a few some. that I wrote there, down there yeah. few, They're but more.
5: It's, but Book three is more of an action drawing. I think uh, Mother yeah. Abigail's yeah. bow moments are pretty oh, scary. Oh, yeah. We'll <laughs> get into that one. Jesus.
2: <laughs> I, I, for me, this the scariest moment um, in all of book one, and actually the entire book... Is uh, Larry dealing with the death of his mother? Um, and like when she's starting to get sick and he mm-hmm. comes home, and it's like um, in the whole apartment kind of takes on a whole new light. Um, there's a section on page 189 of the um, Anchor Books edition. Uh, I think it's the recent one. I'm not going to keep re- re- you know, hammering <laughs> that. Like is that the, the Pole in <laughs> 1945 thing you were talking it about? It is the, the, the Pole in <laughs> 1945 one. Um, here's how King uh, describes the whole situation Mom? That groan again. The apartment was dim. The day had grown dark very suddenly, and now there was thick thunder and the sound of rain had swelled. The living room window was half open, the white curtains bellying out over the table, then being sucked back through the opening and into the air shaft beyond. There was a glistening wet patch on the floor where the rain had come in. Mom, where are you? And she, he starts hearing the groans and he starts hearing the groans, and he goes in there, and you just imagine this really, like, the fact that the, the sunlight just kind of goes, kind of just gets destroyed and like becomes a very dark room and when he finally gets to his mother this is how Larry describes it uh or Larry uh, King describes it uh through Larry's eyes but the worst thing the thing he never forgot was the way her visible eye rolled up to look at him like the eye of a hog in a slaughtering pen her face was bright with fever Larry it's just like uh, that whole that whole sequence is so like because at that point, Larry realizes that everything is just going mm-hmm. to shit, and it's it's not too long after he goes to um, he has what I think is Sting's best uh, sting. sting what I think is <laughs> King's best stinger. <laughs> uh, totally ruins this entire uh, atmosphere. But the because it's not too shortly after he sees like the Nightmare on Elm Street movie, and then it says like oh it'll be the last time anybody will see these. You know, Freddy won't come back because nobody's making movies anymore. But you get this descent into um, uh, isolation and an abandonment with Larry, mm-hmm. and that scene just peaks up big he, time, and I don't know, I just...
0: He added, I think he added this to, well, no, I guess because the first Nightmare on Elm Street wasn't out in 78, because he has that line about, uh, like... 84 was the first one. Yeah, because yeah, he has that line about, like, oh, and because I had a Roman numeral in front of it, he knew that Freddie would be back, but Freddy yeah. wouldn't... Real quick though, I don't think any of the, the Elm streets have numerals. I think they have the regular integers. You're correct. Yeah, incorrect. Or am I, uh, no, there's no Roman numerals. Yeah. It's just, so sorry, it's the okay. number four. but I do, I do like that idea that uh, because that's something I thought about in the book too, like. Was he was, right. th- oh, he was, was thinking about Jason. He, he was thinking yeah, about I was going to say exactly, Friday the yeah. 13th. more I do. But he, it's just yeah. interesting because you do. master of horror. Well, oh, hey, it wasn't <laughs> the internet back then, so, so you so can't just Google it. Something so. I think about a lot, like if the apocalypse didn't happen, is like, oh, most famous people would probably die, and you yeah. wouldn't know about it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Gene Shoutout in this uh, starts
2: coughing on the screen at the Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, I like it like because Gene little
0: And it's sad because Gene Shout actually is dead now, right? And so, but But he died of Captain Tripp. He was, like, Gene Shoutout was kind of annoyingly cheesy with his, like, silly puns and stuff. Uh, going back to the scene with Larry's mom real quick. Uh, sorry, I know I keep rant Bizarre Bad Dreams, but she says that line, go get your father. He's in the bar with that photographer. Now, that's maybe something Larry didn't know at that point. Like, yeah. oh, my dad cheated on you know, my mom. And King in Bizarre Bad Dreams is a story about a, um, I won't say too much of what happens in it, but it involves a son taking his dad who's in a nursing home out for lunch. Yeah. And part, part of what kicks off the kind of inciting incident in this story is that his dad starts talking about cheating on his mom, but in the same way that Larry's mom does, in kind of like that incoherent babbling kind of way. And they have this moment in the bizarre bedrooms dreams where that character stops, and he and he tries to talk about it with his dad, but then he keeps himself. And, and King kind of comments about like in the in the prelude about how when people get old, like they'll say these things that you may, may maybe don't want to hear, you know, and they'll reveal things about themselves and their past that really hurts you as their kids. Like you don't want to hear your dad's cheating on your mom or your mom's cheating on your dad or whatever. But like he because his dad is like like Larry's not gonna say to his mom, Hey, hey, I don't wanna hear that or like what do you mean? Like he's not gonna elaborate on that that was I know it's not like a supernatural moment, but that was really frightening to me, this like seeing like hearing other bits of your family history. Well the dementia is terrifying. I think that's one of the
2: scariest parts of the, the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: because their brains, brains are
5: cooking in their head, yeah. they say. Yeah,
0: and and th- so they're saying well, these. Like things it, it's like, like, it's like, like in signs, and, and they're saying these things and in Larry's what? mom's case. Like, I don't, I don't think she's like making anything up. I think that probably did. Yeah. Like, her dad probably did do that a lot, and that's that is also a hard. Like, you're dealing with the physical breakdown of your mom, but also this like history. Thing. King loves doing that though, because oh, yeah, he does yeah. it in Pet Cemetery Also, yes, yeah. You know? well, well, we do, also yeah.
4: we get a chapter in book one, at least in the expanded uncut mm-hmm. edition, where um. Uh, we're in somebody's mind as they wake up and realize what's happening to them, and slowly start to go back into delirium.
0: Oh, it's the guy! It's the guy who flag uh, makes get him. The car yeah. and everything. Bradenton,
2: which is the weirdest. It's it's, chapter
0: it's not a, it's we, it's well written. Like and the stuff you're talking about is scary. It's it's weird because flag. No, is, it doesn't uh, have
4: flag. It's one of the it's one of the guests. Oh, Vic. It's Vic. Vic. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. That yeah. right. yeah. 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 is very cool. creepy. Actually. Yeah, very. Because he's that. trying so hard to maintain his grip on reality, and it's just I mean, like yeah. diminishing, 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 diminishing. Well, they
5: talk about in the book how a lot of people. It seems like they're actually on the uptick, and that they're actually getting over it. Yeah. All of a sudden, it just. It, it hits them again really hard. They yeah. die. It's like this. Bug and that's, that's like God. That's away. so cruel. Yeah. Like you think it's, people are getting better that much crueler. Yeah. yeah. Um, for me, I mean, I think all the personal horror really resonates because you know you can only imagine like that happening to like a family member, or a mother, or something like that. But the House of Horror sequences, uh, there are two of them. One is the Lincoln Tunnel, mm-hmm. which is it was really captured well in the movie. We'll talk about that later. Yeah. Later. yeah. The other one is um, Stu finally getting a of Stilton. Yes. Oh, yeah. 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 That and is terrifying. There's, and there's, I'm sure we'll agree here, but it's. The line, he's he's leaving. You know, there's nobody. You know, we know where this is going. He's escaping. He's getting out. He's finally gonna get out. He's going down the stairwell, and all of a sudden, oh God! Stu was still staring out, transfixed, when the hand slipped out of the darkness of the stairwell and grasped his ankle. I gasped, tore at Stu's throat like a thorn. He looked around his belly a freezing flow of ice and beheld a bloody, grinning face upturned in the darkness. Come down and eat chicken with me, beautiful. It whispered in a cracked and dying voice. It's so dark. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs>
0: like, that's that's need, such a that's
5: weird. So I love weird. They yeah. could have just done the whole thing like, come with us or mm-hmm. stay with us. But
0: God. Well, what? And it's a, just And insane. I guess, like theoretically, if the, this guy is suffering the delirium, yeah, it's, it's the delirium. He, yeah. he yeah. might just be having it's some memory. He might it's be having some, some memory of like eating chicken with a date or something. But it's like so the food element is so gross and, and that's also the capper of a sequence that just in general is so terrifying yeah. like it sucks because in the comic book they, they gloss over that sequence and they've they had the chicken guy and everything but like it's just in like two pages and they don't get because in, in the book on his way out Stu sees a nurse that was nice to him and the guy asks yeah. Stu to kill him and he can't yeah. and like the, the elevator that's like stuck with the gurney yeah. in it. Uh, it just, Mick, it's just. MacKay does a great scene. job with it. M- that's that's my maybe M- my M- favorite the, scene in the, the film. Movie. Sequence does it it's, really well. It's the
2: best part of the film, I think. Yeah. yeah. I think I like I, 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 but the the thing I love about that chapter is that it it captures the feeling of a nightmare really well. Like when you're in a nightmare, you think you're gonna get to that point where you're safe, and you're it just just far enough away. Where you you also feel like something's gonna get you like yeah. the, the fact and that, that happens he, near the end of and it it does and, out but he's also scared but you think it's gonna be the other guy the other doctor elder, yeah. the elder yeah, yeah. and the, the the haunting image of just this thing stumbling on it's like what we always talk about like anything far away down a hallway is terrifying yeah like to you know it's it's like the it follows thing and that sequence is just like the whole time you think like. Oh, God, what's going to pop out? What's going to pop out? And, like, the the whole, like,
0: meandering hallways and not being able to find your way out A is just there. so... When like, Stu's never been outside that room, really. I mean, no, I guess no. when he got brought in, maybe. But he doesn't... Because that's part of what's scary, He doesn't too. remember being brought he in. He keeps just yeah. kind of going, All right, I guess I'm going to go this way. And that is scary because he does find the stairs and he sees the exit sign and this chicken guy happens. Yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> and the guy... <laughs> we'll touch on this in adaptations, but like, the guy delivers that line so well in the movie, yeah. I have no idea who that actor is. I don't know who he, it is. He
1: says it
2: like, come down and eat chicken with the be beautiful.
0: I'm going to make so it so my so mission,
4: so. mission to find out who that dude is and give a Please detailed do. history of his filmography. And let, let me know
5: if he's... It's crit. probably like Toby Hooper. Yeah. Yeah. Nick <laughs> yeah. Harris has Toby Jones. directors. Toby
4: Jones, it's Toby Jones.
5: Love Toby Jones.
4: Best. Was Elder a doctor...
0: So the thing in the book, and because it's Dietz in the movie, and he's a doctor. He's, but, they, he Deets in the in the movie, and he's another interesting character in the book. Because or sorry, Denninger. Because they Denninger, one other Deninger and, and Dietz, Dietz. which is that's the one sweet. where we get the POV chapter. That's Denninger, right? I can't remember. Either way, who was the one that was played by uh, our favorite <laughs> Max Wright? Max Wright. That's That's the Denninger. guy played by Max is, is Deninger. Who I think in the book he's an, he's another Starkey type character. We see a POV chapter, and like he actually has. Is kind of sympathetic towards everybody still being dead. So, Elder, so, and this, this, they consolidate all this in the movie, which makes sense. But, like in the book, Stu gets moved from the CDC in Atlanta to Stovington because Atlanta has just become a shit show. And once he gets to Stovington, Dietz and Deniger are presumably dead, all the rest of them are whatever. And this new guy is checking on him. And Stu knows that he's not a doctor, he's military because he has a gun or has has an escort with a gun, and that's Elder. So, I think the idea of Elder is that he's just like a button man from the military. He's not interested in studying Stu. Like he he knows he's going to Like I think the POV chapter is these. I think you're uh, right, yeah.
4: So mine is one of those quick like, flash fiction yeah. moments that Rand yeah. talked about. Uh, in Duluth, a man in khaki shorts and sandals walked up and down Piedmont Avenue with a large smear of ash on his forehead and a hand-lettered sandwich board hanging over his scrawny shoulders. The front read, The time of the disappearance is here. Christ the Lord returneth soon. Prepare to meet your God. The back read... Behold, the hearts of the sinners were broken. The great shall be abased, and the abased made great. The evil days are at hand. Woe to thee, O Zion. Four young men in motorcycle jackets, all of them with bad coughs and runny noses, set upon the man in the khaki shorts and beat him unconscious with his own sandwich board. Then they fled, one of them calling back hysterically over his shoulder... Teach you to scare people. Teach you to scare people, you half big freak.
3: Mm. Yeah.
4: Just like got me right in the pit of my stomach. And that
3: recalls back to the monster... Monster Shadow Monster yeah, totally. in New York and how Larry finds his body
0: stabbed to death. Yeah. Well, because like, if, you, if you think like... And we see this more in New York than the other chapters in, in the event of the apocalypse like this you would have a lot of people doing crazy shit and just looting and, and murdering or whatever else. And if they hear some like loud, crazy personality, just what's to stop them from doing that? I love them
3: saying teacher to scare people. Yeah. Like, that's Especially so Especially knowing that they're all
4: also gonna die, yeah. right? Because yeah. they all have colds. Yeah. So, just... Needlessly, yeah, like anybody is gonna be more scared, yeah. Right. It's, always, it's just, it's I, ugh, especially if like they bring tiny, in the whole like three paragraphs and it's perfect. The religious
5: guilt aspect, too, of and like, yeah, fuck, I don't want to hear it. Yeah, yeah. I,
0: I think for me, um, I have to be honest, I don't know if I have a specific, specific moment. The thing I noticed this on this reread that I did not get to me in this way before, once again, because I, I think I took my dad's comments to, to heart of like, oh no, everything's fine when you're a you're kid, <laughs> but just the. It was a different kind of terror than reading Night Shift or... Well, that's not true. because Some of the apocalyptic stuff in Night Shift got to me in this way. But for the most part, the, the books we've covered so far, The Stand, book one, just in general this time around, it, it was horrific, but it was... Anxiety is the best way I could describe it. It was just this general feeling. And then this goes away in books two and three as it becomes more supernatural, which, like you guys said, is not as scary to me. There, there are there are still scary elements of there books are, two yeah. and three, and I still overall like it as a book, but book one just showing how things break down so quickly and there's just a powerlessness I think felt among among not not necessarily the people who survived but the people who are dying Well, even the people that survived too yeah yeah because yeah. they don't really realize what's going yeah. on until later on and, and so I, I think just that I, I don't know I guess my my choice for the cemetery is just that overall feeling of power powerlessness and um, very palpable anxiety that I and I don't know if this because I just wasn't old enough to like really understand the ramifications of what was going on in the book or if it's like, like I said, our current political climate or whatever else, but like I felt I felt very freaked out reading book one. I, I really think it has to do with the per- current political climate. I think so too. That's all I can think about. Is yeah. that
2: like, if this did happen right now under this administration, we are so fucked. Because yes. they're not going to know what to do and they're going to lie their fucking heads off because yeah. they've already done it. So why wouldn't they? Well,
4: I mean, and you assume just... that most administrations would lie but this one would lie oh, and be right. really bad at
0: yes, and aggressive exactly. about it too you know yeah. like it, yeah so anyway I mean, there's a lot of i think
2: that anxiety also comes with the fact that like king is really good at just showing the brutality of yeah. of um that uh well, if that human lack beings, of really, human yeah. beings I mean like even just the way he describes where the bodies go i mean there's like that one thing where they use pitchforks on the bodies and like all of it they dumped like them into the and Boston Harbor yeah,
4: off the it. like, bridge or something nah. onto a passing yeah. I,
5: d- I just think book one is much more psychological and yeah. then you got book two which is just much more physical yeah, yeah. You know? speaking so, yeah. of
4: physical oh
3: I'm hungry for some pound cake
1: <laughs>
4: after all you've been done everyone in band. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mom. You like him. You really like him, Mama. So, Allison,
3: kick this off. Yeah.
4: Um, oh I do, this is just like a little public service announcement. Because I think that, so far, you know, the... 9,000 pages of this 20,000 page book that um, it's like a remarkable work of fiction but I just think to you ye aspiring novelists out there particularly if ye are male um, just imagine that when you're writing and you're writing say a, a, a general who's just been relieved of duty and has to deal with the guilt of potentially being responsible for the death of thousands and thousands of American citizens and you're wandering into it like a death bunker in this incredible chapter that's a remarkable piece of prose. Um, <laughs> that you imagine reading what you've written out loud to an audience of one, and that audience is me. And I'm sitting there, just imagine the look on my face. <laughs> I'm going to make the look, and then you see if you can hear it. And the look is like... <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. Right? Okay. Um, so when you get to the part where this general who's preparing to die uh, has to debate whether or not he's going to reach down and touch a dead woman's breasts. Just imagine my face and decide (laughs) if you should include it. Uh, And then apply that to all other sections and think, "Mm, is this necessary? Is it going to deepen the story? Is it going to Further the world? Is it going to heighten my fucking fiction? And if it's not, maybe you take it out. <laughs> maybe you take the dead woman's breasts out. I just like, I craze that scene. I like, I like the... That no. I love, like, oh, I, it's easily I know, my favorite I chapter know exactly in book what you're one. talking But brother. Jesus fucking Christ. <laughs> but just think, do we need, do we need these tits? Are these tits necessary tits? Guys, and if know? they're not necessary tits, then take out the I, tits.
0: But I think Stephen King always errs on the side of necessary <laughs> tits. Yeah, right. the tits are always necessary <laughs> yeah. in King's world.
1: Just
4: picture, just picture the face. Assign the face of, like, your favorite smart woman who doesn't accept your bullshit. And picture her listening to you read it out loud. So, And imagine her face. That's my warning to you. Like,
3: we like to joke about when we talk about Pound Cake that, like, when Steve, Stephen King writes it, that he's at his computer being like, ooh, yeah. Stevie's
4: yeah. being bad.
2: <laughs> or <laughs> the typewriter. He's yeah. like, I want to make this these four hours of writing today count.
3: Yeah, <laughs> so like, so I have a part where it sounds like he literally like uh, lost control of himself as he was writing, yeah. and it's when um uh <laughs> um uh he's talking about Fran, and it's like a very early Fran chapter, yeah. and he's like describing her, and I think he is this is this are we, yeah yeah, this, yeah. And Mike and I have the same one. Uh, do you it's the first one. No, no, you go Fran. Okay. You Take the honors if you yeah, want. Yeah. Well, uh, wait. Yeah. Let me see yours. um <laughs> She was a tall girl with chestnut hair that fell halfway down the back of her buff colored shirt she was wearing. Good figure, long legs that got appreciative glances. <laughs> prime stuff in italics was the correct frat house term, she believed. Looky, 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 here comes Miss Nookie, Miss College <laughs> oh Girl, nineteen ninety. It's like he can't stop. But again, that's an example of him
5: poking fun, quote unquote. Like, like in Jerome and his yeah, Mercedes. Like, oh, this it is okay going. because I'm saying these people are but saying. But it keeps it. going. Yeah. Well, he yeah.
0: couldn't. He couldn't. Even the prime stuff line is a little silly. Prime but, stuff. But he'd stop there. You're like, okay, but then like looky like... Okay, Steve, uh, this like college girl, nineteen <laughs> so ninety. Days.
2: Oh, and, and rest assured, his obsession with uh, testicles, as we saw in *The Shining*, yeah. uh, continues here. Um, he, 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 you know, we 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 saw how uh, Dick Hallorans uh, um, testicles uh, shriveled up a little bit in the in the uh, in the winter. Um, you know, he he says on uh, page thirty seven, uh, the skin crawl that had started near the base of, the, of his testicles and was now working up into his belly, like. He's just, like, uh, the, the, the things that he's obsessed with, he's obsessed with bowel movements, which you're
0: really going to talk about. It's like about. breasts, bowel movements, and testicles. Like, like And cha- it's weird because characters are, um... I mean, I, I guess you're kind it's of... It's the three women. Bs. Bro- breasts, <laughs> bowel movements, and balls. <laughs> <Three> well, <laughs> we've
4: got to find some sort of addition because there's also the, um... The, the movement of body parts and people who are overweight. Yes. 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 So, uh, bubbling... Bobbling. Yeah. Let's say bobbling.
0: Yeah, well, but then it's a beach, bee. Beach, beach, oh, bee. Oh, yes, Bubbling. you're right. You're or the right. poet's pot. Is that
2: a belly? Uh,
0: poet's pot. He says that on, like, page yeah. 331. I'm like, well, what he, the fuck he, is he, that? Like it's tape. funny to me that, because he, he um, and this actually goes, this is, like, really weird. So he, he talks frequently about, in the early chapters, Harold's hips and ass, like, wiggling, jiggling like a yeah. girl's. It's joggling. Joggling oh. like a girl's when he runs down. Now, this is weird, because J- Justin and I read the, uh, the, it, script for for um you yeah, know the it adaptation which may or may not be that you know used we as, talked about yeah, it on the last yeah, yeah you guys you guys are reading evil tweets now Kerry Fuginawa and whoever the co-writer is, I can't remember, he um would he describes Ben Hav Haskum, who's the overweight character in it, running now this is in the script, not in the book. No. Now, it, I'm sure Stephen King does this in the book, but they go to great lengths of the script about three or four times when they describe the losers running away. It's just like, oh, the losers run, uh, like, bent ass jiggling like a girl. And I'm like, what? what? Like, why Like why are you even, even if this is in it, like, why are you putting this in here? I'm just so, making
4: that face yeah. so hard.
0: The, oh, it's like, it's very bizarre. And like, hey, and like I said, I, there are there are things that I mean. It, it, in many ways, I, I will always love the way Stephen King writes about sex because it's so distinct and weird. And like I, I think that. I think the reason Pound Cake gets such a hit with you, list, or you yeah, your listeners is because we read Stephen King they're just every book has like some head scratching like what the fuck is he talking about and like but in the, yeah and the test the test the three B's boobs, testicle or was it boobs <laughs> balls, balls and breasts or no no boobs, balls and bowel movements like the bowel movements I can somewhat see because like everyone's in bed Aware of their like own internal functions and makeup, and I, especially when you're scared, I guess. The I mean, I've never felt. Apparently, like,
2: every character in the Steven King universe is well aware that they're going to shit their pants. <laughs> yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, That's and, like true. And, and or he,
4: piss their pants. We get some pants. Yeah, on oh, yeah, his, that's and your, yeah. yeah, yeah. And, and, and there's
0: some. And, and you know, the testicles thing maybe also if you're a guy, I guess you would feel that. But it is where it comes up. A lot. But it it does seem like every character is aware of breasts, like in a way that is just kind of. Um, I I got, I got a little pressure.
4: Mom, like everybody's boobs. Just like, there's just boobs everywhere.
0: If you, if you're an old woman, you usually have like a, a full matronly bosom. Yeah. Um, I, I have a boob part I uh, kind of love and it's actually, this is actually designed to be funny and I think it is funny and I, I don't know why, it made me laugh so hard when I read it because it all, it's, it has to do with Doc Soames' relationship with Sheriff. Oh, exactly. oh yeah, this. no, this is great. Which I actually, like, I love their relationship. It it's had,
4: folksy. It's
0: very folksy is a great word for it. And like, they're this actually, I think, described their kind of like casual ribbing. Yeah, kind of describes their relationship. So this is when um, Doc Soames is is uh, in the sheriff's office and he wants to uh, inspect his inspect um, check up his body, I guess, for to see if he's sick or not. So here we go. Um, and, and the whole time he's just like ribbing John Baker about how he actually needs to lose some weight and everything so this is what Doc, Doc Stone says to John Baker uh, Baker had warmed out of his undershirt there, what'd I tell you? Soames asked, and he got a set of knockers on him. Even an old shit like me could get horny looking at that. Like I don't know why that. Like I, I, I thought that was so funny. Like this old guy, like and I, and I was picturing the guy from the movie who's the mm-hmm. dinosaur guy from Mrs. Yeah, Fire. oh my god, and they and, love and, that they, I, and I, I almost like just wish there was some deleted scene that they couldn't air on ABC of him, yeah. him saying that to Troy Evans. It just like. Correct. Yeah, that I really see
4: I pictured Wilfred Brimley. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> god. I don't know why, but it just didn't Which is even better if you're But it, if it feels it the reason crazy. that feels different to me is that uh, you can understand why that doctor would want to lighten the mood because his the man's thing, wife is yes, concerned yes. about his health and they're in a prison and he's trying to Exactly. Make him comfortable, and so that's what we call bedside manner. And yeah. if bedside manner takes the form of man boob jokes, then I love it. it. Oh
0: God. Yeah. <laughs> I just I, I, I picture of him being like, "Oh, we're roll old shit like oh, a little, little shit." Boy, him, Watch Clark. Anyway, what Watch what, what Clark. Other, what other pound cake do we got? I actually think there's more pound cake. There's than i Mike has, I, 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 so I think, fifteen bullet points. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I can't.
5: I can't imagine you at home. Like looking for a pen, like oh my god, there's a testicle. Yes. Yeah, like my wife, my wife, where? <laughs> Give me my, a pen. My wife, my son. Wait, even <laughs> um,
0: it, it's like the way Stephen King is when he writes The Pale King. That's how I gets when he finds. It. He's like, ooh. <laughs>
2: Look, I, I,
0: I read a lot of this stand while walking to work, which is about a three mile walk from
2: my my house. So I'll, I'll read it in like. If I don't have a pen, I just, like, curl the little pages. Yeah, yeah. It. And, and it's in my back. I, I'm, as I'm reading, I keep thinking, like, don't forget to get that pen when you get to the office. You, gotta, you, you, gotta you so got it. You got it. So there's, to. like, get the, the pound is, pen. But I, pound put, I pen. put PC at the top of my book, like, you know, like, <laughs> all the time. Correct? No, no, I just pound I know. Pen. I'm just kidding. Um, and so, like, there, there's a bunch that I have PCU? on here. Yeah, just <laughs> rattle them down. So, like, um, on page 15, uh, we, we already mentioned the Prime Stuff line. Um, page 37 uh, was the obsession with the texticles. 56... Which is uh, when Larry uh, notices the bosom of his uh, of his mother. <laughs> um, her bosom was was still the same large comber blooming out of that bodice of the dress. A little larger, if anything. Mom, tell me the truth. Has your bo- bosom gotten bigger? Is that the fundamental change? Like, okay. Well, he goes um, so
0: far with it. He just he could just say oh, always, yeah, mom. mom. His, <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, mom is your bosom. Hey, hey, hey mom. Me.
2: On page yeah, eighty, maybe. there's uh, some plentiful breasts, whatever that means. Um, <laughs> Does that mean more than two? I don't know. Oh, yeah, maybe it's not a Total Recall thing. It, it came out in nineteen ninety, I think, more right? Than two. Um, think Futurama.
1: Oh <laughs> god! Oh, they, uh, okay. So this is
2: the, this is the best one. This is the one I think uh, I pretty much text everyone. When we, what was it? Uh, so, oh, okay. Um, on page one hundred one, uh, uh, Larry's uh, sleeping with the, the the woman that he has a one night stand with. Uh, the oral hygienist came in wearing a pink nylon half slip and nothing else. Hi, Larry, she said. She was short, pretty in, the va- in a vague Sandra D sort of way, and her breasts pointed at him perkily without a sa- sign of a sag. What was the old joke? That's right, loot. She had a pair of thirty eights and a real gun. Ha <laughs> <Loot. laughs> ha, very funny. He had come over 3,000 miles to spend the night being eaten alive by Sandra D. And
3: he, which, says, the, the the gob- gob- he says the word gobble. He oh, yeah. says the word gobble. But there's also being the line
4: go- about um, uh, oral hygiene that's in her specialty was oral, something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah,
3: yeah.
2: Um, oh, gosh, where is that one? It's it's It's, right it's, around, it's, it's around this area. But he does, yeah, the gobbled, he goes, being gobbled means never having to say you're sorry. Ha ha. Jesus, I am going crazy.
3: I love the ha ha's. Yeah. <laughs> 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 well, you look for the other one. I have a Larry one. Um, yeah, Larry that's later. Go, this is post, uh, this is actually right before he finds Rita's dead body. Oh, yeah. But he's like, um, he sings the, it's the 4th of July and he sings the Star Spangled Banner as he's pissing. Oh yeah. And he says he finished with a snappy salute at the building he thought might be the Bennington Courthouse, then turned around thinking the best way to start another Year of independence in the good old US of A would be with a good old all American fuck. Yeah. And then later he goes, he goes, he went back to the, he- the tent, then hesitated for a moment. Maybe he ought to let her sleep. Maybe she was worn out. But he looked down at old Sparky, and old Sparky didn't really want to let her sleep. Singing the old Star Spangled oh. Banana had turned him right on. So Larry turned back the tent flap and crawled in. Oh, that's not
2: the only name he's got for his, uh, his Johnson. He says, uh, at one point, um,
0: uh, he's, uh, talking about his, uh, John Thomas. (laughs) Wait, is, this might be book two, uh, so I won't, is, um... Him discovering the barn is that that's book two, right? Book two. Okay. That's book two. I man. got i love my one of my favorite Larry Larry's home take <laughs> moments. Is well, we,
2: I mean, as we keep going, there's uh, they, you know, get the honeydew melon on, on page 243. <laughs> honeydew melon, um, who's,
0: who's that in reference to?
2: Uh, I don't remember. Brother so Abigail, that. it's uh, <laughs> oh, Dr. Soames. Uh, so he goes, he looks soames. What's Doc Soames? Uh, yeah, so he, um, oh, yeah, he goes. Uh, he King. lurched back and forth along the porch after Nick like a zombie in a third-rate horror picture. His crotch had swelled terribly. His underpants looked as if oh, someone yeah. had stuffed a honeydew melon. Oh, that's kind of creepy. Like, yeah. I, I, I,
0: we And we should, as always, he, King does have a lot of uh, bodily function and like... Specials. Oh, no, this was somebody that, that ran
2: out of the house. Oh, okay, actually. gotcha, yeah. Like, yeah.
0: like, he does, King does, I mean, that's the beauty of King, you know, he can be so crass and gross and misguided with pound cake, but there are moments like that where it's actually like kind of disturbing, you know, and then, yeah. That whole
5: moment's actually really disturbing because of that yeah. man, he runs out of his house, he's obviously sick, Nick watches him. Yeah. The man shakes his fist weakly and crawls back inside not bothering to shut the door. Uh, yeah. uh, <sighs>
4: correction, the man that teaches Nick how to do all of his reading and writing and arithmetic mm-hmm. Uh, is named Rudy Not the same Rudy Different Rudy What can I say guys Good uh, uh, yeah, yeah thank you
0: um, I, No well uh, There are a few characters I noticed like in, Throughout the book. There's a couple dicks There's like a couple, well A lot of, a lot of dicks A lot of dicks <laughs> <laughs> Hey That's no, a well, Which you. I do kind of like Because I used to be Super I used to be really against I used to be really against I'm like oh why do These characters have The same name I'm like but theoretically if This yeah, happened sure. Although there is like uh, <laughs> You point this out There's like Heck-Drogan, then, yeah. like, Winky, yeah. what, Dorgan? Or Dorgan. Or Hors- Hors- like it's, like, Barry
3: Dorgan and then Winky-Drogan or something yeah, like that. Uh, yeah. It's so, it's something, or Horgan. It's something like that. Yeah. It's, like, why? Uh, yeah. Like, why? I mean, there,
2: there, there's a lot of, uh, a lot more that they had. Like, at one point, there's, um, on 332, Bitch Kitty. <laughs> Pants wedding <laughs> girl. On 359. The weirdest thing, though, and I don't, this is the last one I want to add on there, is the whole Bradenton chapter. Now, Bradenton is this character that Flag employs basically with weird dreams to bring him a car, which makes no
0: sense anyway. Why would um, Flag need? Why couldn't he just get a car himself? Well, that, the thing
2: that's perplexing to me is that there aren't really any, um, you know, like there aren't any gay characters in this book, and yeah. like the only one that well, D- is well, Dana eventually. Well, Dana, kind yeah, of kind of, sense, which yeah. then they all make a big deal out of that one, yeah, like, you know, Stu does at least. Oh, yeah. We'll um, get to that, in book but book. we'll get to yeah. that in there too. But the weird thing with Bradenton is that it's almost like he's evil for this. These kind of in, these indulgences, like he, they basically are like his. His, like, homosexuality is almost like an indulgence. They, in they, they, they present it as being very like, grotesque. A vice? Kind of, yeah, yeah, and, like, so it's he's, it's... he discusses, like, about having um, uh, this this boy that comes into his room um, that is, uh, he's wearing lemon yellow bikini briefs which cling lovingly to every ridge and hollow of his precious buttocks, <laughs> and you know if he turns his face will be like Raphael Angel, and he will be hung like the Lone Ranger's wolf. Hi ho, silver! <laughs> it's like behind the Camelot, <laughs> yeah, right? like Matt Damon or something. Yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. It's just a very weird, bizarre chapter. That's pretty subversive. Lo- lo-
0: Logistically, and it's funny too because that's we only really have one one real full like flag encounter in the, in this book. Well, I mean, by by full, like fully developed in book one, like, yeah. In book one, and then they have that chapter. So it's like we don't even know flag that well yet, and and all we know about him is that he's this kind of like nebulous, like, you know, faceless, um, powerful being. And then he needs this guy to help him get a car. Like it's, it's so it's just, weird. It's a weird yeah. I just
4: sort of assumed that it was more emotional devastation. Like yeah, taking people right. and bending them to his will because he can. He's, He's just, just right. kind of yeah, He's just bored. It,
0: it it is weird though that we start with this character who we have not met before and like there's this gay fantasy that kind of like, <laughs> you know, it's supposed to be looked and, at in a weird way. Flag invades. Yeah, it's it's, it's very strange. Um, I've got
4: another real quick run yes. off and it's not pound cake so much it's just a sentence yeah. that I really like that could Whatever, and it's uh, those boys are more dildos than desperados. <laughs> oh,
0: man, that's crown cake. Who says that? Is that a
4: Baker? God damn it! I love Sheriff B- John baker. B- 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 I have,
0: baker Baker's I- a heel and I like it. I, I love, love it. it. I have it. a
3: funny story. When I was a kid, uh, uh, I was on vacation, and I was with my best friend Matt, and it was his dad and my dad, and they were driving us in the van, and we were in the back seat and a Guns N' Roses song came on and uh, my dad goes Guns N' Roses sucks <laughs> and then I go I go what Slash and I was like eight years old or something it's yeah. like Slash is the best guitarist in the world and my dad goes I think my dad had, had a few beers and he goes Slash is a dildo <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, you not know, hear it it was- Wait, like, like using that great. as, like, an insult,
3: like, is, like... It was yeah. so... And my dad, like, knew he was he was goofing. Slash like, he was just kind of drunk, I think. It was the funniest fucking thing. I, I, so funny. Like, I still tell... I still, like, quote it back at him to this day. But um I have one other pound cake. And this one, it's not even, like, that much a pound cake. It's, like, what's written is not super offensive. It's just, like, the, um... The way it's like right at the end of book one when Stu meets Fran and Harold is being really aggressive and being like Stu like stay away from her you know and uh, Stu goes Stu rolled back his rolled his sleeve back down without replying it was the girl of course uh, Harold had gotten used to the idea of owning her well some girls could be owned and some could not this one looked like the latter type she was tall and pretty. Very fresh looking. Uh, Burn it all
4: down. Burn yeah. it all
1: down.
0: Burn <laughs> it down.
4: Well, and, and I will say like
3: he's criticizing Harold for like objectifying a woman, but then and then he, and does then the same he same ends way. up by saying she was tall and pretty and very fresh. When, and do you do you remember like fresh
0: is a very bizarre way to describe a woman? Do, do you remember right right after that? And, then, and once again, I chalk it up to well, I, I hope to chalk her up to like the sign of the times. He pulls Harold aside, and, and look no, no Stu is right in that Franny is like not, not going to take Harold shit and like, and like Alice was saying Franny is like a really strong female character in this but and, and I, th- I do think for the most part especially in book two I mean although it kind of drives me nuts sometimes their relationship just because it's so like annoying uh, Stu and Fran but like for the most part Stu actually is a pretty progressively minded male in terms of their, their like dynamic together but when we, fir- the first, and maybe this is just that Arnett text that's coming out of him, but in that first moment <laughs> where he, pull- he read out, right he pulls Harold aside, and he has a line, like, it- it's, I'm paraphrasing, but he says something like, you know, like, if, if you're a man and, like, you want a woman and uh, and she doesn't want you, you have a choice between, like, trying to take her by force or just going home and jerking off or something. I see what King's trying to do there, and once again, it ties back to good intentions, you know, but he, you know, Stu could have just said to Harold, like, Hey, I, you know, I'm not going to encroach on, on if you have a thing go with Fran, but at the same time, she's their own woman, and you need to let her make her decision. It's pretty much what Mick Garris does in them. Like, exactly. A it's a good adaptation choice, yeah. and once again, it's telling that in both the comic and Mick Garris's movie. They, they were like, hey, let's, let's... I mean, King wrote that screenplay, and he, he probably looked at that and was like, eh, maybe, maybe I should I think happen.
5: they're both ways of Stu um, going down to Harold's level so Harold can understand him. That
0: it right. that it oh, that's actually a good point though. That is yeah.
5: because Stu he's trying to play he's trying to like you know and he does, prop he, up Harold
0: by talking He's talking about to a 16. Ah, yeah. Uh I'll say it again, Touche. <laughs> <There you go. laughs> any, well, any other Well, I think uh,
3: I think we've all had our filling of pound cake. Uh, and this, then, and this isn't even the
0: there's more pound cake in There's in more. Part to come two. I would say I think part part two many tons a much bigger piece. A much got bigger, so much, much pound bigger much bigger pan of pound cake. Yeah. I'm gonna
2: toss the pan over to you guys for this for book two and uh, book three. Yeah, I've
0: got yeah. plenty. There's a um, lot in book three. The, in the book the, but book two, I think most of the pound comes at the tail end of chapters. And I do mean the tail end. Oh, I know. With so line. the... Stu l- and Franny forever. Oh, uh, boy.
3: So, that leads us to um, take a look at the broader world of King's work in a section we like to call King's Dominion.
1: There's another world out there.
3: I I have one I want to kick off with that I actually found really exciting because it was a reference to a book that I really love that most people really hate (laughs) and um, also I would say that uh, I really love it in memory and I don't want to like really cling to that stance because when I when I reread it we'll see where I'm at you keep looking at me well, I know you don't like it. I know uh, <laughs> exactly Well, no, there's a reference. Um, uh, Franny mentions a woman who lives in Haven, Maine, who mm-hmm. writes westerns, oh, which is yeah. a reference to the Tommyknockers, and exactly. one of the main characters oh, in the Tommyknockers. Bobby. And this predates Bobby, yeah. And this, this predates, well... Well, maybe... The thing was, by the this that was probably an update to the rewrite. Maybe. Yeah, because he had written Tommyknockers by the time he did the updated yeah, version. Well,
0: I, so I thought you'd do like Tommyknockers a little. You bit. know,
5: it's funny. I've read that. Sorry, I've read that. New, I've read that book twice. Yeah. And it's always great until the last quarter. Uh huh. And apart then I mean, and when it, it falls apart, it falls apart. But the far. thing
3: is, like, I still think the the final couple pages are fucking beautiful. They are. And I'm gonna stand by it. Like, I agree I, with that. You're I'm gonna, gonna stand by it. it? I'm gonna <laughs> stand. it. <laughs> By then. Okay, so
4: I'm dead. I died. Yeah. <laughs> okay.
5: Rest in peace, Allison. Um, what, what do you have though? I'm curious, Mike. Obviously, there's the Randall Flag connection. Yeah, type, and which I think members. we should talk. In book we'll talk three. about that later. I think book three is a good one, especially yeah.
2: with the ending. But um, the only yeah. thing I could find was on page 218. There's a reference to Flag being in Dallas with Oswald, which is kind of interesting. Oh, because I, remember that. I thought would, of that too. You know, and it's interesting because. Like eleven twenty two sixty three, the seeds of that book go back to the seventies. So, mm. uh, you know, on well,
4: flags in the adaptation.
0: Yeah, so you know. Oh, you see on the show.
4: You see him. I mean, people assume. Oh, you, you guys see, mentioned see, that. Yeah. That it kind wait, of wait, wait. Somebody, Ex- explain that. I the, haven't heard that. So in the Hulu adaptation, it's like an Easter egg. It's well, I watched it, like but that. I didn't
3: catch the Easter egg. It so
4: it, when they're in Dallas, there's this brief moment where you see essentially like an extra walk past. Um, But, you know, it's like yeah, just kind of dark menacing kind of it, it just really looks like do, do they do anything
3: yeah. with
0: like it's
4: much better than when they're running through the book depository and it says red rum on the wall I remember yeah. that and I, that I, one I went Ugh. I think
0: I looked at Jen and I did like a
5: but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do like what well, we're talking about that I do like the Captain Trips yeah, yeah. when they goes back to well, I we're spoiling stuff about 11, But 2263
3: right. we'll get there in nine years but I just yeah.
5: think it was
2: interesting that that would be you <laughs> yeah. know obviously King gets this the conceit of Randall Flag. Lies in the the, Steve, the sympathy for the devil song. Yeah. Like I mean, it's pretty much just that concept of the devil being there. You know, evil just always dwelling on huge chaotic events in history. Yeah, and flag definitely. That's like pretty much the conceit of flag right there. So it makes sense that they would choose the Kennedy thing, but it's but it's kind of cool in hindsight now to be like, well, maybe he was part of he- the, the whole. Chaos that's going on in It sixty, three. It is
0: interesting how they paint flag in that in that one chapter they have in this book. In that he has sort of been present at like every chaotic event uh, from the sixties onward. Now something that's interesting is that he says he thinks he was born during the um, the civil rights movement, but then he says, but he does remember growing up in Nebraska and going to school with someone named Charles Starkweather, who, as we know, is is the serial kill killer it. that is supposed the kid who we'll get to in book two. Is supposed to be the, the reincarnation. Of. Of and something else that they talk about in Book Two is that um I won't I won't spoil too much of the events that happened, but even though Kidd is presents himself as somewhat of an oppositional force to Flag, there's also a, there are also a few hints that Flag actually sent him to to yeah. do that to sway the trash can. Man. So that's interesting. The like connects itself in its own way in that weird way. But, but something I was wondering... Is, now, to be clear, and I know this is confirmed, spoiler alert for anyone who hasn't read the Dark Tower books or Eyes of the Dragon, in, in the Dark Tower, the gunslinger in the first book, Roland is chasing uh, the man in black across the desert, who Walter Adin, who of course ends up being Randall, Randall Flagg, Park. as we find out later. That's a retcon move, because mm-hmm. when King originally wrote that, he did not have that as Randall Flagg. So I'm wondering this whole, like... Because when he says, oh, he thinks he was born in the Civil Rights Movement, although he remembers talking to Charles Starkweather, I'm wondering if at, the, at that point he still considered him separate from the Dark Tower. At the same time, though, him not remembering where he came from would very much be in line with, like, how Randall Flagg is in the other books because he kind of wakes up in these other worlds sometimes. And well,
4: and with supernatural beings in general. Exactly,
0: yeah. yeah. And, and he's, he's just purely this agent of chaos. Like, he wakes up, he knows his intent is to... Um, is to cause these problems. And that's why, like, that's why I love that flag in the book. He's, he's marched with both, like, black activists and with the Ku Klux yeah. Klan. He doesn't really care. He, he doesn't really care, like, how the chaos happens. He just wants it to happen. You know, he probably doesn't yeah. even care that, um, but I don't think they confirm this, but I wouldn't be surprised if he's, like, stoking the, the press, like, revealing all the plague stuff. Because he probably, lo- he probably loves the Ray oh, Flowers absolutely. is doing that. And then at the same time, he loves it, the army shutting it down. But, um, yeah, going back to just the idea of King's Dominion, there are definitely some things I noticed uh, later on, and obviously um, people we'll definitely go over it into two p- or three. We well, we yeah. talked about this in the Night Shift episode. There, the Hemmingford home is mentioned in um, Children of the, the Corn, and yeah. that, and we think that um, there there are th- there are theories that maybe Flag is he who walks behind the rose, which. Uh, we might we'll have someone on the podcast later. who might have some thoughts on that too. But yeah. um, let see. That's so, called yeah. a teaser. Yeah, wonder, yeah. yeah. So, it's kind of funny because Flag is such a big connection to um, yeah. the rest of Kings of and the the I think this is maybe the first time the connection became this explicit in the wastelands of the Dark Tower. Once again, spoiler alert: if you haven't read that book, they stumble across yeah. the uh, a the, an alternate reality version of Captain Trips because. Yeah. They find a uh, they find like a plagued out America, but it's in a different year. Than and the they Stan. have the headlines and stuff. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So it's a, and, and I don't think they know that, but the readers know that, and that's where they first. Conf- I think that's the first book where they confirm that flag is. Yeah, is
2: yeah. I, I, part of me that felt like a Prometheus sort of thing, where it was just like, why yeah. you not have it in the same year? Yeah. And like, what this whole like idea of it being like an alternate time? It, well, it's all just, the different, different things. Yeah. It should just been the regular world of the stand.
0: And then that was that would have been I, a, it's, I a, it's do, already an Easter egg to the stand. So. Mac Mac, know, uh, yeah, he talks about the tr- different beams a lot, the beam of the rat yeah. and all this stuff. I do like the idea of there being different beams and there are different worlds. But I would just be fine with it being like, okay, the world of the stand is one world. Yes, the world of Christine is another. Like, you know what I mean? And maybe they're connected. It's it does get a little tricky when you get into like, oh, there are infinite versions of the stand. Yeah, you know, that's like, kind of huh? and
2: I understand that. That's uh, like you know that's part of. The mystery of uh, of the there are there worlds in these thing, but like just don't get too. Crazy. There's a larger, we'll definitely dive into that. When yeah, we to the Waste especially Lash the third forty five. Third, book, third book for sure.
3: There's yeah. a larger. Um, I don't know. This sort of fits into King's Dominion, but one of the things I found very striking was that when Randall Flagg, excuse me, is first introduced. He's wearing a uh, pin that has a pig on it, mm-hmm. and he makes like he talks about pigs a couple times. I can remember. There's like several references, and then later when Tom Cullen is under hypnosis, he's talking about Randall Flag, and he says uh, he has the name of a thousand demons. Jesus knocked him into a herd of pig pigs once. His name is Legion, mm. and that's a reference to uh, uh, the Gospels when. Um, uh, Jesus casts out a demon and sends it into a herd of pigs, and they run off a mountain, and then they all die. and uh, And the the demon says before he casts it out, "My name is Legion, and uh, for we are many." Mm-hmm. And um, you know, it's it's a classic biblical phrase. You know, that sort of represents how one demon equals a million demons. You know, and so that's actually a really and, like, so the fact that he had a pig pin on, I remember being struck from moment one about that. And also because uh, Mother Abigail describes Randall Flagg as the devil's
0: imp. Yeah, um, because they, they make it clear that he's not Satan, but he's probably in love yeah. with Satan. And that's man. the that's what I think
3: is interesting, is that in the world of this book, it exists in a very religious world, in a Christian world, in the sense that uh, they're referencing uh, demons from the Bible and the idea of the devil, a Christian devil. And But as we see in the world of Randall Flagg later, he sort of transcends religion in he a does. lot of ways.
0: And I think that's something to talk about later, but I think that that is an interesting thing to touch it, it, on It's here. this idea of, because he's able to go from midworld to all worlds, yeah. you know, he can kind of, like, spot these these other beings to, like, further his purpose of chaos, and maybe he's... It's funny to think of Randall Flagg, even though he's, like, serving Satan. The idea that he spotted Satan, he's yeah. like, ooh, I'm gonna link up with him, and um, yeah. uh, we'll, we'll save this, we probably went through the keyhole, and yeah. when we'll talk about Dark Tower, but... You find out later on, um, and, and there there is a lot of debate among Stephen King's fandom of whether or not this was a strong choice. But you you find out a lot later on about exactly where Randall Flagg did come from and yeah. like his 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 childhood and some other stuff, which is interesting because that that has, I remember Raffenscheik shaking his head like I hate, I hate he like, hates I that hate yeah.
2: prequel sort of mythology. Yeah, like, just, well, well, and, and
0: it does it. take it, it is weird to think of Randall Flagg of like oh he's actually this like flesh and blood person who had a childhood. You know, I do like yeah. it when he's a force. No, anyway. Just, that's for
3: down the line. That's yeah. a whole other thing. Yeah. But uh, so I think that wraps it up for King's Dominion. Let's just talk about our final thoughts on book one.
0: Dad, can we go
1: now? You ready? Yeah, we've been ready for an hour. <laughs> okay, I'll be right there. He
0: said that a half hour ago. Yeah, my dad's weird. He gets like that when he's writing.
3: Um, I'll kick it off. I think that book one is a fantastic piece of post-apocalyptic, well, almost apocalyptic storytelling because we're watching the apocalypse unfold. And I think that Dan described it really well when he described it as very anxious. There is a lot of spooky shit in this book, but it's, it's a fear that is born more out of anxiety than it is out of, um, you know, the supernatural Mm -hmm. or scares of that regard. And I think it's, it's, it's uh he. This is the longest of the three books that we're going to be talking really about. Curious. Yeah. Well, it's five hundred. It's it's about four hundred seventy five pages. The book two feels longer. The book two <laughs> yeah. feels a lot longer, and we'll yeah. talk all about that. But it's like I think book one is uh you know it, it does a really great job of building character, building a world, setting up a you know a conflict, um and then kind of laying the foundation for a story that. Is while solid, it does become occasionally shaky. The foundation is mm-hmm. laid and it's a powerful foundation, but almost not strong enough to support what comes after in some ways. And that's coming from somebody who loves this book, but it's just, I'm just talking about based on my reread. So, but I think that, uh, but I'm somebody who loves ensemble storytelling. Mm-hmm. So I really love this book because I love introdu- the introduction of new characters and then watching characters come together. And we see a lot of that happen in this
0: book. So that's just sort of my basic thoughts uh, yeah. on this, but what do you think, Dan? I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, it's my favorite of the three, and I, and I think a lot of it comes down to taste. I mean, I'm just drawn more to the apocalyptic stuff. Yeah. And the, I, I'm someone who's much more afraid of uh, government conspiracies and disease than a religious, um, like a holy war, essentially, mm-hmm. which is what this book ends up becoming. And that's not bad, because I still do like the book on a whole, and I'm still rereading book three. But I think book one just has a moral complexity that kind of goes away with the, the later ones and, and to your point about the ensemble I love that it focuses on so many different people and, mm-hmm. and King balances that so well okay. whereas as the book goes on and everything starts to winnow he chooses like a handful of characters to focus on which totally makes sense I get it but I, I, I think he just he achieves a scope of worldwide destruction in this that I don't I don't know if he's matched even later in his career I understand is not my favorite book by Stephen King but like like you said, I think that Justin said earlier that book, book one, to me is just so, yeah. as an adult especially, made me made me. Um... Feel nervous in a way that was um in terms of pure pretty, in yeah. terms
3: of pure world building. I almost feel like the only other book that really achieves what he's done here yeah. is Under the Dome. Yeah, yeah, yeah and yeah, that's only true. a town. That's not a world. But and Sam or Salem's Sam yeah, yeah, I
0: think like Sam's Lot under the dome, under the dome, and it do that. The whole Dark Tower. But series. like you guys said, but that's it, town building. Needful does a good job. Yeah, but, yeah, will get to all that. But later. that's but that's town building. This is world building. Yeah. I like what you're saying with like all these little vignettes, and I know that a lot of those are specific to the uncut version. Um. Mm-hmm I'm I'm still impressed by it, and I, I just like, um, it, it, it. You almost get spoiled. I mean, it's such a it's such a generous book in that for in that first book, and then the, the scope gets a little narrower, and um, we have some flaws that we'll talk about later on. But um, yeah, I, I love I love book one.
4: Um, you know, again, haven't actually really gotten that far into book two yet. Um, so who knows? I'm I'll say this. I'm glad to know that you all seem to like this one best. Yeah. Because now my expectations are tempered. <laughs> because I really loved what I've read so far. Yeah. And I would rather know that this is the high point. Yeah. Um. Than what, think, be a little bit let down. I,
0: I and I do think I really do think it depends on your background and beliefs and other stuff. It's like it's not that the like said more faith based stuff is, is bad necessarily. Just it it um. To, it, it it takes a very specific viewpoint. That I don't know. It's to. like I
3: still I. It's like yeah. the faith based aspect. I don't think it's as clear cut as as maybe it seems, yeah. and that's something we'll talk about later. Yeah. I would say like I think that there's a lot of. I think it's going to go places you're not expecting, and that's kind of what's so fun about it. There's like, a shift for sure. Yeah, it's like see, I'm yeah. I'm really excited to hear your thoughts as a first time reader on books two yeah, and 3 I, they're I, certainly not bad. They're just like it's it's such a it's such a shift, and um, the but there's things that in those books that are more powerful than yeah. anything. And and I'm
0: only noticed, honestly, like I'm only noticing any kind of flaws within the sand. Reading this for what the fifth time as yeah. a 32 year old man, so I think that also like. Is a testament to how strong it is, man. Yeah. Didn't feel, I, I didn't have any like feelings, any of the, the kind of like flaws I'm pointing out. I didn't feel when I was younger, even even when I was like twenty five and yeah. everything. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah Joe, you, Justin.
5: Um, again, book one for me is the strongest section of any Stephen King mm-hmm. novel. Yeah. Um, for me, I'm much more interested in all the chaos than I don't want to spoil anything else. No, I, I don't care. But it's book fine. one, I'm, I'm saying for the listeners who are reading along too. Oh, I mean, of course. Book one is just—it blows away the the books that follow, in my opinion. Uh, The characters are amazing, and you guys uh, said everything else really that I can really say about it in terms of the characterization and the world building is just remarkable. Hot, hot sex, and the pound cake, of course. Uh, Book
0: two, mate, but book two beats book one. Let's be real. <laughs> oh, care? yeah, yeah. Pound for so pound. <laughs> I,
2: what, what I found actually compelling about this read was that I am actually... You know, The Stand has so many ties to the zombie genre. Mm. the zombie drama, the zombie drama genre. Sting. In Jen. Yeah, and Sting. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, it, it has a lot of, you know, it, it ties that genre in the sense that, you know, we're watching Apocalypse going down and just the the idea of the the corpses themselves even look like dead zombies in a way. Just like yeah. the, the, the way that they kind of, King animates them the bloated sort of way. Yeah, the, the tube neck, the sweet yep. treat. Um, I, but, so it's interesting now when we're, we're reading this where the zombie genre is, pretty much been dragged and beaten to the pulp and it wasn't that case that That wasn't the case when I first read this no. 50, 10 to 15 years ago like nobody really actually cared about zombies zombies so have like a renaissance with like 28 days later and the Die of the Dead remake so when I, and I read that like I read this uh, you know much you know years before that happened so at, at that point like the, the fear of the apocalypse and like the that, that sort of like um, breakdown of society was such an interesting terrifying thing that, that that gets amplified when you actually think about it in your head. And so going into the stand and going into book one this time, I actually was worried about that because I was just so tired of post-apocalyptic stories mm-hmm. and apocalyptic stories now because it's just been done to death and I still think it works and I feel I still think it's yeah. compelling because you know and I've, I've seen a lot of critics and, and reviewers talk about how this like set the bar for that type of um, narrative. And I, and I absolutely agree with them because none of them, including Romero's work, go to the level of complexity that this book yeah. has. Not even just with the characters, but just with the with how everything breaks down. Yeah, it's it, it you know you read book one, and granted, King had a, an opportunity to go back and and redo stuff, but and add more stuff in. But it is so well thought out and so complicated and so like dense and layered that. I really don't... I mean, I don't think there's, like, a stone untouched like that's in this. When it,
0: and, and if you look at if you look at a lot of those books that he he references as being inspirations on Legend and you know, On the Beach and whatever yeah. else, those are very much books... Um, even something like Planet of the Apes, like, th- these are very much works of fiction that... Like, I like what you guys are saying. It's not even post-apocalyptic. It's apocalyptic fiction. Mm-hmm. And all those works start off with, like, usually a dude waking up and, like, having to figure out what happened. Yeah. And he... I, I don't, I'm sure it wasn't the first, but... At least the first of its um, quality that, yeah. where, where it was like, no, I'm going to show you how it breaks down. And well, I, and like I said, I don't know, I mean, there have been other good, epo- I mean, it's like, like World S- War Z comes to mind. Yeah. Because World War Z They do show about that, yeah. And because and
2: you see it from, multi, it's like a
0: multifaceted have, story. Have you guys read uh, Robert R. McKinnon's uh, Swan Song? So, uh, it's uh, You're talking about that, actually. That's also a good one. Um, it's it as good as The Stand, but it's sim- it's similar that he does show it on a on a global scale. I can I don't know which one came out first, but they're kind of, Robert R. McCannon McCannon out of Hero Boys Life and you know a bunch of other stuff that's really good. But he um, Swan Song is maybe the one that comes closest, but it's still not as, quite as good as, as at least the yeah. the first part of the sand. So Mike, what do you what do you all you guys like better? Uh, the Walking Dead or Yeah, right five, oh, five, no, I know I, I think this is um,
2: easily the, the, the best uh, apocalypse story.
5: Well, Walking Dead. Book one, just book one. Yeah, Walking Dead. Walking Dead sucks. sucks. I stopped watching Walking Dead during the first four years of Obama's administration. I gave up on a long time ago. I'm sorry you guys kept with it. I'm sorry you were let down. I I stayed with it and was let down.
0: I'll I'll be somewhat of a defender. I I, I definitely think it's like flaw and there's. not much left. The sh- the, the show is sick, but I I thought the season was pretty good. I thought it was entertaining. Well, um, I think comparing I avoid Josh, I avoid Josh Michael. Sorry. I think
4: comparing <laughs> the Walking Dead to what we've just discussed is a, a bad comparison. <laughs> well, it Anything of patience.
5: quality is probably a bad. <laughs> well, it
2: just goes back to patience again. Like uh, like King has the patience to let let like let these details trickle out very slowly and very you know realistically and naturally. Even if you you know on the topic of Walking Dead. Um, you know, like look at Fear of the Walking Dead. It was supposed to be this. And, it, and, they, yeah. and they rushed it by they rushed three it. episodes. They, 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 they
0: had the problem with Fear of the Walking Dead is they got, they got it to more or less the same point as the yeah. first episode of Walking Dead. Missed like opportunity. Four episodes. Like then, why, why not have it? That like, was really bizarre. Like, uh, the yeah.
4: biggest problem with Fear the Walking Dead is that they got Kim Dickens and said, let's give her nothing to do. Yeah, that that's that's sounds great. Like, yeah. yeah. She's always good, too. You know, nice.
2: All these reasons are reasons why I prefer The Walking Dude.
5: Over
0: the Walking Dead. There we Uh, go. Hey, but in
4: terms of reading about government overreaching and thus tanking society, read the
0: news. (laughs) 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 Uh, I was gonna say read the Handmaid's Tale. I was still thinking. Wait, read the which one? The
4: Handmaid's Tale, and then that series is coming out. Yeah, it looks good. good. that's that book. uh, Everyone should read that book, but especially if you have male parts, everybody should read that book. Uh, I uh, and the great thing about that is that Margaret Atwood uh, only uses things that have actually happened in human history. Whoa. So it's a dystopia oh, that everything awesome. is. Uh,
0: I feel like unnerved though. Now I'm gonna like be so scared. And it's got that Elizabeth Moss, who Anywho. I'm a big fan well, of. Well, she's the best. Anyways,
3: uh, well, thanks so much for listening, guys. This has been the first episode of our four-part series in The Walking Dead. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> JK! Uh, This has been the first episode of our four-part series on The Stand. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, Also, you know, if you like the show, please like us on Facebook. Uh, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram and please, 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 please leave us an iTunes review, those really help and we really love hearing from you guys and if you are a fan of our Facebook you'll see that we actually respond and we like to engage and talk to you guys so please, uh, you know, don't be afraid to send us a message or something um, until next time, long days and pleasant nights <laughs> I got some hot friends but God, I got some hot friends